It's the Mixed Martial Arts Hour with The Mixed Martial Arts Hour back in your life on this Monday, November 10th, 2014. Hello again, everyone. I'm Ariel Hawani inside our New York City studio. So happy to be here on this beautiful day here in New York City. What a wonderful weekend for Mixed Martial Arts. A very busy one, a very fun one, a lot of great results, big wins, great finishes. Friday in Australia, one of the most fun shows of the year and most fun shows in recent memory. Highlighted, of course, by Luke Rockhold defeating Michael Bisping. That feud officially over. Rockhold moves on. Didn't do it in a round as he predicted, but it was very close to that. And then on Saturday night, OSP emerges. Somewhat of a sad scene in Uberlandia, the Brazilian fantasy world. It was not a fantasy world for Shogun Hua, though. A very quick finish. Very not Shogun-like, if you will. And now we wonder where he goes from here. But for me personally, uh, a, a memorable weekend. One of the weekends that uh, I will really never forget for the rest of my life. One of the best weekends of my life. Of course, I was back in Syracuse for the first time in 10 years. I want to thank everyone who was there. I want to thank everyone who uh, came to the little talk that I gave. And in particular, the eight or so students who came to watch Friday night's fight with me. It was very, uh, it was very powerful. It was very symbolic because... You know, I used to watch UFC fights. I used to watch sporting events by myself for three years while I was a student at Syracuse University between 2001 and 2004. I was all alone. I couldn't find a soul to watch anything with. And here I was 10 years later, happy as can be. On cloud nine, the day was already fantastic. And eight or so students came to my hotel. We set up a laptop on top of a bar and uh, we were sitting in the lobby watching a tremendous show in Australia, and I felt like the richest man in Syracuse. I, I was like, wow, I come back, and now I have you know, eight great friends. We took a picture. I posted it. I want to thank all of those guys who, uh, who showed up, in particular my man Jihoon, who set that whole thing up two years essentially in the making. I'll talk a little more about my trip to Syracuse later on in the show, but uh, it was really one of the most surreal and gratifying weekends of my entire life, and I'll never forget it. I want to thank everyone off the top for being a part of it, those who were a part of it. So who's joining us on today's show? Well, we got a great one for you. Uh, at around... Well, I screwed up the post here. I put two 325s. That's weird. That is awkward. I, uh, I messed it up because we had a late... Uh, addition to the show, but I think you can figure it out. At around 3.45, we're going to go inside the vault. And this is a really fun inside the vault because it, it, it's from back in 2011. That's, that's when the interview was shot. But on November 10th of 2014, it is very relevant. And it's a very fun watch because this fighter has come a long way. And it's just fascinating to hear the kind of emotions he was feeling at the time and what he was saying at the time and where he is today. So you're going to enjoy this one a lot. After that, we'll take your questions and comments. As always, hashtag the MMA hour. Leave a question or comment in the comment section below. 325, we're going to talk to Ian McCall. He did not have a memorable weekend. He did not have one of the best weekends of his life. Of course, he was supposed to fight John Lineker in Brazil. He had to pull out of that fight at the 11th hour, essentially. After making weight, he suffered a blood infection and uh, just just a horrible turn of events for Ian McCall. He is landing in Orange County any minute now, so hopefully all goes well and he'll join us at 325 Eastern Time. At 305, we're going to be joined by Ally Quinta, who had a tremendous weekend, who defied the odds, essentially, and defeated Ross Pearson in Australia on Friday. What a performance for Ally Quinta. And then he quoted the Iron Sheik himself. 
saying he was going to make the lightweight division humble. How about that? Tremendous stuff from Ally Quinta. He joins us at 3.05. At 2.45, we're going to be joined by the UFC heavyweight champion, Cain Velasquez. Of course, he was supposed to fight this weekend in Mexico City. He will not be fighting this weekend. Instead, it's going to be Mark Hunt versus Fabricio Verdun for the UFC interim heavyweight title. So Cain Velasquez, in his first interview since pulling out of the fight, will be joining us at 2.45. 2.25, we're going to be joined by Jimmy Smith, who is the color analyst for Bellator MMA. What a fascinating weekend coming up this weekend in the world of mixed martial arts. World Series of Fighting, Bellator, and the UFC, all with very big shows on Saturday night. And Jimmy Smith is going to be talking about Bellator's part in all of that at around 2.25. At 2.05, Melvin Gillard, the former UFC lightweight contender who is now in World Series of Fighting, he'll be talking about his WSOF lightweight title fight against champion Justin Gaethje on Saturday night. That is a huge fight for both guys. A real... A real test for Gaethje to see, you know, how he stacks up with one of the veterans of mixed martial arts. At 145, Rafael Dos Anjos, who faces, of course, Nathan Diaz on December 13th, UFC on Fox 13. He will join us at 145, if you recall. He, uh, he called out the MMA media. He said, you know, I don't get the respect that I deserve. That was via Twitter on this show last week, in the middle of the show. And now we're going to have him on the show to talk about where he's at, why he doesn't feel the love, and, of course, the big fight coming up in essentially 33 days. 125, we're going to be joined by Nam Fan. He makes his Bellator debut, Bellator 131. That's this Saturday against Mike Richmond. Our old pal Nam back on the show, resurfacing after getting cut from the UFC. Good to have him back on the show. So as you can tell, a lot of people joining us today. There is a lot to get to, but... Before we get to all of those guys, let us go first to the Skype machine and welcome in my good pal, colleague over at MMAfighting.com and, of course, over at the Wrestling Observer newsletter, WrestlingObserver.com. The one and only Dave Meltzer joins us right now. Dave, how are you? I'm great, Ariel. Hey, on that thing right behind you, that Helwani's nose, did you ever see the uh, video for Lance Russell's nose? I did not. You need to look that up on YouTube. It's, uh, it was a song that Jimmy Hart wrote that actually had uh, in the early early mid 80s in memphis it actually had a lot of airplay and everything like that really so, uh, you'll, you'll get a, oh you'll get a kick out of it it's it's just look up lance russell's nose on uh, youtube now was this uh was this his way of making fun of his nose or was it more of a love letter to his nose um you know it was kind of a little bit of both okay fair enough i mean it was it was definitely you know he was a heel manager and he was making fun of the tv announcer but it was it was not done in a mean-spirited way by any means you know, I'm happy you bring this up for two reasons. A, I don't know if you were joining us at the top of the show, if you had connected yet, but I talked about going back to Syracuse University for the first time in 10 years, a wonderful weekend, a lot of emotions. Uh, one gentleman flew from Newfoundland, Canada, which is very far. Uh, he had to go through New York City, all that stuff. His last name is Noseworthy, Dave Noseworthy. And when he first reached out to me that he was actually going to be coming to this and traveling all the way from Newfoundland, I thought he was, he was playing a joke on me, the whole nose thing. <laughs> His actual last name is Noseworthy. And number two, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on today's show and why I was thinking of you, among many other reasons, was I was back at SU this weekend, and it was very nostalgic for me and a lot of emotions going through my body. It was just it was surreal stuff. And I walked by the library, the student library. I have a picture of it that we can throw up here any second now. It's called the Bird Library. And the first thing I thought about, there it is right there, my wife standing in front of it. The first thing I thought about when I walked past this library on the campus of SU was every lunch 
for you know for a very long period of time i would go into the basement of the library with my tuna sandwich or whatever i had at the time and i would read the <laughs> wrestling observer newsletter that was my thing i would just go in there in a little hole in the corner and just read your newsletter i used to run to my mailbox as a student because i had no friends i had nothing else to do and i would get so excited when the newsletter would come in my mailbox because i had almost a friend to talk about this stuff to even though i didn't talk about it uh, with anyone. I was just reading it and consuming it and reading about Bob Sapp and 50 million people. So it made me think <laughs> of you and, and, and it, it, was just, it just brought back a lot of memories. And by the way, one of the first guests that I had on my show back at SU when I was just a student was you. You were talking about your days at the I Cow remember. Palace and the Rock. So it, just, it, it was just a lot of fun. To, and you were the first person I thought about when I saw that library. Yeah. I got my own story. Yesterday I was talking to Jason Jordan, who's the COO of, of, uh, of Bellator. Yeah. And he grew up one block from where I live. Wow. Yeah, he, we, he was just going like, you know, he asked like where I was, and I go, San Jose, and he goes, we're in San Jose, and we go through, and we're going through, well, what part, well, where are you close to, <laughs> and, it, and then he told me the street address, and I go, that's a block from my house, so that and, was pretty and, interesting. And you, and you never met him, you, you've never run into him? Never spoken to him before, wow. or anything like that, no, no, and he'd long, he left San Jose, uh, you know, at college, I think, he went okay. to Stanford, so. So uh, it's been it's been a number of years. So I'll I'll meet him whenever Bellator comes to San Jose, which I'm sure will be next year. Yeah, probably sooner rather than later. Okay, let's get into this weekend before we look ahead. Um, a lot of big stories, but let's start with Shogun Hua because everyone loves to talk about this stuff. I mean, this is a guy who obviously lost, didn't look great. I mean, physically he looked great, but the fight didn't go his way, and 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 you know the the Shogun of old doesn't lose to an Ovin St. Pru, but it just shows how far he has fallen. What do you do with Shogun Hua at this point? I mean, we, we always talk about retiring. You know, it's not our place. But if you were him, is this the time to hang it up? Um, if he's financially set and has something for the rest of his life, absolutely. Um, you, but you never know. Everyone's different. Um, I, you know, I, I, you know, I was looking up after, uh, and I was looking back at, at the old Shogun fights after, you know, thinking like, well, should he retire? Should I write that he should retire? You know, you right. all those things immediately come to your head. And it really has been since since 2011, where I think that the last time we saw the old Shogun, which would have been the um, Griffin fight and the uh, the first Henderson fight. The I mean, he looked good in the second Henderson fight, but then he got clocked. And then this one, I mean, what I was thinking is, is like, you know, yeah, this doesn't happen to Shogun Hua. I mean, like, if oh, one, he shouldn't have lost, but number two, I mean, he, he lost on the first punch and never recovered from the punch, and, and that's the sign when you don't recover from the punch and you get caught with a punch that probably you weren't going to get caught with anyway, you know, back in the day. It's, it's not good, and it's not, it's not, it's not fun to watch a, a superstar be diminished at that level. So I, I would hope that it would be time, you know, and if, again, if he had been always looking good and it was a fluke and the flukes happen in this business, um, but it didn't feel like a fluke, even though it was a 30 second finish. It doesn't sound to me from what he's saying, uh, of course, after the fight is a lot different than in six months time, but it doesn't sound to me like he's even interested in hanging him up. Like he's viewing this as just a setback. And it's amazing that he's just 32 years old. And you know, it's one thing to talk about Dan Henderson retiring at his age and yeah. in his 40s. 32 years old, what do you do at this point? It, it's, it's amazing how far he has fallen in such a quick amount of time. I know you say since 2011, but 32 is 30. I mean, what do you do at 32 yeah. and your career is done, right? That's a tough thing. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, look at BJ Penn. I mean, sure. it's like, it's really weird. It's like, you don't know when it's going to be uh, for these guys. And I think some of it may have to do with the fact that those wars that they had in, in sparring when he was first breaking in probably took years off of his effective career. Um, you know, the one thing I think that everyone's going to, you know, in time, you, everyone's going to have to figure out is, is um, effective training 
for longevity because we've, we've seen guys who can train effectively to get to the top really fast, but if it takes years off the other end, maybe you need to slow down in other ways. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's always, you know, there's all kinds of theories about that, but you know, yeah, at 32, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be done at 32. And, and he, he looked like he was done. The formula when you have a veteran in combat sports is, all right, when, when, when you realize that this guy can no longer make a run for the title, you try to book him typically against an up-and-coming star so that he can give him the rub, and now you have a new star. But I was just reading some stuff and, you know, taking it all in. And moments ago on, on Twitter, a fan of the show and, and, and someone who works for Fight Metric, Michael Cowell, was saying, well, this doesn't really elevate Ovin St. Preux, it almost makes you feel depressed, but it's not like you're saying, okay, Ovin St. Preux is a new killer. Look what he did to Shogun. Now you have a contender in the making. Do you feel the same way? Because this was such a sad scene at 4 a.m. in Brazil that it didn't really have the effect that it should have, you know, given the circumstances, veteran versus youngster. Yeah, I think that if it had been like a war and a really close fight and Ovens would have won, I think it would have been one thing. But yeah, when it was over, it was like, yeah, I wasn't thinking like, wow, you know, like with, with Anthony Johnson and Noguera, for whatever reason, I guess because he was so devastating. Um, and and uh, I thought like Anthony Johnson came off as a killer, whereas I think in this one, because the I guess the punch wasn't so devastating and he went down, you almost just felt the sadness. And it was like, yeah, I wasn't thinking like, oh, I can't wait to see Oban St. Preux against Gustafson. For the, for the title shot or open St. Preux against Rumble, you know, for, for you know, a, a top contender spot. But it, it, it helps him to a degree in the sense that in that light heavyweight division, there's a finite number of guys in there. And he, he could fight those guys. So it's, and, and, you know, without that win, he couldn't have fought those guys. So it does help him. But, yeah, I didn't get the emotional thing of, of when I got with, when, with Rumble Johnson's recent fights, no. And then what about OSP just completely dropping the ball? I mean, you just beat Shogun. In Brazil, the place is dead quiet. You're, you're in the main event on Fox Sports 1, all that stuff. And you ask for Fabio Maldonado or Anthony Paroche? I mean, to me, that's just like, I don't want to fight the top guys. I'm not interested in elevating. What? You're asking for Anthony Paroche and Fabio Maldonado? I mean, that was the most, that just ruined the whole scene for me as far as trying to make this guy into a star. Do you feel the same way? You know, what's funny is when he said that at first, at first I thought, oh, you know, it's, it's, it's a joke. <laughs> I mean, he was, he was kidding. But then the way the reaction was, I wasn't sure if it was. But, yeah, no, it was a complete misfire because it was a joke. Nobody picked up on it. And it's, that's not the time to make that joke right. in the sense of um, – plus, if it was a joke, you're making fun of – you don't really want to make fun of those guys either. Sure. But, but, yeah, no, of course not. He should have been – he should have asked for, for Rumble Johnson or, or Gustafson or – Phil Davis, someone like Davis. that, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he should have asked – and, and those, those are the three guys. He should have asked for the, one of those three guys, if not all three, and gotten some interest in that. And, and then people – you know, if you do that, then people will go, oh, yeah, you know, he's at the level of a Phil Davis or a, or a Gustafson. And now, you, you know, by your own interview, you put yourself in that category and – like you said, when it came out, and right now, are people talking about him in that category? No, and, and with that win, you know, he should be in that mix with those few contenders. Yeah, if you consider yourself a top 25 guy as opposed to a top 5 guy, no one's going to view you as a top 5 guy if you're calling out, you know, number 24 and 25, whatever they may be. So what's your prediction today, you know, less than 48 hours removed from the fight, do we ever see Shogun Hua fight again? Well, based on what you just told me, I say yes, because yeah. I just don't see... Um, I don't see UFC telling him, no, we're not going to book you one more time. But, um, you know, I mean, if it's another fight and he comes out and, and, and gets clocked like that, then I would think that, you know, at that point you have to have the, interven the intervention. But I don't see, yeah, like I said, this, is, this will be his decision and unless his people talk him out of it. And at 30, you know, if he says he wants to fight again, 
you can always say it's a fluke and it is MMA. There are flukes. I mean, we've seen people, you know, I, I remember thinking about this when I wrote, when I wrote an article, the article for today. I mean, I remember seeing Mark Hunt against Melvin Manhoff, you know, mm. and that's like eight, eight years ago in Japan and he lost in 18 seconds, you know, and I'm going like, well, you know, it's a, he, he just got knocked out by a middleweight and his, you know, his one big thing was that his jaw was solid and now he gets knocked out and his skill level isn't that high. And so uh, let's write off Mark Hunt. And now Mark Hunt's in the main event going for the interim championship, you know, this, this coming Saturday. So stranger things have happened. In your opinion, has the UFC prepared itself for this moment? I mean, we've seen a lot of guys who are either close to retiring or have retired as of late. Have they done a good enough job of preparing for this moment, bringing in a new wave of superstars? Because we always view those, you know, pride guys and the old UFC guys in a certain light, and it's very hard to recreate that, I know. But do you think that there's enough of a cue behind these guys who can take the torch and, and, and keep this thing going along? Well, the talent is there. It's just the... the idea of getting the aura of the talent over. And I think that that's really a problem when you have so many shows and the audience is so diluted. If, if there were 2 million people that were watching that, and there weren't, I mean, I haven't got the ratings, but I'm sure there weren't, sure. Uh, that, were, that were watching that, Ovins, people would be talking about Ovins on the water cooler and go, oh, you know, he beat Shogun, oh, I was sad about Shogun. But when it's it's not that many people, then it's it's so much harder. I mean, even with a guy like Conor McGregor, I keep thinking if Conor McGregor would have shown up in the Spike days, he would have been so much bigger than he is right now. And it's and, and, and again, with all these guys coming up, the key is is to get millions of people watching him, and that doesn't happen. So it's a, it's a tougher deal right now to make the new guys. Plus, the first guys you see are always the ones, and so many people started with this sport in 05, 06, 07. So the first people that you see, those are the ones that you are nostalgic for and you think of as the top guys. And it's, it does become increasingly harder unless you get a new generation of fans coming in. And we're really not getting that. I mean, we don't have that, that college-age fan that was there eight years ago. Some of them are still fans now, but they're older. But to them, the heroes are still the Randy Couture, Chuck Liddell, Matt Hughes, uh, BJ Penn, and you know GSP and all that. And then we're not getting that high school and college kid come in and, and with their new young favorites like an Anthony Pettis or something. It's just not happening as much. One other thing about Saturday night, of course, Ian McCall didn't fight John Lineker. I actually feel like this is a blessing in disguise. Of course, you want Ian McCall to be healthy and, and all that, but now I feel like you have two contenders and they didn't cancel each other out. I think you roll the dice with John Lineker and you say, look, we're giving you the title shot. We know you've missed weight, but at this point, I mean, there's no one really else for you to fight. If you miss weight, you're done. It's over. We're not giving you another chance. If you make the weight, go fight for the title. And McCall, you give him a top contender fight, and now he's just one fight away from fighting for the belt. Do you agree? Is that the direction you would go in because Lineker is asking for the title, or do you go in a different direction? I, I don't know because, again, boy, he struggled with 126. Yeah. I, 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 you know, if it was one missed weight, I would, or even, you know, and even two, I would be worried. But one missed weight, I would go, okay, you know, everyone's entitled to a mistake. But this is three and a half kind of I mean he did make weight but it was also one pound over and it's like now he's got to make 125 and I mean I just can't trust give I couldn't trust giving him a title shot if it was me hmm. I would I would and it, it isn't even the win it would be like I I, I, I don't know I, I mean I, you can't do this but I would almost want to go to him and just go look you're gonna have one fight and if you win this fight you're gonna get a title shot but you also you got to make weight with no struggle and 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 you don't have to make 125, but it will help your chances to make 125. Because I can't trust him making 125 right now. No, yes, you know, symbolically, so. I was hoping that he would hit 125 to, to prove it to them, but uh, that didn't happen. Now let's move along to Friday. Um, what a fantastic show in Australia. All finishes, broke a record, all that good stuff. Highlighted, of course, by the Rockhold win over Bisping. A true star-making performance. What do you do with Luke Rockhold next? 
I think that, you know, um, he doesn't want to fight Jacare Souza, but there's uh, there's Jacare Souza, and there was, um, I would keep him away from Machida just because Machida already got a title shot, and if Machida beats him, you're doing nothing for anyone. Right. So, it's um, Jacare so really, Romero, right? It's Jacare, and Yo Romero's the other choice, yeah. yeah. But, but, but he, so, he had a great promo about Jacare. He said, I'll kick your ass again. I thought that was fantastic stuff. Yeah, well, then that's and, and also that's the guy. I think Romero probably needs one more win. Yeah. I think the Jacare is ahead of Romero. I think Luke Rockhold's ahead of Romero. Um, but I mean, the, the thing is, is like I look at that Belfort and Weidman fight, and again, I mean, how how many guys have come to you? Because I know they have to me and gone. You know what? I don't think Belfort's going to make that fight. I think mm. he's going to get injured. I think something's going to happen. And I would say that you know Luke at that point would become the logical guy, and I and I think Luke Rockhold and, and Weidman is is kind of an interesting fight. I mean, and probably a great fight too. So, I think that the idea right now is I would book uh, Luke Rockhold against probably probably Jacare yeah. as the on the undercard of on Feb twenty eight, and if something happens, um, Luke Rockhold because he did beat Jacare once, even though it was three years ago. I would go with him, uh, prime, you know, as the guy in case either of those guys drop out. And if, if Weidman drops out, you could put uh, Luke Rockhold and Belfort, which is one of the reasons I said that, because you know how much Luke Rockhold wants to fight with Belfort now. So that's how I would kind of do everything. I agree with everything you just said, except for one thing. I'd like to see it as a main event because I want to see them go five rounds. I think if you really promote it the right way yeah. and go back to the first fight and how close it was, you need to see five rounds in the rematch. I I can see that. The only thing is, is that, but they have and, to and fight. Maybe, they have to fight around the same time as February twenty eighth. Right, so right, right, be ready. right, right, right. Yeah, you you could do it like two weeks before, two weeks after, and then if something falls off, then you have to then you can switch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah as long as they're getting ready at right about the same time, because I, I I want that backup plan. I, I think UFC should always have now because of all the injuries. When it comes to championship matches, they should always have a backup plan in the sense of a number three, four, five contender fighting either on the card or a week before or a week after. So if something happens, you can plug the guy right in. He's already in training. He's already ready. After this loss, do you officially close the book on Michael Bisping contender, or do you think he wins again and he's right back in there given his mouth and his ability to hype a fight? Um, I, you know, I don't uh, 100% close and lock the door, but I close the door, you know, in the sense of um, how many, I mean, how many times has he been one fight short and he's still never beaten that top five, top eight guy ever. Hmm. So um, I'm, I think it's going to be difficult for him to, to do that. But, you know, he'll fight again. Look, if he beats three, four guys in a row, I mean, one, no, no, he's going to need a lot more than one. And he's going to need a win over, you know, like he's going to need a win over a Leoto Machida. And uh, which which might be someone who he faces next because you know he right. can talk up the fight and everything, and uh, and it's a good win for Machida if Machida gets it. Um, but if he you know if he goes and, and and wins that, then you okay you take notice of him. But still, there's there's so many guys that have beaten him that have not gotten championship fights. Tremendous finishes all night long in Australia. Was there one that really stood out? One one fight, one performance that you really loved? Um, I know I'm putting you on the spot here, but there was I boy, mean, there were there were there were so many. I mean, I mean, like you know, you could say like the 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 um God the the first uh, the the Marcus, Marcus Brimage Brimage knockout was fantastic, which, yeah, yeah, and it was like he didn't even get a bonus, and and, and you know, and 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 again, those bon, you know, the, deciding those bonuses that night was really hard. But I thought when I saw that, it's like, well, we got we got one bonus locked. Um, you know, the Smolka kick was really cool. Sweet chin music, um, right? Sweet chin music, yeah. And um, I just, again, you know, it's like it's early in the game, but I, I really like Jake Matthews. I liked yeah. him before. Um, I mean, it's like when you get a 20-year-old kid who looks like that, who's well-rounded, and you're thinking, how much is this guy going to improve? And I, and I liked it. You know, 
I don't think that he should be booked with Ellenberger. I think that's too big of a jump at, at his age. But I did like the moxie of going out there and going, I want Jake Ellenberger on January 18th in Boston. And, and you know, better than, um, God, I have no idea what I want. Sure. I mean, it's like, it's like I'm listening to this guy, and I think he's got the drive, and he's got the idea of where he wants to go, and he's picked out an opponent who's, who's a really good opponent for him at this stage of the game. So I, I, was, I was impressed with him, and, you know, just the, his, the way he engaged the crowd and everything. And Australia, believe me, Australia needs a superstar. They don't have a superstar. And, you know, can he be the, the, the GSP or the Rory McDonald or somebody like that? Who knows? If he's as good at 20, at least the shot is there. I, 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 saw, I saw remnants of a, you know, or, or, or the beginnings of someone who could really be somebody. And uh, hopefully he'll pan out. Yeah, and he's super young. By the way, I think he was referring to Joe Ellenberger, which made it even more interesting that he was – you know, he was shooting for the younger brother and not the biggest star, but he knew oh, his path. Okay. He knew his path, okay, and, well, and I appreciate okay, that. As, 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 if he, as Joe Ellenberger, okay, that actually makes sense. Yeah, I, I, I appreciated that. Um, last thing before we let you go, this weekend, a lot of action. Uh, all three of the major North American promotions um, are busy on Saturday night, WSOF, Bellator, UFC. Of course, the big one of, the, of them all is Mark Hunt versus Fabricio Verdum. I'm not too tor- tor- like torn up about about Kane not being there. I mean, it, it's it's such a bummer that he's not fighting in Mexico and all that stuff. But Mark Hunt is just such a fun story. Verdum's a great story. I mean, the fight, regardless of the location and the venue and all that, is is a fun fight and an interesting story for for media people to chew on. I'm worried though that Mark just doesn't have enough time. The elevation. He's talking about you know not doing anything for weeks after the Roy Nelson. I'm worried we're not going to see the best Mark Hunt. You give him any shot on Saturday, given everything he's battling. Well, Mark Hunt always has a shot, but it's exactly what you said. It's like, I, I, the, you know, if it wasn't the elevation, even with the short time, I mean, Mark Hunt's one of those guys who just will gut through. But, I mean, Mexico City elevation, I mean, that's, that's a different kind of elevation that, that I, I doubt he's ever fought there before. And, I mean, training there for a couple of weeks will get him somewhat acclimated. But, um, yeah, the odds are against him a lot in this one. I mean, like, look, for you know, what Verdum went there two months ago? Yeah. Wasn't, wasn't it? Yeah. So, I mean, that tells you something. You know, I mean, you go to go to Mexico for two months, that tells you that you're scared about the elevation. I was scared for Kane, you know, because mm. he was going to do all his training in San Jose. And, I mean, Kane's a cardio machine, but, I mean, again, that elevation will, will sap your cardio if you're not ready for that. You know, I mean, you could have the greatest cardio in the world at sea level, and you go up there, and if you're not acclimated to it, you're going to be in trouble. But, which, um, you know, he didn't choose to train there. Which fight are you most looking forward to on Saturday? There's some fun ones. Any card. Um, Pick a card. I mean, um, gosh, let me think. I, I, I mean, I mean Brooks, and, Brooks and Chandler, to a degree, because the first fight was very good. Yeah. Um, the Verdum and, and Hunt, um, those would probably be the two that I would be most looking forward to. Um, God, there's, on the Mexico undercard, I mean, you know, the... Gastelum fight, you know, that's that's a nice fight and everything, but I'm not, uh, you know, right. I, I, I wish Diego Sanchez was there because I, the idea of Diego Sanchez fighting in Mexico City, you yeah. know, because Diego will always give you a good fight. I, I, the Mexico card really, you know, it's kind of a disappointment now that we're here because I think that the way it was laid out, it was, it was probably going to be a real yeah. fun night, and maybe it still will be. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, Dave, thank you so much for the insight. Thank you for keeping me company all those years in Syracuse in the library. I appreciate your time as always, and we'll talk to you soon. 
Okay. All right, there he is, Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter and, of course, MMAfighting.com. All right, as I mentioned, a lot going on this weekend. Uh, One of the fun stories, of course, is the return of our our old friend, former UFC veteran, longtime veteran of mixed martial arts, making his Bellator debut on Saturday night against Mike Richmond. He is the one and only Nam Fan, who joins us right now on the MMA Hour. Nam, how are you? Hey, I'm good. Thanks for having me back, Ariel. It's been a while, my friend. Where have you been? I know, it's been a while. I miss you guys. I don't know. Nam no, Fran in the house. Chilling. I know, Nam Fran. <laughs> yeah, I think it calls that. <laughs> well, uh, it's good to talk to you. Congratulations on the Bellator deal. You know, uh, a lot of fans, when, when you leave the UFC and then you kind of, you know, try to find your way through regional promotions or overseas, they just, they just kind of forget about you. Was that the the vibe that you got from people? Like, were people asking you, are you still fighting? Where have you been? Even though you won a couple in impressive fashion outside of the UFC, did you get the sense that people just forgot about mm-hmm. you? Oh, of course. You know, if you're not in the UFC, nobody cares, you know? Um, not, if you're not in the UFC or Bellator, nobody cares. So um, uh, it's something that's very natural. It's no big deal. I definitely I expect. What was your reaction when the UFC cut you? Oh, you know, I mean... Um, I think it was, a, it was just kind of a natural uh, pattern, you know. Before me, even guys were after three fights, you know, they were getting cut. So it was, it was something very expected, you know. So I wasn't surprised. So you weren't surprised at all. You 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 were at peace with the decision. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, it is what it is. You know, I uh, I don't let it bother me. Correct me if I'm wrong. I was reading. I believe it was an article about you on SureDog. Did you consider retiring after that? Oh, I mean, um, you know, as three losses, you know, even, uh, you know, it, 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 it kind of it never came to my mind. Wow, three losses, I, uh, this one wasn't the best performance of my life, you know. But then um, I, I don't make my decisions right after a fight. I go home and I think about it for then if I still decide uh, to retire or whatever it is, then I'll go forward with it. But then I was thinking about it, I was like, See, I'm just 31 years old. I can't retire. I, 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 I can still do this. You know, I still feel healthy. I still feel good. You know, stay all my brains together. So you ended up taking a couple of fights in Tokyo. Uh, your first was in July. You won that fight via first-round TKO. Your second, not that long ago, in October, um, which you won via submission. How good did it feel to get that, that first win outside of the UFC under your belt? Because it had been a while, August of 2012, since you had lost last one, to, to go out, regional show, Grand Slam MMA, and to win via TKO and then submission. How good did that feel? Oh, great. Wow. <laughs> I haven't felt that in a while. <laughs> it's like a drug, right, that you just want to keep chasing? It is. It is. You know, that's, that's why fighting is addicting, you know. It feels pretty good. Glory is very addicting. And what about just being, you know, you know, you you were in Tokyo, and and I know your last fight um, was was over in China, but you, like kind of not the birthplace of MMA, but was there anything special about just being on a regional show and coming from, you know, you got you went to Pancras, of course, afterwards, but in in Japan, I mean, was that did that mean anything to you at all? Oh, of course, I know that's the birthplace to me. That's like the birthplace of mixed martial arts. You know, I plus you know, I have family over there, you know, so. Um, it's, it's great. I get to fight over there, and uh, I get to visit my friends and family. Over there, so I love fighting in Japan. Now that you got your groove back, do you have any idea why you were in that rut in the UFC? Why did you lose those fights? I think I lost those fights because you know I lost 
I lost to good fighters, you know. Um, you know, um, that's it. You know, I, I don't want to say. Um, I, didn't, I don't want to make any excuses why I lost for for any reason. Maybe this person in my life, or I didn't train correctly, or I didn't eat correctly, whatever it is. You know, I can I can make up a thousand excuses, but you know, um, that's just taken away from the talented fighters that I fought. You know, um, I lost to good guys, and that's all I can say. Um, also, in 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 that article, I read that you you cut some people out of your life that you felt were kind of a distraction. Is that accurate? Very accurate. Like who? I don't know. Um, uh, some, uh, some, some friends that you know, I thought were friends or you know, people you, you call yes man or something like that or my strength conditioning. There's a guy I need to do strength conditioning with. You know, um, I felt like um, I, was, I was being overtrained, you know, and um, we couldn't come to an agreement, so I was like, uh, okay, you know, I think for now I'm just gonna um, just do my own thing right now. I'm, it's too much. It's just too, train like you gotta spar every day, you gotta work technique, you gotta roll every day, and then any place you gotta lift weights. And like I was in CrossFit, and like, dang, that's just too nuts. I I had a, I figured out a cooking out, you know. So I was like, you know, the the guy that I was helping with my strength and conditioning, you know, hey, we need to do something about this. This is too much. You know, um, so um, I, I just, we just, you know, we were still on good terms, but we just, uh, I don't show them as much anymore. So when I think of cutting people out, distractions and whatnot, I think of bad eggs. I think of people who are leading you down the the wrong path and whatnot. But that doesn't seem to be the case, unless you're you're not mentioning that. I mean, that that's just trainers who you feel like you're you're not vibing with. Were were there some bad eggs as well that were just kind of, you know, you know, just distracting you in, in in a negative way outside of the gym, outside of the cage? Oh yeah, I think there there was. There were. You know, I mean, I mean, not 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 a lot, but I mean, of course, there's this change the change the training regimen, and then uh, of course, um, there's some personal personal issues too. But um, like I said, besides that, you know, I fought good guys, and uh, you know, they beat me fair and square. You know. Any truth to the rumor that you considered enlisting the services of one Sensei Segal to help you get back on track? That's what I heard, but I wanted to hear it from you. No. <laughs> Freaking way! <laughs> really, I heard that. I, I I actually heard from a couple of people that that you felt like this might you know he did such great things for Leoto and Anderson that you thought that maybe he can help help you in any kind of way. No, I rather shoot myself in the face than <laughs> ask that guy for help. You still haven't uh, seen the, the light. Look in the mirror. I I look up. I like to look myself in the mirror to shoot myself in the face. And I was a hypothetical guy for asking that for help. You know, I'd rather do that. That's more pleasant to me than asking that guy for help. But screw that. You, know? you still haven't seen the light. You still don't recognize how brilliant <laughs> of a coach he is. Uh, man, I don't understand. Well, you know what? I don't understand. Some MMA fans, they love this guy. They think this guy's like the freaking MMA god. I'm like, sure. are you freaking kidding me? Dude, you, you, you're an MMA fan. How do you think this guy's legit? You, are you freaking nuts? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> Look at the the proof is in the pudding. He's one of the most accomplished coaches in in the sport. Look who's under his his tutelage, Anderson Leota. I mean, hey, by the way, by the way, Danny Cormier apparently. Daniel, how about that? Our old friend DC hooking up. Hey, well, what about this? It seems like Anderson has kind of you know kicked him to the curb, and look what's happened to him in his last two fights. Coincidence? <laughs> Coincidence? I I think not. I think not. Exactly. So you are seeing the light, and look at Cormier, how good he's doing these days. <laughs> you know, the proof is in the pudding. There you go. What is- oh, God. 
<laughs> would that would that well, been something if you, if you actually showed up to your fight in Bellator with him in your corner? But would that be something? <laughs> oh man! But, you know what? I think I'll retire. You'd rather I right now? I'll retire. You'd rather retire than 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 better yourself, than advance your career. No, I make myself worse. I Do a lot of people oh do a lot of people call you Nam Fran still? Oh, yeah, just for fun. I think once in a while you get uh get called Nam Fran, you know. Just <laughs> for fun. But man, I mean if I you know I I I love to freaking ju judo throw freaking stick like by his ponytail, that'd make my day. That's what I like to do. You'd like to judo throw him? With by his ponytail. Oh, by his ponytail. Wow, jeez. Um, yeah. Bam! I can't, I can't condone that. I don't even know if he still has a ponytail. Does he still have a ponytail? I don't know. When? When's the last time you saw him? I've never met him, but does he still? I thought he had a ponytail. No. I don't know. I don't. Look yeah, at I thought him. I saw. I thought I saw a video of him dancing in Russia. Or oh like yes, yeah, wasn't that amazing? What? What style? What grace? Oh my God! Looking like a buffoon. Like, what the heck are you doing? You know, I got to oh, say, I, when, when I'm in front of him, when, when when he's next to me, when we're doing an interview, I'm just so taken by his his aura, his greatness, <laughs> that it's just amazing. I mean, I, I'm not gonna looking at his ponytail to be honest with you. But... <laughs> oh my God! Oh man! I don't know what his aura made me want to freaking punch my computer screen. Wow! Sure. Why so much hatred? Maybe you need to free yourself of this hatred. Uh, free your soul open your heart and they go live with him live with him learn learn yeah exactly man no i would love I, to i would not ever and i and i and i think yes there's no other fighter i would to give any other fighter too don't go learn from him don't train with him if you know if you know any better oh you know what if you and this is what i suggest if you want to start MMA, you should learn from him just from scratch. Oh. Don't take that just from him from scratch to see what happens. Well, that's even a, a greater compliment. You're saying that you should start your career with him. He should be the yes. backbone, the foundation of your MMA knowledge. That's huge. Yeah, that's, exactly. That's all from scratch. Not like, say, not, not, let, let's say it's Anna Silva or Leo Cheetah when they're like freaking like always superstars and say, and go in there freaking locker room. And I give my pep talk to Abe. I tell him everything. Like, no, get out of here, <laughs> that <Gosh>. boy. <laughs> you know, I, I have to say I'm a little disappointed. I thought, you know, it's been a while since you've been on the show. I, I, I thought maybe you saw the light. I thought maybe you moved on. But apparently it's still very much alive in you, the hatred, <laughs> the disdain. <laughs> The yeah, the fire. The fire is still burning. The all hatred still burns very strongly. How did you link up with Bellator? How did that come about? Oh, um, yeah, you know, I just, you know, I was doing some fights in uh, Japan. Then uh, I got home. Um, Bellator uh, contacted me, uh, or kind of my manager, and said there's going to be um, uh, a fight in San Diego. They want me to get on that show. I'm like, okay, sounds like a good idea. Let's do it. That's it. Is it a one fight deal, or did you sign a longer deal with them? Oh, we got like a multi fight deal with those guys. You know, um, I, I like them now. <laughs> when I heard from here, because uh, the 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 old Strikeforce guys, and I have a I don't know a pretty healthy relationship with Scott Coker and all the guys in Strikeforce. Um, um, 
before that, I was thinking something very bad, so I was very scared of <laughs> signing with them, but now I think it's good. So this kind of opened it up. Like, like if this was still the old regime and you were out of the UFC, your options would have been limited. But now, yeah. and I think a lot of people share that sentiment with you. You remember, you, you didn't fight for him often, but you're from the Bay Area. You've, you've trained there before, and you did fight for him in the past. Your, your, your dealings with Scott, from what you were calling his team, always positive? Very positive. I've always had a good relationship with uh, Scott and everyone from uh, Strike Force. When you left the UFC, did you think you'd get an opportunity like this, like on a big stage, network TV spike, you fought there before, or did you feel like, you know, maybe you just have to fight, you know, regional promotions and, you know, things of that nature? Oh, um... Did, did you still hold out hope fun. that you'd be back on, on, on a big stage? Yes, yes definitely, def, definitely. I always did, yes. Um, but then, no one would take a fighter on a three-fight losing streak, you know, so you gotta, I try to build my way back up to, to something... And then see what comes up. And now I have some negotiation power. What's it like being in the UFC for a few years and now you're in the real, you know, regional scene? The smaller attendance, probably crappier locker rooms and things like that. Was that humbling? Oh, no. No big deal at all because that's where I started. Yeah. You know, it's, just going back to, it's just going back to home. See, see my old room again, you know? Uh, um, you know um, yeah, no, no big deal at all. You say that's where you started, but you want to keep building and going up. So even going back there, you're like, wow, this is different. You know, the, the way they treat the fighters. Not that it's bad, but there are certain perks of being involved in UFC and they're organized and things of that nature. None of that bummed you out. You were, it, it, was it almost like refreshing to go back to your roots? Oh, you know, um, I'll say I mean, the pay is definitely much more greater. That's always a plus, you know. Yeah. Uh, you see the best. You know, I want to say that, but... um. Uh, I wasn't in shock when I went to go back to the regional scene because, you know, um, I knew where I was at. And um, it's, it's, uh, it's something I expected. It, it, it wasn't, like, a surprise to me. So what do you know about Mike Richmond, the man you'll be uh, fighting on Saturday night? He is a former Marine and obviously San Diego, uh, very popular with the, the Marine Corps. What do, you, what do you know about this guy? And, and B, are you expecting to not be the fan favorite on Saturday? Um, let me see now. Uh, fan favorite, yeah. It seems like I'm. It seems like I'm the underdog, right? Um, uh, it's hard to find fights on. Like I'm going on um, YouTube and whatever, and I'm trying to find fights, but very difficult. Uh, but from what I've seen, man, this guy's freaking tough as nails. Starting to second guess myself, <laughs> you know. Like, you know, like man. Man, I should have. Maybe I should have watched this fight before I signed the contract. <laughs> if you would have watched the fight before, would you have said no? Um, yeah, I might have said, man, you know, hey, you know, uh, guys, uh, Scott, you know what, this is a good idea, uh, this is a tough fight, man, you know, hey, so, you know, uh, break, break that easy, man, Mike Richmond, he's, man, he's got a Marine, what can I do to Mike Richmond that's going to scare him or surprise him, dude, this guy's fought in freaking Iraq, he's, he's trying to kill some people, you know, literally, I'm about, he's like 5'8", five, I'm 5'6", five, five Asian guy, 135 pounds, I ain't going to scare him, he's not intimidated by me. Dude, he's got guns put in his face. He, he's freaking dodging bullets and bombs. This ain't nothing, you know. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what could intimidate him, or who would intimidate him. You show up to that arena with, 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 with a six foot six man with that belly and those glasses and that hair, wearing a black trench coat. I'll tell you what. Mike Richmond is going to be pretty scared. He's pretty intimidated. You're mis- once again, you dropped the ball, Nam. Can't believe it. Yeah, you know what? Maybe I should for this fight against a, a solid marine like Mike Richmond. Um, I should get in contact with uh, Steve Zagal 
because you know what? I need, I need every advantage I can get. If I can intimidate him somehow with that freaking weirdo, I then we'll have to do it. <laughs> no, no, but, but but in all honesty, are, are, is confidence a bit low right now? What's where, where are we where are we at right now? Oh, confidence wise, you know, uh, being on serious. Now, I mean, I wouldn't take this fight if I didn't think I had a chance to win. You know, a fight ending can happen. You know, but um, I respect Mike Brisbane for what he's done, and, and he's you know he's a He's been through this and that. And, I'm being serious when I say that. What can I do to... Um, I don't think he's intimidated by me whatsoever. He fought good guys. He fought tough guys. You know, but nonetheless, um, I still think I have what it takes to, to beat him. One of those guys where maybe not known by the casual fan, but still tough. Like You have to almost explain who he is so you don't get the gratification of beating him or the satisf- satisfaction from the fans when you beat him because he's not a household name. He hasn't fought you know, on, on bigger stages and things like that. Do you, do you get that sense as well from people when you tell them who you're fighting? Uh, poss- uh, possibly, uh, because everyone is uh, familiar with UFC and better it's coming up. But um, hardcore MMA fans definitely know uh, who Mike Richmond is for sure. He's very dangerous. And and you're still sticking with the 135 thing. I mean, you still feel like that's the best weight class for you. I think so, unless I fight in Japan. Oh, why is that? Because because uh, in Japan, you know, 145 pound Asian guy is still 140 pound Asian guy. What about the same size, same strength? No big deal. Man, freaking America! <laughs> what if I fight 145 pounds. I was like freaking twice my size. Like what the heck? <laughs> what is this? That's not a 180. Wait, so in, in Japan when you fought those two fights, was that 135 or 145? Uh, the first one I fought in Japan was 140, and the second one was 145. Uh-huh. I was like, dude, this feels pretty good. Yeah. You know, I feel overpowered. It feels, it, feels, uh, it, feels, it feels good. It feels fun. And what about, I mean, the weight cutting? It's, it's, it's a pleasure not having to cut those extra oh, yeah. 10 pounds, right? Exactly, yeah. T- 10 extra pounds is always fun not to do. How much do you weigh now? Oh, right now... Uh, I got down to 153. Oh, is that is that good for you? Monday before 18 pounds or 17 pounds? Oh yeah, that's that's, that's very normal. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, any 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 prediction on how it ends? Your big return to network TV? Well, I don't know how. Oh, well, if it ends, I'm gonna I'm gonna win. Dang, <laughs> dang sure. Okay, you know? that's a start. But, um, how it's gonna you know um, how it's gonna play out? I don't know. I'm. Hopefully, I'm going to see from his fighting style, my fighting style, it's going to be a lot of, a lot of punches thrown. That's it. But at the end yeah, of the day, you lot. know you're winning. A lot. A you lot. are, you are a, a high-volume puncher. More than three. A lot of punches. More than three. Okay. Wow. Well, my expectations for this fight have just gone through the roof since before we spoke and now. It's just amazing. So I can't wait for this, Nam. Um, hopefully in the next few days, if you want me to pass along the number and you know what I'm talking about, you know, just to boost your confidence a little bit, let me know and I'll, I'll hook you up. All right. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, you know what? For yes. This fight. Yes. The Marine. I might need that. Whatever, whatever chances I can get to intimidate him, I, I will get it. All right. Or I'll shoot myself in the face, like I said. <laughs> uh, all the best to you, Nam. Great to talk to you again. Good luck on Saturday against Mike Richmond. All right, thank you, guys, and thank you, everyone, for the uh, enemy hour. All right, there he is, Nam Fan joining us. Big fight for him for Bellator, Bellator 131, this Saturday night on Spike TV against Mike Richmond. All right, let's move along. Uh, speaking of big fights, 
Our next guest has a very big fight on December 13th. UFC on Fox 13 in Phoenix, Arizona. He faces Nathan Diaz. He is on some kind of roll, most recently defeating in very impressive fashion the former UFC lightweight champion Benson Henderson. Of course, I'm talking about Rafael Dos Anjos. Rafael, how are you? I'm good, man. How about yourself? Well, uh, I appreciate you joining us today on this Monday. I know you're, you're going to training soon, so thank you very much for the time. You know, I was doing the show last week at around this time, and I got a tweet from you, and this, uh, this sparked my interest. You said, MMA media shows me no love. I keep beating top guys. I guess I need to talk more. So you're not feeling the love from us. You're feeling disrespected. Yeah, man, I, I, I've, been on the, I've been on the road for a long time. So uh, I've been in the UFC for six years, and so I, I, I have 16 fights in UFC. I've been the, the, the top guys on the, since I moved here. So I moved here uh, to chase my dreams, you know, like three years ago. And since I moved to California, I've improved a lot of my skills, and I've been show, showing the people who did. But I feel that, that people, people don't give the, the respect that, that I deserve, and no, all. that's why I feel. So why do you think that is? Why do you think people aren't giving you that respect? Yeah, man, I don't know, man. I really don't know. I, I, I ask myself all the time. But I think uh, what I have to do is I think uh, I keep beating people. So, you know, I keep, I keep winning my fight. And so and try to reach my goals, try to get my belt. That, that's, what, that, that, that's what I want. You say, I guess I have to talk more. I mean... Obviously, these days in MMA, the guys who talk a lot, they, they get what they want, but you can't force it. If you're not that kind of guy, it's hard to, to fake that sort of thing. So are we going to see you try to talk more trash, or, or are you just kind of throwing that out there like, okay, I, I know what you guys are doing. You follow the guys who talk a lot. You cover the guys who talk a lot, and that's why I'm not getting the love. Yeah, that's why I, I feel people who, who just got in FC getting uh, like a lot of hype on those guys like Conor McGregor. This guy just got and had three fights on UFC and a lot of hype on this kind of guy because they talk, you know, they talk a lot. But uh, it's not, it's not like, it's not, I, I'm not this kind of guy, you know, I prefer people see me because I, I, I'm winning my fights. That's, that's how I want people see me like that. But, I don't know, maybe, maybe that's what I was thinking. I, I, I need to talk more, you know, like call people out. Uh, it's, not, it's, not my, it's not how I am, but I, I feel I need to do this more, you know, to, to, to bring, like, the attention a little bit more for me. And what about after you defeated Benson Henderson? I mean, what a performance. He doesn't get finished like that. It, it was unfortunate for you because, you know, it, it was in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, so not a big market. And same day as the Michael Bisping-Kung Lee fight, even though you beat him, even though you beat a former champion and a top contender, did you still feel like right afterwards that people weren't talking about you enough? There was a bit of controversy. Some thought it was an early stoppage. Did you feel like you didn't get, you know, the uh, the attention that you deserved after a win like that? Yeah, I think the things got after that fight. The things got a little better. People start talking more about me, but I didn't think it was a. Uh, uh, early stoppage at all. Uh, I think people who, who watch the fight, who understand about MMA, uh, see that because the judge did a, uh, the judge did a, did a perfect job 
the judge is there to prevent the party to get hurt. You know, I think at that way, Ben Hunt's just gonna get hurt more because he was out. And after that fight, things got a little better. People start talking about me more, but I think my 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 big big dreams still coming. I have fight against a tough guy, Nathan Diaz, on December 13th. And my focus is on that fight right now. But I'm, I, I'm looking forward to be here and get my title shot. And then what about this tweet that you sent out on November 5th? Just bought the UFC game for my kids. They asked me why I'm not in it. I'm ranked third in the world. Help me out. At Dana White, at Lorenzo Fertitta. So not only are you not getting the love from the media, it sounds like you're not getting the love from your employers, or at least that's how you feel. Yeah, man, I, I really feel bad about that. I got a game for my kids, and they were asking me, why are you not in the game? Oh. Uh, they, they say, but I have a lot of guys that will be here, and they are here. Why are not? So, man, I, I was like, I have no words to just, I don't, I don't have, I don't know how to say to them. And then I made that tweet, you know, because I've been on the, like I said, I've been on the, the company for six years already. And I mean, I, you know, I moved here to try to get better, to, to you know, to, 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 to try to put a good show for the people, for the, for the, the, the fans. That's why I moved to California and I've been working hard for the past three years. And so, uh, man, I got a little kind of frustrated when I got the, one of my kids asking for that. So that's why I made that Twitter. When you uh, bought the game, before putting it in, did you know that you weren't in the game yet, or did you just find out when your kids were searching for you? Yeah, I just found out when oh. the kids were searching for me. Because I, I, I asked like for a couple of friends who bought the game before, and one of my friends, they say he's he's sitting on the game. And then when my kid, when I bought for my kids, I, I like uh, now I'm sure that I, I I'm not on the game. So that's why I did. You you keep talking about this great run that you're on, and you really are. I mean, you you've looked fantastic. Um, as of late, your last two fights, great finishes. You also defeated Jason High. You also have wins over Evan Dunham, Don Cerrone, etc. But, you know, not that long ago, you had the, the tough loss to Clay Guida at UFC 117. Also, a split decision to uh, Gleison Tebow. You lost at 139. I mean, you weren't, you weren't getting the big fights. You weren't getting, you know, any kind of attention. You weren't viewed as a top contender. How have you been able to turn things around? What's been the secret to your success? Yeah, that oh, I think after I moved here, uh, I got like I, I, I now I, I my focus is only training. Like my focus is training and go home, training, go home. You know, I think since I moved here, uh, all my hard work is being is being paid off. Since I moved here two years ago, and the training here with Marshall Cordero is 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 amazing for me. So I found, I found my team here. So every time that I have fight schedule, I call my, my master Gordo, Jiu Jitsu coach, and he came here. He stayed here with me, you know. And so the combination between Master Gordo and Rafael Cordero is an amazing combination. And I have another great friend, too, my Jiu Jitsu coach as well, Philippe de la Monica. He's helped, helped me out all the time. And Jacob Harmon, wrestling. 
And man, I just man, since they moved here, the thing got a lot better. Who convinced you to move there? Who who gave you that idea to leave Brazil and come to the United States? Yeah, once like before I moved, I came here to training. I stayed two weeks, and so I I felt that I, that I gotta move. If I, if I wanna reach my goals, uh, I gotta I gotta you know I gotta move to to California to training with the better better partners and uh, the fighters here the training is more competitive than Brazil and at that time the team that I was training in Brazil that wasn't that good so normally I go go training and people don't show up and I was there by myself uh, like training by myself to fight against the top guys in the world and so that's why I, I stayed here two weeks. I got a good training. That, that's why when I got home, I, I spoke to my wife, and I say we gotta we gotta move. I, I want to reach my dreams. I want to be UFC champion. So we gotta move. And now I did. You mentioned Rafael Cordero. He, of course, is also the coach of Fabricio Verdum. And I was watching the countdown show, and uh, Verdum has been in Mexico for the last couple of months preparing for his title fight this Saturday. And you're preparing for a big fight. It's essentially a month away. Has it been hard not being with Rafael Cordero as he prepares? You'll still get those last few weeks for, with him. But as you started your camp and whatnot, it sounds like he wasn't there. Has that been hard? Yeah, it's like, but he's, he'll be back next week. Uh-huh. But we was, uh, we was in Brazil together, train over there, because uh, we was in Brazil with Benny Dariushi. He fought there, and we was together. But... But Rafael is not here, but we talk every day. And my, my Benny Darius is helping me a lot. We always train together here. And he's holding me for me, sparring with me. I have, we have a big team here. So it's, it's, not like, it's hard to be without Rafael, but he's going to be here in one week. So we're going to have like four, four weeks to, 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 to be sharp. What was your reaction when they told you you're fighting Nathan Diaz, because for a while he was out of action. He hasn't fought. By the time you fight him, it will be over a year. Contract issues and whatnot. He wasn't really on the radar. What was your reaction when you got that call? Yeah, I I got a, I got a surprise because he he wasn't fight for a year. So and he's not easy on the top ten. Right. But but I the the title fight is scheduled for December sixth. And I wanna, I wanna be in shape, you know. I wanna keep active, and I think the only guy before me is Khabib, and but Khabib is out. He's he's just gonna be back next year, and so I I, I accept I, I accept this this fight because I wanna be in shape, you know. I wanna I wanna fight around the same time as the title belt. Because I, uh, after I, I really look looking forward to be Nate Diaz, he's a tough opponent. But after this, so I don't have who to fight anymore. So I I, I want to get my title sh- my title shot. Do you think he deserves a fight against the top three ranked guy? Do you, do you think he deserves this kind of fight, co-main event on Fox, especially since he hasn't fought in a year? So to be honest, I think no. I think I think no. He he's not deserved. But like I said, I, I, I accept this fight because I want to be active, I want to be in shape, and I want to fight around at the same time as the title fight. 
because so we have a good time to 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 like to fight next because I, I wanna I wanna I wanna have my chance. I wanna be I wanna be the first Brazilian to get this belt. I wanna bring this belt to Brazil. So any Brazilian got this belt on lightweight before, I I, I wanna be the first one. How far away from a title shot do you think you will be if you beat him on December thirteenth? I I hope I hope after beat him, uh, I hope I'm already there. I think I deserve it. I uh, man, it will be my seventeenth fight in UFC. I've been in the company for six years, so I think like like Melendez, he fought three times UFC. His first first fight was for the title. He lost. And he won. He he almost lost for Diego Sancho. It was a tough fight, and then he fought for the belt again. So, in my opinion, it's not fair. But after being eight years, I think I deserve a title shot. Are you concerned though that you know if Khabib comes back, since he's the only guy to beat you as of late, that he will get the shot first, even though he hasn't fought in a while? Yeah, I, that, that's why I say he's out. But if he's if he was like hundred percent, it's fair. So he get a title shot first than me, but he's out. So I think I think after this fight, I think it's my time. You know, I think I, I deserve this chance. How did you react to that loss? Because that that was a huge fight for you, and who knows what would have happened? You know, if if you defeated him, how close to a title shot, or if you would have already gotten a title shot um, uh, already? How did you react after losing to him in April? Yeah, I was I was feeling a lot of pressure before that fight. So I fought, I fought with a lot of pressure. I think for the fact to be like eight months, you know, eight months with no fight since he won his fight, it was eight months. I think that affects my performance a little bit. I, I'm not making any excuse. Khabib is a tough opponent. I lost for him. He did a great job. He did a, a good strategy. But I got, I got a little frustrated after that fight because I couldn't fight. So after fight, I was like 100%. I didn't got any damage. Right away, I called to my manager, say, I want to fight again. If someone get hurt, I want to fight. I want to fight so bad. So then they booked me to fight in 45 days after against Jason High. And so then I, I beat Jason High, and then I fought the hands right away. So do you feel like just the gravity of the moment, the stakes, a big fight, you know, you were the featured fight on the, the, the Fox card and all that uh, right before the main card, did you feel like that just got to you, like you got too nervous? Yeah, I was. Uh, I think the fight that should be eight months with no fight. And then I got a, I got a fight against, against Khabilov, Houston Khabilov before. Uh, but two weeks before the fight, Houston Khabilov got hurt. And then I was training so hard since October last year. And then Kabilov got hurt. And then my fight got rescheduled. I supposed to fight Kabilov on February. But the fight got rescheduled for April. And I think that I lost kind of a little rhythm. You know, I was really tired because I was training a lot. I think this, this makes a difference a little bit for me. Who do you think wins, Anthony Pettis or Gilbert Melendez? Uh, I think I think uh, Anthony Pettis will be him. You think Pettis retains? He's still the champion. Um, by the way, I also noticed via your Twitter, you you mentioned how it was sad to see what happened to Shogun. And I know Cordero has trained him in the past. Have you ever trained with Shogun? So I trained with him once 
at uh, but my normal Thai wrestling. Uh, I just feel bad because man, I like Shogun. He's a man. He's a legend. So he inspired me a lot in my career too. So I I felt uh, his opponent did a great job, but I, I felt bad because the way it was, you know. You know, you you are younger than him, just two years younger, and maybe haven't been through the wars that he has been. But does that does that kind of freak you out to see a guy at 32 years old who's done so well, and you know now he's in a tough spot in his career? Does it make you think about yourself like I need to get going here? I need to get this title shot and make some money and get this you know get get this career really going before you know the 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 sport of MMA can be very cruel and things happen very quickly. Did it make you start thinking about yourself when you saw that happen? Yeah, for sure, man, for sure. So uh, I, I just turned 30, you know. Like I said, I moved here. I got two kids, man, and I moved my whole life. I, you know, I, I made my plans, but, you know, I put I put my plans on God's hands, and I, I do my work, you know. That's how I do. But, I, I mean, I, I really I really feel that because I got kids, you know. I want to I wanna give a good life for them. And that's why I move. I move here to you know to 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 try to give give them a better future. So give them the opportunity that I didn't have. So man, I'm here. I, I want to be champion so bad. And how do you expect to beat Nate Diaz? This is going to be an interesting fight for you. He might talk to you. He might try to you know bait you and all that stuff. How do you expect to beat him? Yeah, uh, like I said, he he's a tough opponent. Uh, got good boxing, good jiu-jitsu, uh, long, long guys. So it's, it's tough to fight against tall guys. But uh, I, I've been training a lot. My my boxing skills, Muay Thai skills, wrestling. Uh, I think I, I'm better, well-rounded fighter than him. I got more weapons, but uh, I don't see. Uh, I have my strategies. So like, I wanna, I wanna like. We're gonna trade some points. It's gonna be a good good matchup for the fans. But I'm gonna I really looking forward to it. My shoot as well. Uh, it's hard to fight against all guys, but but I, I have this advantage. When I fight when I fight, I fight against all guys, I fight better. Oh. I did against Peroni, against uh Terry Erting, I fight against all guys. That's interesting. Why do you think that is? I don't know, man. In my whole life, when I was fighting jiu-jitsu tournaments, always when I fight against tall guys, I did. Man. I don't know why. I, I think my genetic, I, I a little shorter, and and then I, I fight good. You know, when I when I fight guys with long legs, so especially when I I'm on top, I I fight I fight well. Well, Rafael, I wish you the best of luck. Hopefully, you'll feel some love, you know, from this interview and beyond. I look forward to seeing what you do and say leading up to this fight on December 13th. And I look forward to the fight very much. A great fight, co-main event on Saturday, December 13th in Phoenix, Arizona. It's UFC on Fox, number 13, Rafael Dos Anjos versus the returning Nathan Diaz. A very important fight at 155 pounds. Rafael, thank you for the time. Good luck to you, and we'll see you in Phoenix. Thank you, my friend. See you there. Thanks for the opportunity. All right, there he is, one of the top contenders, very close to a title shot. Khabib Nurmagomedov, uh, the, the, the one thorn in his side as of late, so we'll see when he's ready to return. But it could happen that if Khabib uh, sees his return delayed for whatever reason, he does have that win over Donald Cerrone, and some people tend to forget that for whatever reason. You know, that, that fight could be 
very well the fight that propels him into that number one contender spot. We'll see December 13th. All right, let's go from the UFC lightweight division to the World Series of Fighting lightweight division. As I mentioned, Saturday night, very busy night for the world of mixed martial arts. The three top North American promotions are all putting on events, and one of the big fights on Saturday is a lightweight title fight for the WSOF lightweight title. Champion Justin Gaethje going up against longtime veteran of the sport, Melvin, the young assassin, Gallard, and he joins us right now on the MMA Hour. Melvin, how are you? What's up, Aaron? It's great to talk to you. Thank you very much for the time. By the way, are we still the young assassin? Even though you're a veteran now and whatnot, do you still consider yourself a young assassin? What you think, man? Of course I'm the young assassin, bro. You only get one nickname in this sport, and, I'm, and that's the one I'm going to live with and die with. I like it. Why change it? I don't like those people that pick their nicknames, by the way. Who gave you that nickname? I gave, my nickname. I gave myself a nickname. <laughs> I, was 14, I was 14 years old beating up grown-ass men, so I, I was well-deserving of giving myself that name. Okay, fair enough. So you just nowadays, thought of that on the spot? Nowadays, nowadays, guys are picking nicknames based off of what goes good with their name or some guys pick nicknames. It's definitely not based off of their fighting. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Do you still feel like that 14-year-old killer, the guy beating up the older guys? Is, is that guy still in you? I, I haven't taken any damage in a fight. You know what I mean? I haven't, I haven't gotten my ass whipped. So, you know, I have fresh legs. I still feel like I'm 20 years old. So I, I have no problem with that. You know what I mean? Um, you know, I, I feel like age is just a number, and it's, it's all about how you take care of yourself. So... How's life after the UFC? You had a great debut in World Series of Fighting in July. You defeated Jay-Z Cavalcante. Now you're getting a title shot. What's it like being a part of World Series of Fighting? It's great, man. I mean, life after the UFC, not so bad right now. You know what I mean? Um, you know, I'm with an organization that actually that actually is giving me a, a title shot. You know, I was with the UFC nine years and was never given a title shot. So I'm a, I'm a happy camper just, just for being able to fight for a title. Um, the money is definitely good, so I'm not complaining at all. I have no complaint. So you're feeling the love from them? Oh, yeah, of course, man. I mean, they, they might want to show me some love. If not, I'll show, I'll show what we're fighting for. Right. You know, uh, prior to that debut in July, the last time you fought outside of the UFC was 2008. What was it like just being in a different setting, different promotion, different people? What was that like for you? Uh, it feels good right now. I mean, you know, the, like like I tell everybody, you know, I miss, I miss being in the UFC you know, but I, I don't, I don't, I don't desire to be back no time soon. You know, I'm having fun with World Series. It's a new organization. It's new faces, new people. You know, um, and, and it's just, it's just refreshing. It give you, it's giving me a fresh start. You know, right now. You know, what I mean, the UFC. You know, being there nine years and with that one organization. You know, it, it, it started getting a little stale. You know, what I mean, and um, the traveling was fun, but you know, traveling all over the place. And, you know, it just got a little boring, you know what I mean? And um, when I got released, I wasn't so mad about it. I was like, you know what? Maybe God got something else in store for me. And here we are today talking about me fighting for a world title instead of talking about Melvin, one of you know, uh, top five contender in the UFC like, like it had always been. Right. Um, prior to that fight, you missed weight. Why? The, the time, they switched the time to 11. And I wasn't used to that, mm. so I I misjudged my my weigh in. You know what I mean? Like I was used to weighing weighing in at four o'clock in the afternoon, and when they told me eleven, I kind of misjudged it because whenever I do my weight cuts, I do a two day cut. So my two days ended up being one long day instead of two days. So I ended up not even getting any sleep that night. 
the night the night I was cutting, I was cutting until the next day. I had never slept, so it was it was very stressful. I was tired, and uh, it, it just ended up happening like that. You know what I mean? And you know, Jay Z tried to hit me for twenty for twenty grand. I was like, "Are you freaking crazy?" And I ended up still having to give him fifteen, but I was trying to only give him ten. But when I gave him the fifteen, I, I let him know. I let it be known that. You know, you want that 15 so bad because you're definitely going to get knocked out. And, you know, the way the way my contract is set up, you know, I, I get my bonuses. So I was happy. I earned, I earned my money back that I had to pay Jay-Z, so it wasn't no big deal. So when you say he was trying to hit you up, I mean, doesn't that go through the commission, or was he asking you personally for this? thing ever, bro. Like, normally through the UFC, it is through the commission. This one here, the commission was like, you guys hash it out, come up with, a, come up with an agreement. I was like, what? Because <laughs> normally it's like 6%, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, it was it was ridiculous, bro. So he had to go up to you personally and negotiate this with you? Well, yeah, we was negotiating. He never came up to me. He sent he sent his um, he sent one of his flockies. Well, I, I wouldn't even say that. He sent Sean. Sean's my buddy. I can't call Sean like that. But he sent Sean to come negotiate with me. And he wouldn't budge. He really wanted 20 grand. I was like, I'm not giving you 20, bro. I said, I don't care. I don't have to fight this fight. I said, I'll still fight for a title next. Who cares? And I was like, you probably need to make a paycheck right now anyway because you haven't been fighting. I had just fought for the UFC, so I was okay. So then he was like, well, 15. I was like 10. And he wouldn't budge after 15, so I was like, I'll give you 15. And then I was like, okay, you definitely get the 15, but you know it's going to come with a a price. So I ended up knocking him out, and I ended up getting the bone. I ended up doubling or tripling my money right back, so it didn't matter. By the way, who's Sean? Does he work for him or WSOF? No, they're teammates, man. Oh. One of, the team, one of the fighters. But no, the commission had nothing to do with the negotiation. Would you have preferred they, they get involved? I mean, it's kind of weird for the fighters to be negotiating this, right? I really would have because then he wouldn't even, he wouldn't have, he definitely wouldn't have gotten no 15%. Right. I mean, no 15, no 15 grand. Right. That's weird. So th- that actually pissed you off going into the fight and you, you, you put in your mind, I got to knock this guy out or I will knock this guy out. Yeah, I mean, dude, I, I go into the ring with the mindset I'm going to knock everybody out, bro. Justin Gaethje's the next on the hit list. I will be crowned world champion on the 15th. It's my time to get my sign, you know, and I'm not going to let anybody take that away from me. You know, plus, this this year, this June, this year, I made 20 years being an, being an MMA professional fighter, and I'm proud of that, you know what I mean? I, I, I hit two centuries already, you know, and, and I mean two decades, and I feel great. I still feel young. And I'm a finisher, you know what I mean? And I, I, I happen to have to stress that to people because, I don't know, I got people sleeping on me a little bit, but I'm only 31 years old, bro. I'm, like, I'm in my prime right now. So I think some, a lot of fighters should definitely be worried right now. So you're not feeling the love? I don't, I, you know me, bro. I don't care whether somebody loves me or hate me, you know what I mean? Right. I, I'm, already, I'm already, I've been around this sport long enough to know you're going to have people that are going to love you, they got people that hate you, and then you got the ones that stuck in the middle. When things are good, they're with you. When things are bad, they flop on you. So the only person I care about having my back at all times, all the time, is my wife. You know what I mean? She's my best friend. She's my rock. She, she, she's my biggest support system, bro. So I can care less if everybody in the world hate me, other than my family. You know, my family loves me. So, you know, as far as outsiders, I can care less. They all come and go anyway. So you mentioned two decades. Looking at your record, it says that you made your debut in November of 2002. So what do you mean by two decades? Nah, dude, I've been fighting professionally since I was 16 years old, bro. Y'all, y'all paperwork is not updated. I keep telling everybody that. <laughs> Turned off, not updated. 
I have won over 200 fights already. You know, some some are sanctioned, some are underground. But, dude, I've been fighting professionally since I was 16. I started MMA at the age of 14. I have 45 amateur fights that I've never lost. So at some point, you get bored of this and tired of it? I mean, that's a long time to fight. No, man. Like, no, no, no. Not at all, bro. I love it. You know what I mean? It's my childhood dream. It's what I want to do for a living. I love what I do. I love every minute of it. And right now, at the age of 31, it's about making money. You know what I mean? I've had the fun, you know, of, of becoming a famous fighter or becoming a UFC fighter. You know, I'm already a, a, a known famous fighter. Now I want to make the money. You know, and that's why everybody's like, really obsessed with me going back to the UFC, you know, unless the UFC can offer me more money when it's time to return, then I won't be going back, you know what I mean? Because everywhere I go, I'm already known as a UFC fighter, you know what I mean? So I have that status, you know what I mean? And I've had some great fights in the UFC, and, you know, I want to go back to the UFC eventually. But right now, man, I'm enjoying where I'm at with World Series. Uh, Like I said, I'm enjoying the fact that I'm about to crown world champion come November 15th, and I'm excited about that. And you know when people talk to you when you when you you're on the street in Florida and whatnot, do people are are people up to speed or is it the the case where people are saying, where did you go? You're not in the UFC. We don't we don't see you anywhere. What's what's the reception like? A lot of people aren't up to speed, and the funniest thing about it is, uh, my diehard fans are. Yeah. The funny thing about it is when I say I'm fighting for a world title and world series, they're like, well, who's the champion of world series? I like Justin Gaethje. And they're like. Who the hell is that? <laughs> I mean, he's a champion nobody even know of. So, you know, right now, he needs to win over me just so people can even know who he is. So I'd be damned if I allow him to be famous all of my name. You know, he's undefeated. He's looked good. What do you think of him? Are you impressed? I mean, I trained with him last year, you know, for about six months when I was up there with Grudge. And uh, I like Justin. He's a great guy. He's a tough fighter. He's just tough. But he's one of those guys... You know, he's tailor-made for a guy like me. You know what I mean? And when I say that, you know, guys like him that like to come forward, very aggressive, they all get knocked out, such as Shane Roller, um, uh, uh, Waylon Waylon Lowe. He was a tough wrestler, very strong. But those guys came forward and they got knocked out. So guys like Justin, he's he's just like those guys as far as fighters. I mean, I know he's working with Trevor. So in my mind, I'm I'm guessing he thinks he knows how to box. So that could be that could be the end of his night if he definitely come in here trying to outbox me because I'm I'm definitely the better striker here. What were those training sessions like? I mean, we just went at it. I mean, it's you know, people people like get the misconception of training and fighting for real. You know, you gotta understand when you're training, you're just sitting there to get in shape. No, I, I train different. You know, when I go to gym, I don't I don't care if a guy lands a hundred punches on me or. A guy takes me down a hundred times. You know, I'm in there to get in shape. You know, when I'm in the gym, it's there to get in shape. You have bodies in front of you to help you. You get the timing down. You know, we went out of that times, but being judged in the gym doesn't count in the ring. You know, and it was the same way with Jay-Z. You know, me and Jay-Z were training partners. And Jay, there were times where, you know, Jay-Z would pepper my legs to where my legs were sore. Uh, he would catch me with a liver shot. And then, you know what I mean, but when it was time to, when the lights came on and it was time to get paid, it was a different story. And people don't understand that about me. When it's time to get paid, I'm a different kind of fighter. But in the gym, I'm a smart fighter. That's why I haven't had any injuries. That's why I haven't had any knees blown out, any surgeries. I've never had a surgery. I've, I've been blessed to, to still be healthy after all these years because I train a certain way. Some people don't like how I train or how often I train, but... 
for me, it's smart. You know what I mean? And, and that's why I'm going to have longevity in my career. And you're with ATT, right? Yeah, I'm with ATT right now. And how's that going? Because, you know, the last couple of years, you've been looking for a home, bouncing around. How do you feel at ATT? Man, I'm good. I love all those guys at ATT. I'm not going anywhere. Um, when I retire from this sport, I'll be, I'll be retiring from ATT as a world champion. Do you feel like they've received you well? Like, what, why, why has it worked there as opposed to some other places? Well, I mean, it would have worked in Denver. Had, we came to an agreement on financial situations, you know what I'm saying? But, you know, I, I find it funny in this sport how I remember two years ago, you know, a, a coach would be honored to coach a guy, you know, in this sport. Oh, man, you give me an opportunity to coach you. I remember those times, not that long ago. Now, you know, you got coaches want to be paid more than the fighters. Coaches want, want more fame than the fighters, you know what I mean? And it's ridiculous. You know, I think, I think you know, some of these coaches are trying to put their hands in, in, in fighters' pockets a little bit too deep, you know what I mean? And they need to relax and chill, you know, and take what they can get, you know? Not all of us are making John Jones money, you know what I mean? And I think a lot of coaches need to get that through their hands, man. And just be honored to be able to train a guy that, that is in the upper echelon, that is, uh, that's going to be a legend one day, you know, and make your money off these schools. But trying to... Trying to get these big percentages off of fighters, man, I think it's, it's, it's getting a little bit ridiculous. So what percentage do you think the coach deserves? Me personally, I say 5, 5% across the board. That's what I say. I mean, that's what we pay at ATT, and, I, and, I, and I'm, I'm loving it. I, I, I like it. There's no problem with me. I mean, I think it's fair. You know what I mean? I mean, because coaches are supposed to make their money technically off of running schools and running a business. That's what I mean, because when, when, when somebody find out, oh, Melvin Gillard trades at ATT, that might get you 10 more clients, you know? Mm. You know, and, and that's how it works. I mean, I, I've seen it happen, like where people come to train at a gym because their favorite fighter trains there. And it's not just me, it's other fighters too, you know? And I feel that's where they're making their money. So why hit fighters up for 10 and one fifteen percent You know, we got agents we have to pay 15 to 20%. You know, we can talk percentages all day, but when you spread the money across the board, when we're not really making that much money, I think it gets a little bit ridiculous. That's all. So did you feel that was the case with Trevor Whitman in Colorado? That's why you left? Man, look, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here on, a, on, a, on an interview and blast Trevor like that. You know what I mean? We just didn't come to an agreement. Mm -hmm. It was a mutual agreement that we didn't come to, and that was it. It wasn't no, there's no bad blood, anything like that. Me and Trevor are still buddies. But it just, I wasn't okay with the percentage that he wanted, and we just parted ways. That was it. It was no, no big deal. So don't try to take this interview and make it out to be malicious. Because there was never nothing malicious about it. You know what I mean? It's just, we both were two adults, and we didn't, we didn't see how to own the percentage. That was it. When you're Sorry, when, when you're preparing for this fight, are you thinking a lot of those training sessions? Like, do, do you feel like you have a, a good read on who Justin Gaethje is going into this fight because you did train with him for six months? Of course. I mean, not just that, but I, I, I recorded all my training sessions with Trevor, majority of them. Oh, wow. I go, I go back every day, and I, and I watch myself work with Trevor hitting mitts. You know, I, I watch a lot of those videos. I watch video of me working with Henry Hoof when I was with the Black Billions. See, what people understand, I'm a striker. To be a great striker, you have to you have to move around sometimes and visit different striking coaches to pick up different techniques and different things. And I I done that along the way. I wasn't crazy. I mean, nobody nobody's ever promised to you. You know what I'm saying? So your marriage's not even promised to you. So you know coaches aren't aren't. So 
when I would go to these places, I would have my, my sessions recorded. Of course I'm going to go back and study those, those, those things because the same thing he was teaching me, he was teaching Justin. Mm. So you learn. I mean, dude, to be, a, to be a great fighter, you have to travel around and you have to get, you have to get advice and you have to get, you have to learn different techniques from different places, man, to be, to be a great fighter. You mentioned your 20-year career. How many belts did you get in that 20 years? I had eight. I had up to eight belts within the 20, and um, I vacated my kickboxing title to go to the UFC. I haven't had a title shot in, a, in the last 10 years as of right now, so I'm long overdue for a piece of gold, and I'm going to get that belt, man. How do you think it's going to feel when you get it around your waist? Have you been thinking about that, dreaming about it? Oh, yeah, dude. I've just been thinking about all the new people that's going to come back around into my life that I'm going to have to tell you out of my life. And all the old friends that disappeared on me when things got tough, when, especially when I got released from the UFC. It's very funny how a lot of people, several other people just kind of disappeared. You know, I'm okay with that, though. You know what? I got my best friend sitting right next to me right now, and she's all the friend I need. You know what I mean? And when it's going to feel bittersweet. And I know there's a lot of people out there wanting me to fail. That want me to that want me to not succeed and be champion, but I got I got a rude awakening from them. They're gonna be so disappointed. So do you feel like it's? And correct me if I'm wrong. Are you going into this fight with a bit of a chip on your shoulder? Like like you're out to prove a lot of people wrong. I'm always I always have a chip on my shoulder, bro. I'm Melvin Gillard, bro. And it, <laughs> like I said, I got a lot of people out there that don't like me for a lot of unknown reasons. But you know what? None of them will ever be mad enough to come to my face and tell me man to man because they definitely will take that ass whooping with it. So. I can care less, but I always have a chip on my shoulder, even as a fighter. I mean, that's that's the way you have to be in the game. You know what I mean? Like I said, I respect Justin. He's a friend of mine, but there there will there will be no there will be no pity on Justin when I'm in that ring with him on Saturday night. You know what I'm saying? I'm going for the kill. I go for the juggler. I'm gonna cut his throat. I'm gonna do whatever I can to win that fight, and, and it won't be. I'm gonna make it ugly. It won't be a pretty fight. That's the way I fight. That's what makes me who I am. Love it. Great to talk to you again, Melvin. Best of luck to you on Saturday, and uh, looking forward to seeing if you can get that belt around your waist once again. I will have that belt around my waist, Ariel, and I'll talk to you post-fight so that we can celebrate about it on, on air. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I look forward to it. All the best. All right, man. Thank you. There he is, Melvin Gillard, the young assassin, one and only. Uh, great stuff out of him, certainly with a large chip on his shoulder on uh, Saturday night, he'll be facing Justin Gaethje, WSOF lightweight title also on that card. Of course, David Branch, if you missed our interview with David Branch last week, tremendous stuff from him. He learned MMA from a, or at least was first exposed to MMA from a crackhead in a chicken uh, store, chicken shop, chicken restaurant. A crackhead in a chicken restaurant gave him a UFC tape, and that's when the WSOF middleweight champion, of course, he wasn't that at the time, he is that today. First was exposed to mixed martial arts. He faces Yushin Okami on Saturday. Justin Gaethje versus Melvin Gillard. And also Jessica Aguilar, the WSOF strawweight champion against Kalindra Faria. Three title fights on the line. And hopefully no, uh, no shenanigans there. Because I feel like in the history of mixed martial arts, something always bad happens when there are three title fights on the line. Dating back to early UFC, it just always seems like something screwy happens when there are three title fights on a card. Hopefully that's not the case. That's on NBCSN, 9 p.m. Eastern time uh, from Tampa, Florida. All right, so it's not just WSOF, as I mentioned. There's UFC, UFC 180, 
Mark Hunt versus Fabricio Verdum, and then there's also Bellator, a big Bellator. Part of this sort of Bellator tentpole event thing that we've been hearing for quite some time, the tournaments are no more, the weekly events are no more, it's going to be these kinds of events. And of course, this one is headlined by Stefan Bonner versus Tito Ortiz, also Michael Chandler versus Will Brooks, Joe Schilling versus Melvin Manhoff, and King Mo, who was supposed to fight Tom DeBlas, he's still in action on Saturday night. One of the men who will be calling the action on Spike TV on Saturday night is our next guest. He is, of course, Jimmy Smith. He joins us right now on the MMA Hour. Jimmy, how are you? Good, man. How are you doing, bro? I'm doing great. Thank you very much for joining us. So a lot to get to with you here. First, let's start with Stefan Bonner and Tito Ortiz. I thought that you were the one shining light from that segment a few months back at the Mohegan Sun. You held on to the microphone, and, <laughs> and, and you noted that as well, which is the number one rule. You didn't give it up, so kudos to you. But... When you were in the midst Thanks, of all man. that, what were you thinking? You know, two masks, the, the, the things that were said, what was going through your mind when you were front and center in the middle of those two guys? It, it sounds funny, um, kind of like holding on to the mic is a gimmick, but like I, all I was thinking was I, we can't lose control of the show. You know, I mean, people have this idea, and, and I've heard it a million times, that Bellator, quote-unquote, set up, that it was staged. We had no idea what was going on when... You know, Justin McCulley came in with a mask and everything. I don't know who he is. I don't know what Stefan is talking about. When they unmasked him, I still didn't know who it was. So it's kind of like you're just holding on at that point. And we knew they might push and shove. That's why there were so many people in the cage, just in case something happened. But as far as this theatrics of Justin McCauley and the mask guy and all that stuff, um, confused, confused, <laughs> and just hoping the show doesn't go completely off the rails production-wise. And thankfully it didn't. I believe you when you say that. I believe everyone who has said that after the fact. But is that is that a good thing? Like, should 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 you try as a company, as a promotion, to avoid those situations? Should someone have asked Stefan Bonner, you know, who is this guy in the mask? What are you doing? What's your plan here? Uh, completely. Like, my first thing was, like, how did this guy get in here? When I saw him cage side, because he had the mask on all night. Like, he was cage side with the mask on. I thought it was a TNA wrestler. I literally thought, oh, this must be a TNA guy, and, like, this mask is his shtick. And, and you get in there, and, and, you know, suddenly there's this guy. I have no idea who he is, why he has a mask on, what is going on. Um, yeah, why, why those kind of things happen in the first place? Yeah, I, I think the same thing everybody else thinks about that kind of stuff. Um, when we blocked it originally, meaning, you know, deciding where everybody's going to stand camera-wise for the director and everything, Nobody was in the building. We rehearsed about five hours before the show starts. So Stephen Bonner wasn't there. Tito wasn't there. Scott Coker wasn't there. When we blocked it, we just went, okay, we'll have him stand here and him stand here. It's not like we rehearsed it, like staged it. We had no idea. So when all those people came in the cage, it was just as much shock to me and the producers as it was to everybody else. If you watch the incident, I turn to the camera and I say, I'm going to hold the mic. People thought I was like talking to the fans. I'm talking to the producer because I can't. Obviously, speak to him, not, you know. Right. So I turned to the camera and went, I'm going to hold on to the mic just so he didn't panic. Because he's in my ears going, what's going on? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I look at the <laughs> camera, I'm kind of like shaking my head because we don't know what's going on. So, you know, you try and keep it on the rails. But the difficulty is, you know, I mean, a lot of people have asked me about this. Um, like John Jones versus Daniel Cormier, when they shoved each other on, on stage. You can't really control that kind of thing as a promotion. You want tension, you want animosity, you want the hype, but you don't want it going so far off the rails that everybody gets suspended, which can happen. Um, so, yeah, it's a fine line, and it's, it's really hard to walk as a promotion, but 
as a production, which is the side I'm on, I'm just trying to hold on to the mic and keep it from make sure we have time to go to commercial. So it's kind of a you know a war between these you know various things that are pulling in different directions. So yeah, it's not easy. Who taught you that rule? Never give up the mic. Uh, I think my first day there. <laughs> uh, somebody told. So no, my first day of. of I did M1, and um, we didn't have Kate's interviews. We didn't have anything holding the mic. I don't remember, but somebody, I think the producer, um, told me, he said, oh, yeah, rule number one, you can never let go of the mic because you lose control of the show. I mean, we got to cut to commercial, and Stefan Bonner's still yelling and screaming, we can't go to commercial. And, and you know, being a televised show, we don't have a three-hour pay-per-view where a guy can grab the mic and thank everybody, and, and you know, you have a three-hour block of time. We don't. Most of the time when I'm interviewing a fighter, they're counting in the air like down from 15, saying, okay, you got to cut this off in five seconds. So if I lose the ability to do that, I, I, I can't control the show anymore, and that's huge. So what's the impression that you're getting from people? Did that spark their interest? Because I believe a lot of people will say, oh, this is ridiculous and whatnot, but they'll, yeah. they'll still watch. They're, they're just saying that for whatever reason. Oh, it's too pro wrestling, but they're still talking about it. They're still watching. Do you get the sense that more people are interested in this fight because of these theatrics, or have people been genuinely turned off? I, I think more people are in the category you're talking about where, where they've expressed disapproval with it, but they'll watch it. Mm. Or they'll, they're interested in it and don't want to admit it. Um, because the one thing I can tell you, man, is, is they really hate one another. And people ask me, somebody asked me, they said, what's the difference between you know, a WWE type thing and what you guys did? And I said, we didn't script anything. We didn't tell Stefan. Like, I don't know why. And when Stefan explains why he hates Tito so much... It's really weird. It's really obscure. <laughs> it's like he starts talking about ex-managers and, and, you know, I'm an MMA insider and I don't know who these people are. <laughs> when we were doing the, um, the Winner Take All show, in between takes, they would, like, argue. Like, they really hate each other. They were, like, arguing in between takes. And it, it really degenerated into this kind of really, really insider baseball kind of stuff. Well, this manager so-and-so back then that you didn't pay and Tito's arguing about paying him. I'm... And I'm like, I don't even know who they're talking about. So it's like, if Bellator had set this up, we would have made it a much more easy-to-understand kind of rivalry because his animosity goes way back about weird stuff that, that's really hard to follow. But it's there. I mean, they really hate one another. So because it's so personal, what are you expecting out of these guys? Are you expecting it like a barroom brawl where, where all strategy goes out the window and they're just going to fight off emotions? Or are you expecting you know, a vintage Bonner, he hates this guy, so he's going to bring it out, or vintage Ortiz? I, I really have no idea what to expect from this fight. What about you? No, neither do I. It, it, to me, it's all about camp. Hmm. Um, these guys aren't, aren't you know, this isn't 10, 15 years ago. It's about who made the little tiny adjustments in camp. Stephen Bonner coming in off a long layoff. Cheeto obviously coming off neck surgery. It's who got through eight weeks healthy. It's who made the right preparation. It's who did all these things that, that prime you physically and mentally for the fight. I mean, these, all these lead-up things get much more crucial as you get older. Every fighter talks about as they get older, you know, training smarter, training smarter. Whoever trained the smartest is going to win this fight. Strategy-wise, once it starts, Tito's used to being an emotional fighter. That's kind of, that's kind of where Tito lives is in that zone where – you know, he's talking trash to his opponent. So he's used to emotional fights. Um, I think it's going to be how Stefan approaches this. Because generally, he's always fought aggressively. He's always fought hard. I don't remember a lot of bad blood in his fights. So it's will the emotions eat him up? Because it's a little bit of new territory for him. He's always been aggressive, but I don't remember this kind of personal animosity going into a lot of his fights. How do you feel about this fight going on last above the title fight? Great rematch, Will Brooks, Michael Chandler. How do you feel about that? 
Well, one thing is, I think it'll be a bit more dramatic in terms of for Will Brooks uh, versus Michael Chandler. I think they're obviously in their prime. They're in much better, you know, in terms of the top ten argument. Their fight will mean a lot more, mm-hmm. but I think we're going to see deep water. I think we're going to see a tactical fight. We're going to see two guys that are hard to finish. I think we're more likely to get that spectacular fight-ending, card-ending kind of moment with the Tito versus Bonner. You can criticize where they are in their careers, but the reason you know the thrill in Manila was so great is they were just past their prime and couldn't quite finish the other, so it led to a war. I think we might see that again with these two guys. So I think we have a better chance of it ending the card on that high-note finish. Because Chandler Brooks, as good as they are, I think we're going to see a war, but we could see those five rounds. We could see more of a tactical engagement. Stephen Bonner, I think, is going to be a lot. I mean, Bonner versus Tito is going to be a lot bloodier. I think we're more likely to see that top finish. So the new Scott Coker regime, they have one season under their belt, and of course the seasons are no more. This kind of signals the end of Bellator's 2014 and a lot of a lot of big things planned for 2015. What do you make of the new regime? Because you were very much, correct me if I'm wrong, you were a Bjorn guy, right? You got along with Bjorn. I believe he brought you into the company and all that stuff. So what did you make of the switch from Bjorn to Scott Coker? Well, the, as far as the structure, it's... it's you know, everybody knows last season was Bjorn's season. I mean, Bjorn, you know, signed the fighters. He, it was kind of the last hurrah of the old regime was the last season. So Scott didn't have a chance to really change things around and do it the way he wanted to do it. Um, things are much more laid back is the best way to put it. <laughs> um, you know, people are, are a lot more relaxed under Scott Coker. He's much more of a, hey, what do you think kind of guy. You know, bringing in everybody and their opinions and, you know, that, that, that's a step away from what we've been dealing with before. But this is really the kickoff to the Scott Coker era is November 15th. You know, it's, it's really, this is his first big swing at the pitch. And we're going to see what he can bring. Um, what I've seen, like I said, is, is more of that bringing everybody into the process a lot more. His management style is very, very different than Bjorn, who was single-minded and driven and got you know, Bellator so far with that vision, but that same single-mindedness could make him very difficult to work with. And, and so this is Scott's big swing, is, is November 15th. I mean, that's going to kick off. These are the kind of fights we're going to see next year. So I'm interested to see it. As an employee, as a guy, you know, as a commentator, I'm interested to see how it goes and the changes he makes. Are you a fan of getting rid of the tournament? It made things really promotionally difficult. It made it unbelievably difficult. And, and, and the best story I can tell that, that from my own experience is, is the first Eddie Chandler fight. We had this great fight, um, obviously a new champion, Chandler. I thought it was fight of the year, amazing fight. Somebody from Bellator ran up to me as soon as it was over, like as soon as we signed off and you know, I took my headset off. And he ran up and he goes, oh, my God, this is so amazing. It's going to do so much for us. And I turned to the guy and I said, what am I going to say? Tune in next season where Eddie Alvarez might win a tournament and get a rematch if he beats three guys in a row. Mm. And the guy just went, it just deflated him completely. <laughs> and I said, we can't ever strike while the iron's hot. If you like a guy and he loses in the first round of the tournament, you don't see him for nine months. The reload process was so incredibly difficult. I mean, that was the criticism. Guys would get hurt. A tournament champion would get hurt. And so everything would back up. So our tournaments, I remember one time um, introducing a fighter, I forget what weight class, and I wanted to talk about the champion, and I couldn't remember who the champion was. Wow. And we finished our piece, and I was like, and it, you know, it came back to me, obviously, 
And I was like, I was sitting down. I was so mad at myself. I was God, how did I forget that? And I sat there and I go, because I haven't seen him fight for like a year and a half. So yeah, I don't remember who it is. And that's the problem with the tournament format is it made this fight, this pinnacle fight, the tournament champ versus the champion, took half a year. It was very hard to strike when the iron was hot. So we'll be able to see a lot more of that next year. I'm excited about it. There's around 16 or so shows scheduled for next year, from what I understand, one a month, and then there'll be like four really big ones, as, as they call uh, tentpole events. For you personally, as a broadcaster, as someone who has to sit there for what, like six or so hours and call these fights, when you were doing it back-to-back-to-back to back to back for 13 straight weeks, and you just finished up the last season, and it won't be like that anymore, like, did you get burnt out? I mean, how, what was it like traveling to all these places back-to-back, back, not having a lot of time to prepare and all that stuff? What, what was that experience like as a broadcaster? Last week was rough. <laughs> that last, like, you know, the last, like, two or three weeks, like, the first two months were pretty good, and then that last month was, you, it started grinding on you. Um, everybody in the crew started noticing it. People were snapping at one another over stuff, and it, it that last three months, and it was spent time on the road, that, that last week or two of the three months, it is brutal. And um, promotionally, um, I remember I was doing an interview with um, Mar Ronell one time, and, and he threw a curveball at me and goes, so in three weeks. <laughs> I literally had to like run to my computer and, and, and get up the fight in three weeks because I don't know. I'm dealing with one fight a week. And the idea that I don't know what's happening in two or three weeks, you know, how are the fans supposed to know? When you do that many shows, I mean, it's like they almost blur together. I mean, you're, you're having trouble keeping them separate in your head, and that's my job, you know, let alone the fans. So I'm looking forward to being able to build up to be able to talk about a fight for a long time, to be able to you know, engage the fans for a good month or two about a particular fight is going to be a nice change of pace. So I've talked to a lot of people on and off the record since June, and everyone has the same answer. I'm wondering if you'll have the same one as well. Have you talked to Bjorn Rebney? Everyone says no. No one knows where the heck he is. Do you know where he is? No. Have you talked to him? I have not. Why? I, I, from the bottom of my heart, nope. I have not spoken to him at all. I have no idea what he's up to, what he's doing. It's yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. Were you friends? Well, like, what was your relationship like? Well, he pretty much left me alone. Um, <laughs> That's it good. Was, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how, how other commentators, you know, their relationship with, with their bosses is, but he, people have this idea that, that you know, like he was in my ear during a show telling me to hype a certain guy. No, he pretty much left me alone. I pretty much didn't have to deal with him very much. Um, so as far as the show went, you know, I don't have many of the, the, the negative experiences or negative stories. He kind of pretty much left me alone to do my job. Um, so, yeah, the, but on the flip side, when it was a regime change and someone else comes in, I didn't feel the particular need to contact him either. So, you didn't say goodbye, yeah. best of luck, it was a pleasure, nothing? Nothing. Zero. Heard nothing from him. You have no yeah. idea where he is? No idea. That is fascinating. How long did you work with this guy? Literally no clue. Yeah. <laughs> that is unbelievable. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe one of these days he'll resurface. Um, maybe. Wa- we'll see, man. It's, it's, it's like he's, he's, he's become the Yeti or something. Who is, it's unbelievable. We saw him every <laughs> single week for you know yeah. how many weeks a year, and now all of a sudden no one knows where he is. He's not tweeting nothing. Um, Melvin Manhoff, Joe Schilling, what a fun fight. It's a classic strike force fight. It's right out of Scott Coker's playbook. What's your prediction? I'm setting the line of takedowns for both guys combined at one. You go with the over or the under? I'm going with the over simply wow. because what you call a takedown. Because if you watch Muay Thai, if you watch Glory, and I know you do, you yeah. know, yeah. I watch kickboxing, that tangled up mess where fighters get separated all the time, which 
people who don't like Muay Thai, that's why they don't like it, or kickboxing, you know, when they separate them. In those instances, Joe Schilling isn't used as used to fighting Muay Thai in an MMA context as much as Manoff is. So he might get tangled up, grow a bad knee, and end up getting tossed. And I think that would be more of an issue for Schilling. That's something he needs to worry about. But that Muay Thai clinch where their legs get all tangled up and one guy slips and falls, we might see that a couple times. Schilling isn't used to He's used to a referee then separating him and standing up. Manoff is a little more conscious of his balance. He sets his, his stance a lot lower when he fights MMA. That's something Schilling's not used to. So I think he might fall or slip, what you might call a throw, more than once. I think a couple of times we might see that. What's your take on King Mo? Because, you know, he has those losses to Noon. He's in that weird territory, like a guy like Chad Mendez in the UFC or I Faber, where you, you lose to a champion a couple of times, and it's not, you know, it's not very clear where you're going because you're not going to get, typically, another shot at the guy. So how do you feel about King Mo these days? Well, King Mo is one of the most physically talented guys uh, in Bellator. I mean, in MMA period. I mean, you know, his, his credentials, his wrestling, his explosiveness, he has all the tools to put it together, but you're exactly right in terms of promotionally. It's, it's You don't ever want the Rich Franklin effect. Well, you're the best guy who isn't the champion. Um, it's hard to sell somebody. Two is usually your limit. It's hard to sell somebody on a rematch with a guy. First, he knocked him out, and then I thought it was a very clear, unanimous decision for the second fight. It's hard to sell the fans on a third fight with Emmanuel Newton. That being said... There are some tough guys coming up at 205, Liam McGeary especially. Mm. If someone took the title away from Emmanuel Newton, um, I don't think it's hard to sell a championship fight with King Mo. I think it's tough with Emmanuel Newton. Right. But I think if Newton loses to the title to any of those 205ers, then you're talking about him definitely being in the mix. He's talented. So uh, of all the fights on the main card, Fan, Richmond, Schilling, Manhoof, Lawal now against uh, Joe Vedipo, uh, Brooks Chandler, Ortiz Bonner, which one sticks out? Which one are you the most excited for? Brooks Chandler. Brooks Chandler, yeah. Sure. That's the With, hardcore fan's doubt, delight, right? That's my number one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Chandler. I'm a huge fan of Brooks. Um, if, you know, Brooks has a big, 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 big chip on his shoulder. Um, and completely. I mean, I, and, and I understand it. I mean, I understand it completely. So this is a guy who beat Chandler last time. And yet still, when you talk for most, to most MMA people, most MMA media, Chandler, 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 Chandler. And uh, Brooks won the last fight. Everyone seems to kind of forget that. I scored it for Chandler, but the judges gave it to Brooks. He won. He got the belt. He deserves that championship respect. And I don't feel he's getting it. And so you're getting a dangerous guy physically anyway, a guy with a lot of talent, a lot of ability, and you're giving him some extra motivation. But Chandler's a beast. So that's the fight I'm really looking forward to. Jimmy, big fan of your work. Keep it up. And uh, great job holding that mic a, a couple months back in Connecticut. That was fantastic, especially your line at the end that you still had the mic. Good luck this Saturday. A big show for Bellator. We'll be watching. Appreciate the time, as always. Hey, thanks a lot, brother. I appreciate it, man. All right, there he is, Jimmy Smith, color commentator for Bellator MMA, Bellator 131 this Saturday on Spike TV. Okay, let's move along now. Very excited to welcome in the reigning, the defending UFC heavyweight champion. It's unfortunate he was supposed to fight this Saturday night, UFC 180 in Mexico City against Fabricio Verdum. That is not happening, at least for now. Uh, he will not be in action, had to pull out of the fight. So very uh, thankful and, and appreciative that he is joining us right now for a couple minutes right here on the MMA Hour. Of course, I'm talking about the one and only Cain Velasquez. Cain, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I wanted to play you this just to get you in the mood. I know you're not going to be uh, fighting on, on Saturday, so I just wanted to play you. Oh, I, I screwed it up. Look at me. I screwed it up. I got so nervous that we were... In, 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 in front. Here it is. Your song. There it is. 
We, we were talking a few uh, cool. weeks back that your entrance song is my favorite, so I just wanted to play it just awesome. to put you in the mood, but I, I screwed it up. Anyway, uh, Kane, I appreciate the time. How are you feeling? We had your coach on a couple of weeks ago, um, Javier Mendez. Yeah. He told us about the injury, but tell us how are you feeling after the uh, the surgery? I'm uh, feeling good, you know. Uh, you know, uh, once again, I've I've been through this before, so it's uh, you know, it sucks, but um, it's something that that I have to do for my career. So you know, I thought this was best. You know, I tried everything I could do, make the fight, and you know, just I just couldn't. So um, you know, did the surgery. The surgery went well. Um, the doctor, you know, and obviously, it just seems like every time you go in for surgery, the, the doctor you know actually finds more stuff wrong with you than than previously thought. So. You know, and that was my case. Uh, so yeah, yeah. So right now, just just you know, rehabbing this uh, right now, and just, just trying to get back as soon as possible. What was the more stuff that they found? So um, before my my MCL, um, I felt that was uh, uh, was pretty loose. You know, and in, in training, I felt like uh, my body would twist one way, but my my leg would, would kind of stay in 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 one one direction. So I kind of felt like. Very unstable. So, um, with that, I kept telling the doctors that, hey, you know, I think my MCL is, is kind of jacked up because I feel like, you know, this is this is going wrong with it or, or whatever. And then they obviously said that my um, my meniscus was was tore also, but my my MCL was fine. Once I went in for surgery, they put me out, and the doctor was able to, to bend my knee around and you know found out that my my MCL was actually. Uh, just, just really, um, you know, stretched out where he can kind of move my, my leg around, you know. So he found out the MCL was messed up. So he ended up reattaching the MCL and, and also, uh, you know, working on the uh, meniscus. So, so does March still seem like 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 doable for your return, or do you think because of that it's going to be a little later? You know what? Right now, I don't know. Um, I'm just going to play by ear. You know, take every day. You know. Just try to get better every day. You know what I mean? Just do the rehab, listen to the doctor. Um, you know, that that's pretty much all I can do. You know, I would love to make dates early. I would have, you know, I'll, all I wanted to do was, was fight in Mexico for, for this card, you know, and it kind of sucks that I, that I can't do that. Um, so, you know, just, just pick up where I left off and just kind of like take care of this right now and, you know, just try to get better. That, that, that's pretty much it. What was it like when you came to that realization that you wouldn't be? I know how big this was for you and your family. It was so important for you, and you, you, you know, it felt like you were the one guy on the one card that they couldn't afford to lose. So it was devastating for all involved. But what was it like for you when you came to that realization that you wouldn't be fighting in Mexico? Um, just, just, just sucked. You know what I mean? Um, um, going through practice every day, and you know, just limiting, just you know, just not really doing the stuff that I could do as far as rolling. You know, I try to. Roll, roll some of the some of the days that I could, and some days I couldn't, and you know I just said, hey, I'm gonna just baby it until I can, until I get two weeks out, and then two weeks out I'm gonna try to you know do everything, kick, you know, be on the ground, it doesn't matter, but I'm gonna do what I can do to make this fight, and you know when I finally realize that you know I can't do it, my you know it's just not working for me, you know, um, yeah, it just sucks, you know, it feels it feels like. Uh, you know, like, like like something's destined, you know what I mean? Like, this is where I'm destined to be. I'm destined to fight this card. Um, and it just didn't turn out that way, you know? So it just, yeah, it just, just kind of devastating to me. And from what I understand, you're still going to Mexico, right? You'll be doing some PR stuff there? Yeah, 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 I'm going there. Um, yeah, I'm doing some PR stuff for, for the uh, UFC. 
And, um, you know, I want to be, be there for the guys, you know, so, you know, the, the guys that, that want the tough show, um, the guys that I helped out and, you know, um, I want to be there for them also for sure. So is that almost going to make it harder? Like if you didn't have to go, you can just maybe not watch it and do something else on Saturday, but to be in that arena in front of your people and people that you train with and were expecting to fight on the same card as what's that going to be like, is it going to eat you up inside? Yeah, definitely. It, 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 it will for sure. You know, um, but yeah, you know, it's not going to happen. So it's going to suck. Yeah. Being there, you know, being, being there and wanting to fight, but, uh, you know, there's nothing I can do about that right now. So, so yeah. What do you make of the UFC's decision to put in a interim title? Do you agree with this move? Yeah, that's fine. I mean, I've been active for a while, so to me, you know, that, that stuff doesn't matter. You know, just as long as when I fight, I fight for a belt and that's all that matters for me. So, I don't really care that that you know that that they decided to do that. Yeah. You know, as you mentioned, you've been inactive for a while. You've had a few surgeries. Uh, mm-hmm. It's been over yeah. a year. Are you starting to worry about you know the way your body is reacting to training? No, because when I train, you know, I train well. You know, so um, I just I think just you know when something's wrong with me, I just kind of work through. You know, that that's my mentality. You know. Um, even if something hurts or, you know, something's injured. I mean, I think my, my, my pain tolerance is pretty high where it's pretty, you know, it's pretty bad where it might need surgery, but I'll, I'll just kind of work through it. So, you know, um, again, it's part of the sport, you know, we all go through it. I might, I might've gone through it more than, you know, than, than most, but, um, you know, I'm going to keep doing it. Yeah. Uh, before you suffered that final injury that forced you to pull out of the fight, how close to 100% were you? Because you were still battling a knee issue. So, like, were, were you? Yeah. Were you even like 80%, 70%? Probably, um, probably 80%. Yeah, you know, it was it was, it was just hard because, um, you know, I guess I've had this knee injury for, for for a while, but all of a sudden for this camp is when it it really just you know uh, just just broke my face, you know, mm. and. I was just saying, you know, if, if I knew that it was just bad, I would have just got it done when I got my shoulder done, you know, then I'd be done with it. Right. And, you know, um, yeah, having to do it, um, you know, pretty much going through a whole training camp, I mean, that, that just makes it just, just that much worse. So, um, so yeah, yeah, it's just, you know, just all, all those factors that, that, that come into play when, when thinking about this. You know, uh, well documented that you weren't 100% going into that first JDS fight. Do you think if you didn't go through that experience and suffering your only loss that you probably would have fought through this and, and this was such a big deal for you? Like, like obviously you don't want to go through all that again and fight when you're not 100% yeah. and take one for the team. Do you think that almost led to your decision to say, you know what, I just can't risk it this time around? Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, I just kind of made a promise to myself that, you know, if something like that ever comes up where you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just really bad or it's, it's, it's a big injury that I'm not going to go through with it, you know? So I just made that promise to myself that I wouldn't do that again. Um, yeah. How's the shoulder by the way? <laughs> so it was great. Yeah, it's been great for, for, you know, since, since, since I got the surgery. So I haven't had any problems with it, uh, during training, you know, coming back or anything. So I'm happy about that, you know, just kind of, kind of sucks that once you get over something that right. it else comes along and kind of kind of sets you back yeah can you do anything in training i mean obviously the knee is a big part of everything but like are you able to do anything or do you just have to stay on the couch for now right now you know just uh lift of her body you know i can i, I can do the airdyne you know like one leg on the airdyne and then you know using the uh the arms so i mean i can do some some stuff here and there yeah 
What about DC, your old friend becoming captain of AKA? Are you in support of this? Yeah, yeah, I am. You know, he's he's been my coach, uh, you know, forever. He's the one who helps, helps me out with the wrestling, and that, that's always in my corner. So, yeah, yeah, I definitely do. Uh, yeah. It, you know, yeah. Are you going to be able to help him prepare for a Jones at all? I'm going to try. I'm going to try. You know, again, just listen to the doctor and, um, you know, hopefully just rush the, this whole thing and, you know, of course, you know, smart, but but uh, but but try to be you know quick about it. Yeah. Uh, have you said in your mind, and we'll let you go in two minutes. Have you said in your mind how uh, how many more years you want to do this for? Uh, you know, you're putting your body through a lot. You're the the baddest mm-hmm. man, the heavyweight king. Do you know how long you want to do this for? I don't have a set date. No, I'm gonna keep doing it until I can. You know, uh, or until I can do it pretty much uh, successfully. You know, so. Again, you know, playing it by year, I don't have a set date, but uh, I feel like I'm I'm still competitive out there where I can, you know, where, where, where I can be at top, you know, just on top. So I'm going to try to do that. Who's your pick, for Doom or Mark Hunt? I think for Doom, you know, I think uh, Mark Hunt just has the, uh, just has that, you know, the the knockout power, and that's pretty much it. I think for Doom, you know, with his length, also if he goes to wrestling, or if he goes on the ground, um, Doom has it. But uh, um, you know, I think on on the feet, uh, with that with that the power that um that Hunt has, I think he has a you know good chance of winning it there. But I think that that's pretty much it. And final question: I know you want to get back and and fight wherever, whenever. But is it still a goal of yours? Do you want to repay the fans in Mexico? Do you still want to fight there sooner rather than later? Yeah, yeah, definitely sooner. Um, yeah, that's the you know, yeah, just looking forward to you know. For this fight, and not not now that it's not happening. I mean, yeah, I I definitely want to fight there. Yeah. All right, Kane. Thank you very much. Really appreciate the time. Get well soon. Safe travels to Mexico, and good luck with the team uh, this weekend as well. Thank you. Cool. Thank you. All right, there he is, the UFC heavyweight champion Kane Velasquez, joining us. Totally botched his uh, his entrance song there. Um, that's that's on me. I was doing it myself. I thought of it late and late in the game. Um, thought it maybe brightened him up, but it didn't really. Nevertheless, if you're a fan going to the event, you're in Mexico. Good to know that at least Cain Velasquez will be there. I do believe he is doing the Q&A before the event, uh, before the weigh-ins on Friday. And uh, I'm sure they'll have him do some PR stuff and meet the people. So at least he will be there. Got to make it a little tough, but um, at least his presence will be felt in Mexico City. Looking forward to getting over there. Uh, When do I get there? early Wednesday morning. All right, let's move along. One of the big winners on Saturday night was Ally Quinta. Huge win over Ross Pearson, co-main event of that show in Sydney, Australia. Uh, fantastic finish, fantastic post-fight interview. Everything was fantastic out of the Long Island native. And he joins us right now. It's very early in the morning over in Sydney, Australia. He is still there. It's, in fact, almost 7 a.m., and look at Ally Aquinta, outdoors, tank top, just living the dream over there in Australia. How are you, my friend? I'm doing good, man. Doing good. Sydney's treating me well. Where are you right now? Uh, about 12 hours north of Sydney, Byron Bay. Okay. What are you doing there? We took our... I'm just chilling, man. <laughs> a, bunch of the, a bunch of the guys from the UFC... Uh, the people that work for for the the company came up and rented a, like a villa. It's pretty cool. Me and uh, me and Aljamain Sterling came up. Going to get some surfing in today. Just hang out and relax for a little bit. 
Now, did you plan this before the fight or after you won? You're like, all right, I'm sticking around. This is a good place for me. I'm going to celebrate. Uh, kind of both. I knew that um, one of the gentlemen that worked with the UFC, Brock, he had told me in Halifax that they were doing this. And I, I never like to make plans for after the fight, so I kind of gave him a tentative yes. I said, we'll see how the fight goes. And uh, right after I fought, he was like, yo, man, what's the plan? You coming up or what? <laughs> and uh, I talked to, talked to Sterling, Aljamain, and he was like, yeah, let's do it. So we, uh, we're going to hang, shoot down to the beach in a little bit, get some training in, and uh, it's going to be a good one. How long are you staying there for? I don't know, man. <laughs> I'm halfway across, yeah, I'm halfway across the world, so I'm going to, I've always wanted no, no. Did we lose Al? Al, are you there? No, I'm still here. Okay. You got me? Yeah, yeah, it, it froze on us for a second, but we still got you. Um, all right, so all right. this was a big fight, a big opportunity, a big stage, veteran of the sport. You weren't the favorite. Honestly, now, and I know you were confident going into the fight, did you think you'd be able to stop Ross Pearson on the feet like that, impressive fashion early in the fight? Did you think that was going to happen? Uh, it was definitely one of the scenarios I played out in my head. You know, I, I think about the fight constantly leading up and, uh, you know, I was, I go through getting beat up for two rounds and having to come back and win and all these different scenarios. And one of them was definitely going out there and just having a flawless performance, you know, not really taking too much damage and, uh, you know, just sticking and moving good footwork, doing everything that we, we game plan and, and go over and practice. It was really just like a sparring match. I, uh, one of one of our guys, Johnny Bonilla Bowman, has a really uh, he's got a style similar, but he puts a lot more pressure on. So this was actually a little bit less, you know, a little bit less stressful of a fight than than going through a sparring session with that guy. You know, there was obviously a lot of attention on the Rockhold Bisping fight. That was, you know, the, that was the main event, and they were doing a lot of trash talking and whatnot. I remember watching the pre-fight press conference and. You weren't asked a question throughout most of it, and finally you were asked, and you're like, oh, you thought you were going to get out of here without a question. Were you enjoying, even though you were in a co-main event, were you enjoying flying under the radar, or were you annoyed that you weren't getting enough attention? Uh, I was kind of enjoying it, I guess, kind of letting, letting the main event take, all the, uh, take a lot of the attention. You know, it's my first time fighting in, in such a big, uh, you know, such a, in, in any sort of a high-profile fight, so... To have a little bit both ways was kind of good, I think. I got to, uh, you know, fight in front of a big crowd. There wasn't too much heat behind it, so I was kind of just, you know, doing my own thing. What's the confidence like with the team now, with Chris doing his thing? And it just seems like every Longo Serra fighter is on a roll these days, including yourself. I mean, you're one of the high-profile guys, but it, does it just feel like, you know, you guys are unstoppable? Do you have that aura about yourself these days? Uh, Maybe a little bit. I mean, we're just, we're just really having fun with it. It's not... We're not taking it too serious, I guess. I mean, obviously, when we're getting in there, we're serious. But, uh, you know, the whole team got to come out to Australia. And, uh, you know, everyone came, supported me. In, in the sauna before the weigh-ins, I had the freaking, the whole team was there. there. There's no one that does that, you know. So it's definitely something special. And we're all having, we're all having fun. Um, you know, Chris coming out to support me, it uh, gives you a lot of confidence having, having everyone behind you. Even Longo got in the sauna. Longo didn't get in the song. Oh, I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, but Sarah's Sarah's twenty four inch pythons. Uh, they were able to fit inside the sauna. He was in there. Yep. That yep, guy is gigantic. Sure. What's he on these days? 
I don't know, man. He's he does push-ups before he goes everywhere, so his arms are always jacked up. Right, right. This guy's scared. I loved your post-fight interview. You quoted the Iron Sheik. Where did that come from? The Sheik, man. <laughs> the, he's the man, you know. I don't know. I'm just a big. I'm a big fan of the Sheik. We were watching. I was actually watching it, uh, cutting weight. You know, I was trying to watch videos on my phone just to try to pass the time. Every minute. Seems like an hour in the sauna. Right. So I put on a my last my last three minutes. I put on a an Iron Sheik clip, and uh, I was like, "All right, this sucks. I'm gonna stay in just till this just till this little clip is over." So we played it. We were all laughing, watching it, and then you know I was like, "Shit, three minutes is a really long time," but the Sheik got me through it. The Sheik <laughs> helped me out. So, and so he told me he said he said I'm Iron Sheik class now. So uh, you know. It's a big step. I'm on the MMA hour, and now I'm chic iron, iron chic class. So it's good. Good things are happening in Australia. Things are really looking up. But he he tweeted you, right? You saw that. Yeah, man. He's. I think he's a fan now. It's good. It's amazing. I might have to. He might have to come out to Long Island and teach me some teach me some moves. I love that. You said you'll you'll make the lightweight division humble, like like Sheiky Baby says, but did you plan that on the spot did, or did it just enter your mind right then and there? Like, did you plan it beforehand or did you, did you, did you decide on the spot? I was just kind of, when, when I was in the sauna, I was just thinking, you know, what, I was kind of just joking around like, ah, in Australia, suplexing kangaroos. Like, what would the, what would the Sheik, what would W-W-I-S-D, what would the Sheik do, you know? So I, I checked out my inner Sheik after the fight, I guess. I don't know. You know, you've looked very good in your last two fights. In uh, in September, you had a great win over Rodrigo Dan. That was fantastic stuff. Prior to that, you had the Mitch Clark fight. And I remember seeing you after the fight. I mean, you were obviously devastated. Everyone, it seemed, thought, I mean, like this was this was a layup for you, right? I mean, Ali Quinta, tough guy. It seemed like everyone was picking you to beat Mitch Clark. How did you handle that loss? How were you able to rebound? And in the moment, how were you, how were you dealing with it? Uh, it was definitely not fun. Um... But what are you going to do? There's nothing I really to do. You could get, you know, uh, kind of get, it could force you to be, lose focus and go off and do the do the wrong things maybe. But, uh, you know, I got right back in the gym and, and the first thing I was doing was jujitsu right away, trying to, trying to, you know, fix any mistakes that I made. It was really not even too big of a mistake. I just, uh, you know, I got caught in a bad position where he was good. He had a move that he was really good at, and he capitalized on it. So, you know, I was just, I was do- pretty much dominating the fight till then. Yeah. And that's what I really had to, you know, think about how good I was doing until I got caught, I guess. Did you take just him lightly? Like, did you hear, were people saying, oh, you're going to smoke this guy and all that? And did that, you know, maybe let your guard down a little bit? I don't think so. Maybe. I, I, I don't really remember, but I, I don't. I would never really take that stance on a fight at all. You know, I've seen him. I watch all his fights, so I know he's dangerous. He's ten. He was ten and two at the time, or something. So he had a pretty good record. It was just, uh, you know, if anything, I was. It was, you know, it was my fourth. I was on a three-fight winning streak. That was my fourth one. They gave him, the, you know, that they gave me that fight. It was like oh, I can't lose. I gotta, I gotta win this fight now. You know, was, he was. Uh, I should have finished it in the first round. I don't know. Yeah. It just finish him in the first round, and then that, that would never would have happened. So that's another thing I took away from it, you know. That uh, gotta just put more pressure on. I guess I don't know. 
Well, you came back and you had the fight against them, and then you get a really high-profile fight. So it seemed like in the eyes of the UFC, your stock didn't fall all that much. Um, what were you saying to yourself before the, the Pearson fight, like in the days leading up to it? Were you, saying the same, were you putting that same kind of pressure and then some on your shoulder? Because this was a big deal for you. Uh, when I got the call for this fight, I was kind of, I was like five weeks out. I was just like, Australia, this, it was just, everything was awesome about it, you know? It was, uh, I was already in pretty good shape. Sometimes my camps get a little too long. It gets like, drawn out during like the fifth week. I'm usually uh, in really good shape, and me and Ray are like, man, when is this fight already? We got three more weeks of training. I, I wish the fight was tomorrow. So this, the timing worked out perfect. It was like five weeks, just long enough time for me to get in really good, good shape and uh, you know, come out to Australia a little early, get acclimated, and uh, have a good performance. It was, it was awesome. You were Everything, the- that was my thing going in, just have fun. Everything about this is fun. Uh, you mentioned you're with uh, Aljamain Sterling. He went to Australia and found out that his fight fell through. You're preparing for a big fight. What was it like being with a teammate who travels all the way from New York to Australia and then finds out his fight fell through? He must have been pretty bummed. Uh, he was definitely bummed. He was, he was, uh, he was bugging Sean Shelby all week. Get me, get me a fight, this and that. He was up until the Saturday before we came here, like Wednesday. So that whole week, he was still keeping his weight down, hoping maybe uh, one of the guys didn't get into the country or something like that. But, uh, you know, so he was still training, and uh, he's going to fight soon. So he just kept training hard and uh, got some good – we got a bunch of really good workouts in while we were down here. We went to the UFC gym, and it was good. You have one of my favorite corners in MMA just because they're so entertaining – uh, Longo and Sarah, and then you got Chris. Their last two fights, he's dancing all over the place in the front row. How much can you hear those guys? Because I, I actually like go out of my way to try to listen to them because they're so entertaining, especially in between rounds, but during the fight as well. And they have such unique voices. Do you hear them very well in the middle of your fights? Uh, definitely, for sure. I hear them cl- loud and clear. Uh, and I think my opponents do, too. <laughs> we, uh, we were kind of we were playing around... It, not playing around, but Matt was yelling some stuff to me that he didn't want. He he knew that I wasn't gonna do, but I would think like I was gonna do it. Hearing that, but if he would yell, like, "I got to right here," I would take the takedown. He thought I was gonna really try to take him down. He thought that was the game plan, you know. Right. And uh, good thing all with that. You're from NASA. Are you still there? Can you hear me? Oh, no. Yes. You there? It's getting a little choppy. Maybe let's try to reconnect. We're, we're going to call you right back because it's just getting a little choppy, so maybe we'll reestablish the connection, okay? All right. Let's just call him right back on Skype. Um, just about to close out here with Ally Quinta joining us from... Beautiful Australia, 12 hours away from Sydney, Australia. Hopefully the connection's okay. He's outdoors. We appreciate him waking up. It's around 7 o'clock in the morning uh, on Tuesday morning over there. Coming off that huge win over Ross Pearson on Friday night. That was on the Fight Pass show. Won via second round TKO. Afterwards, quoting the Iron Sheik. I mean, it was just a fantastic night for Ally Aquinta. And he is on some kind of roll these days. Wins over uh, Couture, Hallman Lee, Dan Pearson. 
we spoke about the Mitch Clark fight. That wasn't all that long ago, but it feels like it was 10 years ago when you talk about what he's done in the back half of 2014. That was just in May. But since then, he's put together two very solid performances and didn't even get a bonus on on Friday night. I mean, a win like that over a guy like Ross Pearson typically would warrant some kind of bonus. But this was such a special show with all those finishes. Every single one, it broke the record for most finishes in UFC history. It's tough to do. Still there? Can you hear me, Al? Looks like he's still choppy. Yeah, I got you, man. Sorry about that. Okay, no problem. Hey, by the way, uh, this was a record-breaking show for the UFC, all those finishes. Going into your fight, Like, were you watching that? Were you saying, all right, I got to keep this train moving along? Did you notice that stuff? Did it give you some kind of motivation? No, I didn't. Um, I didn't. I don't really watch the fights too much. But in the back, I just like to kind of relax. But uh, everyone in the locker room was coming back pretty excited so yeah you know it was definitely good energy you know in, in my locker room were you annoyed that you didn't get a bonus yeah i was pretty pissed man <laughs> i think any other card uh a fight like that you know coming in being the underdog getting the win you know the way i got it but uh you know it is what it is you know well like i said you weren't the favorite people were counting you out but right here on the mma hour they were not counting you out in fact our own betting expert, New York Rick, went on the record and gave you a shout-out on last week's show. We have the clip right here. Let's hear you, 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 for your own record, you have to hear this uh, in case you missed it last week. Hi. Here's New York Rick talking about Ally Quinta going into the fight. Ally Quinta, Ross Pearson. I think Pearson's going to be the favorite, but I think Ally Quinta is going to give him problems. 172, minus 172 for Pearson, plus 160 for Ally Quinta. Are you picking the New Yorker? Wouldn't be a bad pick. Why are you, know you picking what? him? I'm picking Al. Oh, yeah. Fan of the show. Shout out to Al. Shout out to Al. How about that? Shout out to Al. You hear that? Awesome, man. That was awesome. New York Rick. Us New Yorkers stick together. I like it. <laughs> uh, who makes sense for you next? Who do you want? Uh, I don't know, man. I think that everyone's pretty much got a fight. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just stay ready. And I think... There'll be an opening somewhere, uh, probably beginning of the year next year. I think I think there's you know everyone at 55 above you know at right. Ross's level and above is pretty much booked up for a fight. So I'm uh, if they call me on a few weeks' notice, I'm I'm definitely game to just hop back in there and do the same thing again. I'll probably be the underdog again, and you know. I'm just going to sit here with the dead air and wait for it to come back. Will it to come back? Al going once. Oh, he's done. Should we try to get him one last time? I, I just wanted to say one more thing to him. Um, let's try one more time. All those people coming back to work in, in Australia are probably cramping our style. Oh, look at that. I see our, 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 our video cam shot over there. I never knew how it looked. That's pretty cool. We may have lost him. I just wanted to tell him that I know he's from Nassau County. I had the pleasure of going to the uh, Nassau 
Memorial Coliseum yesterday. I went to see Frozen on Ice with my family. My first time at the uh, soon-to-be former home of the New York Islanders, a historic arena as far as NHL is concerned, and I just wanted to tell them that I was there, and everyone sends their best, but I don't know if we're going to get it. Al, do you hear us? Al, are you there? I'm back, man. There he is. He's back. Hey, I just wanted to tell you one last thing. I was at the NASA uh, Memorial Coliseum yesterday watching Frozen on Ice with my family. Uh, have you ever been to that arena? I know you're from the area. NASA Coliseum? Yeah. I grew up there, man. You like the I Islanders? That place. I was playing roller hockey on there in between periods back way back when I was a little kid. That's the, that's, I love that place. I used to wait outside... I used to wait outside when the, the the hockey players used to go from the Marriott across. They'd walk across that little walk to the to the Coliseum before the games. I used to stand there and get autographs. Look at you now. That place probably feels like a gazillion miles away. I mean, it technically is, but you're you're literally the other side of the world, right? Yeah, man, it's crazy, crazy right now. But uh, when do you think they're gonna have a fight in freaking Nassau Coliseum, man? <laughs> in my backyard. Uh, what is this crap? It is crap. It is crap. I mean, that place, it's not exactly its not exactly the Mecca, is it? I mean, it's its its a little old. Yeah, they're moving to Brooklyn now. The, the, yeah, they're smart. Islanders. They're smart about, they're smart about that. <laughs> um, by the way, what's the itinerary for today? What are you doing? Well, let's live vicariously through you. Uh, I don't know. These guys probably sleeping. They're still sleeping. Yeah. I want to get to the... I'm probably going to surf a lot, get some training in. Uh, that's probably pretty much it. Sounds like a blast. Drink a couple beers. Yeah, of course. Why not? Live it up. Al, I want to wish you a uh, congratulations. Huge performance for you. Long Island MMA continues to roll along. Looking forward to what's next, and I appreciate you waking up early over there. You got it, man. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. All right, there he is. Ally Quinta joins us from Australia. Great stuff, great win. He's now on two in a row. And that was by far the biggest win of his UFC and MMA career. Okay, let's move along. Just a couple of weeks ago, we had Ian McCall on the show in preparation for his gigantic fight against John Lineker. That was the, at the time, it wasn't even the co-main event, but after the Jimmy Manoa Injury got bumped up to the co-main event. It was supposed to happen this Saturday. By now, you know the fight did not happen due to a blood infection suffered by Ian McCall after the weigh-ins on Friday. So wanted to have him on the show to discuss that, where he goes from here, how he's feeling, and a whole lot more. He joins us right now via the phone. Ian, how are you? Uh, doing good. Just, just actually uh, finally got home. So I'm happy, I guess, about that. How long was the journey? Uh, sure. 30 hours. Gosh, you must be exhausted. Yeah, I, I'm, you know, I'm tiny, so I, I sleep. And I'm, I'm pretty good at sleeping anywhere, but it's just, you know, being on a plane sucks, especially for that long. So it, uh, and being sick doesn't help. So um, I'm tired, you know, I just need to rest. And I'm assuming the last thing you want to do is do an interview on the phone after just getting home. So I appreciate the time very much, and we'll, we'll make it as quick as possible. Uh, how are you feeling physically? T- tell us, like, what, what exactly does it mean when you have a blood infection? Um, <laughs> well, my, you know, my respiratory system is really sore. You know, my throat, my chest, um, my whole body aches. 
the medication. They have me on four different antibiotics. Um, and, you know, those make you feel crappy, too. So it's just, I'm really tired, a little shortness of breath. Just, I mean, I've, you know, I guess I've, I had you know, a fever all week, so I've just, that's kind of gone, but just headaches and, and uh, you know, you just kind of like a, a flu type, type of symptoms, I guess. But I don't know. It's just, um, I, I don't know. Pain's just, pain's all kind of relative. So I, I guess when you're used to putting yourself through, through so much suffering, it, it, it doesn't, it, just you're kind of like dull to it. How long were you dealing with this for? I don't know exactly. I do know that the UFC, you know, gave me their, you know, pre-fight, you know, blood tests for, you know, I, I don't know if it was one of the random testing things at the CBC. I'm guessing it was for drugs and stuff. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, they came back and, and, you know, I did it. And then you get your results back quickly. Uh, my doctor called me the next day. He's like, hey, we, you know, we have a problem. And I was like, well, you know, like what? Do I have AIDS or something? <laughs> um, and then he's like, no, you know, you know your, your white blood cell count is high. And you know, he's like, well, how are you feeling? You know, do you, is anything busted up? Do you have any inflammation? And of course I have inflammation. And of course I, I, I was dragging ass, you know, in the, in the gym a little bit. Um, comparatively, I just kind of chalked it up to maybe I had a cold and I was overtrained a bit. Uh, but you know, I'm, I'm a very healthy person. I, I eat incredibly healthy. I live a very healthy lifestyle. I, I do a lot of, um, of rehabilitation. I mean, I get like, uh, as far as I get three, three massages a week, I'm at my physical therapist every day. I do cryotherapy pretty much every day. I do intravenous vitamins. Um, I mean, I do a, a lot of stuff, CVAC, you know, but the, I do so much stuff to take care of myself. I also do yoga, you know, on top of my training. So it's like, it's, um, I'm very healthy and very fit. I just figured that it would pass, you know, and once I weakened my immune system with the weight cut, um, I just, my body completely failed me. How long have you been, do you you think this has been something that's been going on for a long time and you just noticed it now? Like looking back once you found out that this was an issue? Probably three weeks, maybe, maybe a month, you know, but it it wasn't that bad. I was coughing up some green stuff and, and, you know, it was just, I was a little slow in training, you know, as far as, you know, I was still getting all my training in. I I, I was still, you know, resting a lot and doing everything, you know, everything was on point. It was just, um, you know, energy levels were a little bit low. So then I was doing even more recovery stuff, you know, like, like making sure I was getting more juice in and more, you know, more stuff for recovery. And it's just, um, I, I, I don't know. I just figured I'm strong enough to, to, you know, cure it myself. I don't like taking antibiotics. I don't like putting that stuff in my body. I, I you know, it's it kind of goes against just how I work. <laughs> how does someone contract something like this? I, I have no idea. They didn't I, tell I you? I mean, it, 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 yeah, I mean, it could have been from, cause I had my infection in my hand. Um, right. A couple months ago, I, I could have touched something and, you know, put my finger in my mouth. I mean, who really knows? I, you know, sweating with other men all day. Right. <laughs> that doesn't happen. When you weighed in on Friday, how did you feel? Uh, I felt horrible, man. I, 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 yeah, when I, Thursday night, you know, because all week I had a fever. Every, every night I would train um, and I, I'd go lay down. I wasn't sleeping. I maybe slept in like half of my increments. I maybe got maybe, an, I'd say about an hour of sleep a day. 
um, the whole time I was there, which I usually get not much more than that, maybe two, three, if I'm lucky, four hours a day, but it was even less. And then when I started my weight cut, I usually hyperhydrate to, I wake up around, you know, 10 over. I think I woke up at nine and a half over that morning. Well, I hyperhydrated up to 15 and then I lost 12 and a half in under two hours, which is a lot, you know? Um, so when I, and, and then I felt horrible. So I went up to my room, drank some recovery stuff, drank some, um, some coconut water, had a banana and I felt a little better. So I figured I was about, you know, five or six pounds over at that point. Um, which is fine. And that's what, that's where I usually like to be. I usually like to, you know, I'll float another pound or two and I'll cut the four or five in the morning. So again, no sleep, you know, there was like zero sleep that night. Um, and I, I just felt awful. I was, I was on the verge of throwing up the whole time. And, and I, I've, I've never thrown up in my entire life working out. And I, I'm like, and I don't say that as a joke. I, I have an issue with throwing up. I, I can't, it's very hard for me to throw up. Um, I, I can only throw up when I'm really, really sick or if I'm really, really drunk. Um, like those are the only two occasions I, I can think of. Uh, but anyway, so I go cut the rest of the weight. I don't feel that bad cutting weight, you know? I was just a little slow. Um, got the weight off, and then as I go to walk downstairs from, the, you know, the sauna to, the, to the, the scale, I started throwing up. And, you know, when you're already that low throwing up, there's not much in your system. So I'm throwing up like the, the espresso that I drank earlier and bile, like foam. Uh, so I start throwing up and, you know, they, you know, Bert and them and you know, Isabella, they, they found me, you know, in the lobby or in the, in the hallway throwing up. Um, which I felt bad. So I threw up on the floor. Oh. So no trash can. But, uh, so then, you know, I, I laid down by the scale, took my, my sweats, you know, I, I weighed myself with all my clothes on. And then I just, just, and then I saw that I was light and then I took my clothes off and laid there because I was still sweating on some towels and weighed my clothes just to figure out, you know, the math of where I was. And my coach was like, dude, you're light. Like just try, I laid there for probably half an hour, 45 minutes and just kind of tried to relax and everything. So didn't, I, I didn't feel good at all, but I got up, checked my weight and I was a pound and a half under, I think maybe a little more. So my coach goes upstairs, gets me a, a whole fit, a whole big you know, carton of coconut water. Um, and I drank like, you know, probably at least a pound and a half of coconut water. Um, and that was, you know, before weighing, that was, uh, I was weighing in a couple hours. That made me feel a lot better. Then I weighed in and usually backstage, I've got a lot of energy. I'm just shadow boxing. And it's, it's also a mental thing. I like to show the person that I've got energy for days. I've got cardio for days. I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm, we're cutting weight. You're dying. I'm going to move around right now. Like, we, if we fought right now, I'd bury you. You know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I just sat there. I couldn't move. I didn't want to move. I wanted to at least have, save whatever energy I had for the stage. Um, so I did, you know, and I went on and I, I made my weight and I put on a little show. And and then once we got backstage, it just got worse. And I started to eat and drink. Well, I started to drink. I definitely couldn't get food in. I took which is probably not the smartest fruit to eat, um, but I took like a, I'm, and I'm not kidding here. I took one bite of pineapple, and they, and I was like, I need a trash can. So you know, the, Isabella brought a trash can over, and I, I, I didn't throw up, but I felt like it. And then they wanted to do a group picture. Everybody after Joe gave us the speech, and I couldn't stand up. So then, of course, you know, everyone, you know, gets out and leaves. Well, they had to give me an IV at 
at the stadium. The doctor's like, you have to have one right now. Like, you know, you, like, let's do it now. So I, I did, I, they gave me one. And then uh, took me, you know, back to the hotel. I just tried to stay positive and, you know, just keep breathing and relaxing and, and focus and just eat, eat a little. I was eating very small amounts of food, and like, you know, a protein shake here and a little bit of chicken and vegetables. And so I, I, eat, I don't go gorge myself before my fight. I, I eat, you know, as healthy as I eat any other day. Um, so and then I keep eating, and then, you know, my coach just bought some sushi, and, and you know, it, was, it was actually really good sushi. Um, <laughs> you can look it up on Yelp and in, in, in Uberland. It was actually it was really good. But you know, I was just trying to be positive and, and kind of put the stuff out of my head. And and then I laid down and my body just started like seeding up my throat and, the, and my back and my head and my hands, and my shooting pains and all the stuff. I, I, I was having a lot of trouble breathing. Um, I couldn't really see, you know, I, I just, I, I mean, and I had probably drinking at that point, 10 pounds of water. I had an IV in me. I, I was... You know, I, I should have felt a lot better, and I, I, I couldn't see my phone. Luckily, I was able to text my coach, like, you, you need to grab a doctor and come up, because they went to go watch the fight um, in the lobby, and I'm like, you, you got to get the doctor and come up here. Like, I, I, don't, I don't feel good. You know, I, 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 I don't know what to do. And then mentally, you know, that just, this stuff starts going through your head, and you're just panicking, and then the doctor saw me. He's like, no, 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 okay, we're taking you. So they rushed me to the hospital into the hospital and I don't really remember much of the hospital. Um, I don't know why. I don't know if I fell asleep or what, but I guess they, I didn't, I don't remember them drawing blood. I don't really remember much. You know, they were just carting me around in a wheelchair. Um, and you know, they, they drew some blood and the doctor said, if, if it comes back positive for, you know, a bacterial or some sort of infection in your, in your system, then I'm going to have to pull you. Um, if it's, if it comes back negative, then, you know, we'll reassess everything in the morning, see how you feel. I'll look at you, give you an evaluation. Um, and then, you know, they were, I, man, I slept, you know, they gave me another IV with some ibuprofen or, you know, whatever they, they give you to make it feel better to break my fever. Um, I had a little bit of a fever throughout the night, not too bad, but I woke up in the morning and I actually slept like 10 hours probably, Wow, which was crazy. Um, and I, when I woke up, uh, I, you know, kind of rolled over, grabbed my phone, and started like looking at the internet, and then I saw, I saw that I got pulled. So I saw that I had an infection. So I, I didn't. You know, the doctor, I guess, the doctor came that night to talk to my coaches. And, wow. You know, they, they didn't bother. They didn't bother waking me up. Um, That's how you found but, out. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I knew it was coming pretty much. So I just, uh, you know, it's. I, I, I mean, it's, I'm. I'm wasn't complaining about it because obviously I had an infection, but those were, those were his rules. He said, if, if you have an infection, I'm, I'm going to pull you. Like, like you can't fight like that. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, your, your health, your health comes first. You know, UFC is very, very behind that. You know, they, they, that's the first thing. Like, you know, I, I apologize to everybody, you know, obviously cause I, I feel bad for the UFC, for my bosses, for fans, for media, for my coaches, my family, you know, but the first thing, everyone at UFC is always like, listen, you're healthy. Like, we can't, you know, <laughs> that's the main thing. We have to take care of you guys because, which they do. You know, they, they looked out for my best interest. I had do- UFC people or doctors calling me every hour or two until I left. You know, like, so it was it was good as far as being taken care of. You know, they, they definitely were behind me in that part. 
So once you wake up and read on your phone that you're out, what do you do? How do you react? Um, honestly, I just try not to cry to myself. Like, I try to just lay there and just not cry like a little girl, you know? And just, you know, it's, it's depressing. It's something that, you know, you, you strive so hard for. And I'm, you know, I look at my, I'm a machine, you know? Like, I can fight through this. Like, I, why? You know, what, what did... Why did my body fail me? You know, how did I let this happen? Like, I'm, you know, people can talk all the shit they want. I, and I, I don't care what they say on Twitter. All these Twitter trolls that talk shit. Um, but, like, as, as far as myself, it's like, look how much training I put into this. I, I know I'm this in this good of shape. I know I'm this healthy. I know I'm, you know, this tough. I know I'm this, like, this much of a badass. Like, why, why, how, how is this vehicle that I've created failed me like this? And, and, you know, why is it, why is it doing this to me? You know, um, you just, you go through a lot of emotional stuff and, and I just, just feel, you know, lay there and, and just try to be uh, somehow positive about it. I, you know, <laughs> it's just, it's very, it's just, you know, a little bit of, it's just confusing. It's hard to just even think in that sort of situation. How long afterwards were you released from the hospital? Oh, they took me back that night. Oh, okay. They, they, yeah, I didn't. I didn't stay in the hospital that night because they, they don't. They didn't need me to. You know, my, my fever wasn't that bad. I mean, I don't even think I had a fever when I actually got to the hospital. Because um, it, it was kind of coming and going all week. And we should have known. I mean, you tweeted on November third that you had a bacterial infection, but I don't think anyone really understood where you were coming from. So obviously, as you mentioned, you. You knew about this, and you also tweeted after this news came out, you tweeted a picture of both you and Lineker, which was interesting for many reasons. Of course, you guys had your back and forth, which did a great job of selling the fight. What was that interaction like? You know, uh, John doesn't speak English. Right. Like, and I, I speak very, very little. Well, we both probably speak equal amounts of English and Portuguese. <laughs> uh, and... There was so much riding on the line with this fight for both of us that I know. And he was, you know, I have a lot of respect for John. You know, he's, he was an awesome, an awesome guy um, through all this. Very nice. You know, I'm, I'm friends with his agent. I, I'm friends. I've become friends with, you know, them more or less than you know, before. It was, you know, it, us, us, you know, talking crap to each other. Is, it's business, you know, it's, it's entertaining. And, and yeah, of course, we're going to we're getting he's a lot like me in the fact that we're going to get this fight. Like, no matter as nice as we are to each other, we still want to punch each other in the face. <laughs> did you say anything to him through his manager? Did you did you have any kind of conversation? Yeah, yeah we had talks. I just said, you know, I'm really sorry, and and, um, and you know, I I hope that uh, we get to you know, we get to fight soon. But that you know, I, I want I wanted to make sure you knew that how, how sorry I was and how you know heartbroken I, I really am to have to do this. You know, especially to him because you know that's the main person, you know, he, he's, you know, he's got a life, he's got a kid, you know, he's got a girlfriend, he, he has a career, he's got things that, you know, most people don't take into, into consideration because they don't go through it. We go through, um, physically, mentally, emotionally, uh, you know, with our entire lives. Uh, he told the media this on Saturday night, quote, he paid the price for his jokes. He made fun of my situation drinking coconut water while I had to cut 0.7 pounds and God punished him. What do you think of that? Is that surprising to hear him say that after your, your meeting afterwards? 
No, I, you know, he's probably got a point. God hates me. <laughs> I've come to, I came to that conclusion a long time ago. Um, you know, it's, I'm a failed Catholic, so I'm pretty positive God hates me. But I, I mean, if it's because I'm funny, that, that's fine. You know, I'll, I'll pay the price for being funny. Sorry, I'm funnier than you. So have they given you a, a sort of timeline when you will be able to train again and potentially fight? Do you have any idea when you can get back in there? Uh, no, we're, we're talking about it now. I'm going to go see a doctor tomorrow. And, you know, just get evaluated, make sure everything's going well. I don't know. If, you know, they probably won't take my blood until next week, I'm guessing, until my medication's done. Um, so I think I'm done with one of the medications. Another one's done in a couple of days, and then the other two last for 10 days. So it's it's just going to be, you know, I get to relax this week, and, and I try my best not to go work out. You know, it's going to be hard, but um, I'll ask the doctor. Maybe, maybe if I can go to yoga or something. I... I, I I always feel like I have to do something. And do you think the, the, the idea that makes the most sense is you versus Lineker, or do you want to go in a different direction? Oh, no, I, I want that fight. I think it makes a lot of sense. I think that him trying to, you know, go around me is weird. Like, you know, we, 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 still, you know, we still have a date. We, we got to dance, homie. Like, we... We're going to get down. We got to uh, get some games to play. And, and, you know, I get it. You don't want to fight me because whatever stupid reasoning you're having in mind. Um, but and, and I, I just think he's realizing it's a very bad fight for him. You know, like I, I, I made weight. I made, I made 125. Hmm. And I was sick. Like, I'm going to make weight. Like, you missed weight and you, you're not even, you're good. You know, like, I think he realizes the kind of, you know, individual that he's going to have to deal with when I, when I am a hundred percent. And, um, I don't know if he really wants anything to do with that. And by the way, I commend you. You still went to the fights on Saturday. How tough was that to be sitting there knowing that you should be fighting? Um, it was awful, you know, realistically, but the UFC, they didn't make me go or anything, but they asked me, said, Hey, you know, just if you could, you know, would you mind going? But, you know, you don't have to because if you don't feel good, we don't want you to do anything. And I was like, I, I can do it. I put on a suit and I'll go shake some hands and talk to everybody, show everybody that I think a lot of people thought it was maybe the weight cut, you know, because people are, are, are cutting weight in very stupid ways and hurting themselves. And, you know, it was it was no one's fault but my own, obviously. It was this infection. You know, I, I just thought I was stronger than it. And it Again, my, my body failed me. You know, I, uh, you know, everything else was good. You know, everything else mentally, physically, I was on point. It's just, um, once I hit, once I weakened my immune system that much, my body shut down. And, um, it, it was hard being at the fights. One, cause I wanted to fight Two, you know, the card wasn't that exciting. So I think we would, we would have brought a lot of life to it. Um, and three, it was incredibly hot. You know, it was, it was hot in the arena. Um, the music was loud, which I had a crazy headache. Mm. Um, I don't know if anyone noticed, but there was, there was actually a, a, a trash can underneath my seat. Wow. <laughs> Just in case I threw up. Wow. Um, but, but, you know, that's, that's part of my job. Like, I'm, I'm going to go there. I'm going to do it. Like, I'm, I'm sick. So what? You know, I, I guess it's a dumb attitude to have. I should be resting and taking care of myself. But I, I feel like I owe it to, to, to everybody, you know? Final thing, and I, you know, I don't mean to pour it on, but I'm just genuinely curious. What's it like going on that trip? And I, even following you on Twitter, I know it wasn't the most enjoyable 
flight out there with all the issues, TSA and whatnot. Going there, you're in a foreign country. Uberlandia doesn't even sound like a real place, to be honest. Sounds like some kind of Brazilian fantasy world, as I keep calling it. And then the 30 hours back, you walk home, and you didn't even get a chance to go out and do the thing that you left to do. I mean, what's what's that feeling like that you're experiencing now? Uh, it's so frustrating and so depressing and so just makes me sick. You know, like I, I come home with, you know, all that work for nothing. I mean, luckily I, I didn't think I was going to get paid a dime. I don't, I, I was like, okay, cool. I don't deserve it. You know, that's fine. Like I'm not going to um, get paid for this. Like I, I understand that I wouldn't, but luckily, you know, the UFC gave me my show money, um, which is, you know, a big thank you to them because, having only fought once in a year and a half, you know, that, that's, um, it's hard in your bank account, mm. but, uh, you know, they, they were, they were nice enough to grant me that. And, um, and still, you know, they were never negative towards me about it. They just want to make sure I'm, I'm okay. You know? Um, but yeah, that whole thing of traveling all, you know, 30 hours there, 30 hours back and just not feeling good about it and now being sick and then having the most annoying child ever on the plane Oh. Um, like one of those kids, you want to just like open the hatch and punt him out. Um, <laughs> like, God, like just like people need to control their kids better. But, um, it's, you know, it, it was, it's more mental than anything. Physically, I've been through a lot. I'll, I'm going to be okay physically, you know, whether it's broken bones or whatever, I'll be just fine. It's just the, the emotional thing that's really draining. You know, I just want to be with my you know, my, my family just relax and, and smile. Ian, appreciate the time very much. Uh, thank you for, for coming on the show, especially after just landing. Get well soon. Looking forward to seeing you back out there. And, uh, and, and again, most importantly, just rest up and, and, and feel better sooner rather than later. I will, man. Thank you so much. All right, there he is, Ian McCall, Uncle Creepy, stopping by. Unfortunate, very unfortunate. One of the We were talking about on this show last week. I believe New York Rick said it himself that that was – uh, one of, if not the most important fights of the weekend, and just devastating news that he was not able to fight just a few hours before the fight. You hear now what he was going through, uh, not really related to the wake-up, but who knows how your body's feeling after something like that. Just just very bad luck and uh, another another you know piece of bad news that comes through for the UFC an anticipated fight that just doesn't play out there are so many fighters on these cards so many fighters on the roster things are going to happen and they're going to be a lot more magnified than they were a few years ago simply because there are more fights more fights more fights uh, more fighters more cards all that stuff just the percentages go up but it has been a bad stretch for the UFC hopefully for them after coming off arguably the greatest year in UFC history last year, 2015, brings some good luck. Although it's kind of weird when people say that because there's really, I mean, does, does, you know, does the ether know that it's going from 2014 to 2015? What's the word I'm looking for? Do, 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 do the external powers that be, the, the factors, the injury bugs and whatnot, do they know that it's a new year? Is there any difference between December 31st and January 1st? I think about these things. I wonder. I worry about them. But a lot of people like to say that. New Year's resolutions and whatnot. Anyhow, that does it for uh, today's interviews. Appreciate everyone who stopped by and gave us some of their time. Let's go inside the vault now. And I mentioned at the top of the show that 
this is a fun one to watch in November of 2014 because back when we conducted this interview on February 27, 2011, this fighter was in a much different place. I was at UFC 127, and coincidentally, that was also in Sydney, Australia. Back then, it was called the Acer Arena. And, you know, it was an okay card. That was the card that was headlined by BJ Penn versus John Fitch. It actually turned out to be a more interesting card than a lot of people thought going into it. The fight ended up being a draw, but it's one of the uh, cards that I look back and really enjoy because of just being in Australia, and Australia, a great country, reminded me a lot of Canada, and we got to do a lot of fun things, produce some good videos. So it was a very memorable trip. But one of the early fights on the card featured Chris Tuscher versus Mark Hunt. Mark Hunt was going into that fight a loser in his last six fights. Lost to Josh Barnett in one round. Lost to Fyodor Emelianenko in one round. Although that was a very memorable fight and he had his moments in that one as well. Lost to Alistair Overeem in a minute and 11 seconds. First round, of course. Lost to Melvin Manhoff in just 18 seconds, as Dave Meltzer mentioned. Lost to Gegard Mousasi in just a minute, 20 seconds. And then, of course, lost to Sean McCorkle, the lowest of lows at UFC 119, a minute and three seconds. Now, if you recall, Mark Hunt, he had a contract with Pride when the UFC, when Zufa bought Pride. And because of that losing streak, at the time he had lost five in a row, the UFC wasn't all that interested in employing Mark Hunt. So they offered to just buy him out of his contract, pay him what he's owed for X amount of fights, and then he just goes on his way. Well, he didn't want to do that. The story has been told. He wanted to fight. He wanted to prove his worth. He finally convinced them to do so a couple years later, gets a shot, curtain jerker fight, first fight, Indianapolis. He fights Sean McCorkle. And I remember when this fight was announced, it was the, you know, the internet clown Sean McCorkle fighting this you know, former K1 champion. Yes, he was on the losing streak, but very much well-known. We remember him from the old days. So, wow, Mark Hunt's finally fighting in the UFC after this losing streak. First round finishes galore. What's going to happen? McCorkle beats him in 63 seconds. At that point, I think a lot of people thought, all right, well, that does it for the Mark Hunt experience in the UFC. But they gave him another shot. And it made sense. Sydney, Australia, he calls Australia home. It made sense. So they put him up against Chris Tuscher, who, if you recall, was part of Brock Lesnar's team. And that's when it all started. That's essentially where this run that has now led him to this interim title fight in Mexico City, of all places, on Saturday night, this is where it started. February 27, 2011, he knocks out Chris Tuscher in the second round, a minute and 41 seconds, and what a knockout it was. Walk-off KO, which has become the norm for him as of late, most recently doing it to Roy Nelson. And all of a sudden, we were starting to think, all right, great knockout. Obviously not against a top contender, but maybe this is the win that gets Mark Hunt back on the right path. After that fight, we had an opportunity to talk to Mark Hunt right outside his locker room and just listen to the words that he is using. Listen to how elated he is to just get back on the winning track. It had been so long. In fact, the last time he won an MMA was May of 2006. Almost five years it took him to get another win. 
So what you're about to watch is my post-fight interview at UFC 127 with Mark Hunt, an elated Mark Hunt, as he, we didn't know at the time, but now we know, began this journey to an interim title fight. Here it is. Ariel Helwani post-fight at UFC 127 alongside the Super Samoan Mark Hunt, who just picked up his first UFC victory in a very, very impressive fight, Mark. And, and it's been a long time coming for you in the MMA world. You haven't won in several years. How good does this feel? Uh, I'm over the moon. I haven't won in such a long time. It's, it's been ridiculous. I, I couldn't even be a wooden chair if it even had a broken leg. I just haven't been winning at all. But uh, I'm so happy to win this fight. It uh, means a lot to me and my family. It's great. In, in the first round, you were rocking him. Clearly, you didn't want to go to the ground with him. Even when you knocked him down, you had no interest. In the second round, with that uppercut, you'd even wait for the referee to stop the fight. You knew right then and there that he was, that he was done. You just walked away. Why'd you know? I could feel it. You can just feel it. I felt it. I felt it. I just felt it. That's all. Did he hurt you at any point in the fight? He actually caught me uh, a punch in the... I think it was a punch. I, I, was, I had below vision. <laughs> but he did catch me, so... But uh, a long time, I haven't spent much time in the octagon or the ring. And if I did, it's probably been not that long. End of the first round, he was uh, going for the Kimura, and it was almost shades of your first uh, UFC fight. How close was he to actually sinking it in? Uh, he wouldn't have won it. He wouldn't have got it. I would let him break my arm. Fedor had me in the same position. I knew I had to escape out of those things. I, like I said, I wasn't losing tonight. You talk about no winning for a very long time uh, but you look at your record and you fought some of the best heavyweights of all time you talk about Fedor, Alistair Overeem, Barnett those guys do you feel as though your record is almost deceiving in a sense? Um, I don't think so I don't think anyone that knows that, you did, uh, I won. Oh, good, uh, good job yeah. thanks brother good luck thanks. I was uh, uh, record deceiving I, I fought a lot of big names but um, yeah what was the question again sorry <laughs> It's okay. You got props from Michael Bisping. That's good enough. So, so what do you need to do now to get on a roll, to, to finally get your career on a roll here in the UFC? Well, I've got some good guys I'm working with. I could be saw out here to help me more. Um, I just uh, had a, I met with a good camp at the moment. I haven't been with them for uh, training, but uh, I'm looking forward to getting some proper training, try to get some abs and move on from there. Try to get some abs? You don't know about abs. You don't know about the abs. That's I saw you, were, you were rubbing your belly after the win. I took it yeah. Just playing. Did you say you injured your leg? No, oh. you did. Yeah. But how was your training? Training's been good. I mean, just I got the big guys to help me with wrestling, so uh, it was really good. It was good. Um, I shopped around a few guys, helped me out, so it's been really, really good for me. And did you spend any time at ATT for this camp? Not for this camp, but um, going back over there, this camp, I uh, hired everyone, ATT. And final question, um, what about this crowd? This was your first MMA fight in Sydney, and this is now your adopted home, um, hometown, and, and they were cheering for every single thing that you did, even when you walked out. It, it was pretty amazing, right? Oh, it is for me, because I, I've been, I, I lived here for, I've been here for like 14 years. I started here as a kickboxing fighter. Um, well, I, I'm, I'm originally from New Zealand, but I, my family's here. This is my home, and I've been fighting from here for a very long time, but um, tonight has been really good. Um, everyone for uh, cheering me on, it's been really great. Is Mark Hunt officially back? I wouldn't say back. I just, just glad for the victory. I just got a lot of work to do. I got a way a lot of work to do, but um, I'm prepared for the long haul. All right, have some, a lot of improving to do, man. I, I mean, yeah. All right, well, go have some KFC. You deserve it. Oh, shit. You had to say that. <laughs> so how about that? Not even willing to say that he is back, and then. Three years later, here he is fighting for the UFC belt. An amazing story. One of the best stories in UFC history. And if he does pull it off, it certainly will 
be right up there because that is a comeback that I think very few people expected. I forgot about the Michael Bisping moment there, giving him props after the fight. That's cool. That's one of those things that you don't get to experience as much these days. And he even dropped that you didn't know about. Forgot about that. He's been using that one for a while. So there he is. You know, if you didn't see the uh, UFC countdown show, they did a good job. You could tell that it was, I mean, obviously it's a bummer not to have the Cain Velasquez footage and not to be able uh, to tell that story, but they used some of it and you could tell they had some great stuff, but Verdum speaking in Spanish is great. He's very likable. Hunt, very interesting. I mean, I find him to be a fascinating character. They did a good uh, a good job with that story. And even Hunt, you know, it's like one of these black clouds that hang over these events when you don't get the fight that you want. But just having Hunt, of all people, in there, that story, if you've been watching him fight for so long in combat sports in general, it's, it's hard to feel too bummed about it. Of course, Kane not fighting in Mexico is just it's devastating for all involved. But I'm still excited for this. I, I still love that story. I'm a little concerned about you know, what he was talking about. And they were very open. They were very honest about not having a lot of time, not being able to spar, the elevation, all that stuff. But man, what a great quote that he, he told uh, Submission Radio last week. Uh, what was it, like one knockout, there goes your black belt. There goes your effing black belt. So I suggest checking out the UFC Countdown show. And of course, after that win over Chris Tuscher, what was that? That was a weird noise. He actually went on to fight Ben Rothwell, UFC 135. That's the infamous fight where both of them were huffing and puffing at the end of the fight. Hopefully we don't see the same thing if it goes three rounds or more because of the high elevation. And Mexico is even higher up than Denver is. And, and then afterwards it was finishes galore with Czech Congo at UFC 144. And then the great Stefan Struve finish, took the Junior Dos Santos fight on short notice, went pretty, pretty far with Dos Santos, but then got knocked out by a spinning heel kick, the tremendous fight against Antonio Silva, and then, of course, most recently, the knockout of Roy Nelson back in September in Japan. So that's Inside the Vault. That's Mark Hunt. That's February of 2011. Uh, before we get to the questions, let me just wrap up this weekend because I touched on it very, uh, very early. You know, I had a chance to talk to some of the students at Syracuse University, and I talked about how much it meant, and if you follow me on Twitter and whatnot, Without a doubt, one of the most, I just want to get this off my chest so then we can move along, one of the most surreal and gratifying, I've used these words, but I can't find any better words, to be there as a father, to go into a place that you were there for 10 years, 10 years ago, every day you would look at these things, these murals, these pictures on the wall, these streets, in the most depressed state possible, and to return 10 years later when you never thought that you would be back, with your little son, with your baby in your arms, with your wife, and to come back a happier man, to come back in a much better place. I kept thinking, and I, I said this a bunch, I kept thinking of Charlie Sheen. Charlie Sheen used that term that was very obnoxious. No one liked hearing him say it. He kept saying winning. I remember a few years ago, he kept saying winning, winning, winning. It was so annoying. But honestly, for some reason, that's what came to mind. Charlie Sheen came to mind when I was there because I felt like, okay, I won. Here I am, 10 years later, never thought I'd be back virtually ignored over there, had a very tough experience, and I could come back. And by no means do I feel like, you know, this is the end of my career and here I am. I didn't even have to give the talk to the kids, to the students. That was gravy. 
just being able to come back there and eventually leave and not feel like you're a prisoner and be able to experience this all over again with my family was was unbelievable. And then to watch the fights on Friday with those students and to feel like a rich man, to feel that love, to feel that admiration, to feel that acceptance was unbelievable. So I thank everyone involved. I thank Professor Nicholson. I thank Ji-Hoon, who had a big part in all this. I met uh, the student Ji-Hoon at UFC 160 in Vegas a couple of years ago, and he asked me, do you want to go talk to the kids? I said, it's the only reason why I'll ever go back. I have no interest in ever going back. And he worked at it. And finally, almost two years later, we got it done. So it was a long time coming, and uh, it, was just, it was just such a thrill. It was so great to be there. And that's why I got this guy there, because I feel like I can finally close that wound. No one will really understand, and we all go through things, and you get depressed, and you, know, you have tough time. I mean, I'm, I'm not alone in that regard, but it's like going back and settling a score, squashing a beef, closing a wound with someone that you were in a fight with for 10 years. Why was I in that fight? I'm not quite sure why I held that grudge, why I had so much animosity towards that place for so long. It was just a tough time, but I held it in my heart and it was a negative thing. And then to come back and finally feel like I could be proud to be from Syracuse. Remember when John Fitch was on the show and I kind of crapped on it and I felt bad afterwards, but I could be proud to be an alum of Syracuse, that I can move on with my life, that I can, you know, actually, you know, like, 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 like celebrate the fact that, you know, I was able to go there and get this degree and whatnot. It's, it's an unbelievable feeling. It's, it's overwhelming to settle that score, to squash that beef, to be friends again with someone that you weren't friends with, that you considered an enemy, that you, 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 you considered, you know, this, this, this bad, ugly moment in your life. You had such disdain towards it. It's, un- it's, it's, it's free. I feel like, I feel like I'm a hundred pounds lighter. It's unbelievable. So I'll, I'll never forget that weekend. That was, that was pretty amazing stuff. And Again, I just want to thank everyone. And this guy's going to be joining me now because I am proud to be an orange man. I know they don't call it the orange man anymore, but it's, come on, orange? What is that? What do they call it? They just call it the orange, which makes oh, no sense. Oh, I like sense. orange men much better. Well, they want it to be all PC, you know, because the, the women were getting upset. But the, what is orange? I mean, what does that even mean? Well, just it, is, a color? it is nondescript. So, I mean. They're just a color? That's their team? Doesn't make any sense. Um, Maybe I'll be able to change that one day. <laughs> well. It doesn't, what is that? I mean, it's like the Browns, but I think the Browns have, they have a reason for being called the Browns because I think Paul Brown was their original owner or something like that. I'm probably botching this, but you can't, you can't just drop the man or men, right? It's weird. You could do some, I mean, didn't um, St. John's, they went yeah. to Red Storm. They went to Red Storm. Yeah. What, so what are they called? The Red, Red uh, Men. The Red Men, yes. So you just, you just, maybe Syracuse can adjust it to orange something else. The Orange Crush, storm? I don't know. Orange Crush, I like that. There you go. Probably, though... Take it. Have it. Yeah, but it's probably uh, copyrighted, right? Or, I don't know. Yeah. But uh, that sounds awesome, so congrats on that. I yeah, mean, it was great. Thank you. There's I, not, I mean, I didn't want to step all over it, jump in and say anything. There's nothing really uh, else to say. No, there's nothing to say. I just wanted to get off my chest because I know a lot of those guys. Man, those guys, man, I was watching the, those fights with those kids, and uh, I hate to call them kids, but they are. I mean, they are like 10, 12 years younger than us. It's pretty amazing. They watch everything. I mean, they were quoting old interviews. They were such hardcore fans watching all the Fight Pass shows. I mean, this was the hardest of the hardcore, and we were just sitting. I, I tweeted a picture of them. We were sitting in the lobby of this hotel on a Friday night with my laptop because it was, it was kind of annoying that we couldn't go to a bar or something to watch it because it was a Fight Pass show. But it made it even cooler that we were sitting there in this hotel that I'd been at so many times when my parents would come visit me, and I would be so depressed being there because I didn't want them to leave. I was homesick, all this stuff. And I'm just sitting there with these friends, and we're having a great time watching these fights. It was just, 
what, it was just the most amazing feeling going back to the mall over there, which they changed. By the way, they changed the name of that mall. We were talking about it a couple of weeks ago. It was the Carousel Center. Now it's called Destiny USA. Another horrible decision. That's what the weird name changes. In, is in Carousel Center necessarily that good? I mean, it's kind of. We didn't lose anything that. Carousel great. Center is pretty cool because there's a big carousel in the mall. Oh, wow. So I, it's memorable. What is Destiny USA? It doesn't even tell you what it is. Like, if I tell you I'm going to Destiny USA, I'd be more intrigued. Really? Like, yeah, though? I guess. <laughs> it does sound like Uberlandia. Yeah, I'd want to know. But anyway. Okay. Um, awesome. That, yes. that, that's fantastic. Thank you. All right, let's go to the questions. Okay. First question. Uh, regarding Michael Bisbing. In your opinion, would you like to see Michael Bisbing retire? Uh, I think this is going to be a theme for today's show. Oh, no. Not being able to beat top five guys at the ripe age of 35 doesn't bode well for a title shot. I don't want to see him retire. I mean, he's not getting knocked out. He's losing to some top guys, and I still think there's... I mean, there's still a lot of value in Michael Bisbing. I'm not concerned that he's getting knocked out. I mean, look, if he does retire, if he is asked to retire, it's going to be, you know, I think, just looking on the surface because of his eye, right? The eye does not look the same as it did when he started. It doesn't look great. He's not concerned. So I guess to a degree, we can't be concerned, but you see this a lot in combat sports. We're more concerned about fighters' health than they are. That being said, it's not a Shogun Hua situation, in my opinion, where he's getting knocked out, finished quickly. I mean, it's just not the same thing. So I don't view him the same way as I do Shogun Hua. I still think there's a lot of money to be made. And that's not always the, 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 the number one reason, but he can make a lot of money UFC. He's still a big draw. He still knows how to sell a fight. And I, and I still think that he can be a guy who can win some fights. Can well, he win those top eight fights? I'm not sure, but I still think he can be somewhat relevant in the middleweight division. I think you hit on it early, the first point, which is, you know, the miles on Shogun are not the same as the miles on Michael Bisping. Yeah, and training and in his fights, he hasn't been in those wars. Yeah. There, I mean, I don't think Michael Bisping should retire. Um, I don't think he thinks he should retire. So when I saw that fight and I saw how it played out, first thing that came to mind was, an, "Oh, he's done." You know, right, exactly. when, when I saw that fight, it was like, "Wow, Luke Rockhold just elevated him." Like Bisping was a part of the equation, but it wasn't the story. Minutes later, OSP Shogun. It's like immediately like, "Oh, a Shogun." I mean, you know what I mean? It's a totally different takeaway. Yeah, nobody. You know, the the all the talk about Shogun OSP is about Shogun. Yeah. Um, which is unfortunate because what a what a punch and what a win uh, for OSP. But yeah, you're you're clearly right about the the conversation afterwards in that fight is completely different from the conversation after Saturday night's fight. Yeah. Our next question about the future of the middleweight division. It seems that the general consensus is that Rockhold and Jacare should have a title eliminator rematch bout for the next middleweight shot after Vitor Belfort. What would that mean for Yoel Romero? I think he fights the winner of Dalloway and Machida and gets the next shot if he wins thoughts i like that especially if dalloway wins because it's a fresh matchup and the winner can move on machida's in that weird spot although machida fought weidman great and if he gets a couple of wins in a row and weidman's still the champion i don't think people are going to hate on that rematch but that's what i would do i I don't think romero's there quite yet by the way i wouldn't hate a rematch against tim kennedy i don't think it's going to happen anytime soon but i'm just saying i wouldn't hate that but who's this for rockle no uh for for romero after what i I mean I, i think you can sell that but all that being said, it's got to be Rockhold Souza, uh, or Souza as they call him now. And it has to be relatively close to that February 28th date because, just in case, you know, Belfort or even Wyman gets injured, one of them needs to slide in, A. And B, as we've talked about on the show, they have to be on the same kind of schedule as, as the champion. I want to see that rematch. The first fight was great. 
It was in a weird setting. Hardly anyone was there in Cincinnati. It was kind of an afterthought of a fight, and just the, that whole event was just very bizarre. Um, but I think if you promote it the right way, especially considering what they've done as of late and how good they've looked, and even you put that promo there, that Rockhold, I mean, that was the best thing Rockhold has said in months. That was tremendous emotion. It was raw. It was great. It set up I, that fight perfectly. That's the fight I would do. I feel like it was almost a lack of emotion, which was so awesome. He seemed like almost it was disinterested. Very confident. He was just, he, he, was, he was over it. He was like, you know, if, they, if that's what they want, I'll just beat him again. But if um, you're not interested in that fight, you don't even say the guy's name. Oh no! Clearly, I'm not saying, that told oh, me he's he interested that in that fight. fight. Yeah. But but it, it's it was he has so little he has so little respect for for the fact that this keeps being brought up. Yeah, yeah. He's like, I already did this, and now I'm going to do it again. And, and it's it's a very it's valid no rematch. You know, Jacques Ray was the champion. It was close. I mean, these guys are c- clearly the two yeah. the two next in line for for the title. I don't um, want to see either of them wait because that means they're not going to see them fight for so long. I mean, that's the fu- it's a no-brainer. If that fight doesn't happen, it doesn't have the same heat, obviously, as Bisping Rockhold, but I feel the same way. Well, it's a no-brainer I that mean, has to happen. Let's touch on the heat between Bisping Rockhold. Rockhold couldn't wait to pick him up and shake his hand afterwards. It was very uh, Shamrock Diaz-esque. And I noted this actually off-air before we taped the MMA uh, beat on Thursday. I got the sense that towards the end of this quote-unquote feud... There was a lot of respect there. You could just see the way they were talking to each other at the press conference. Well, they, they, it wasn't Rivera Bisping. It wasn't, there wasn't that disdain. There was, there was mutual respect. They, they had trained together. There was something there below, and you saw that after the fight, which I well, thought was nice. I had no problem with it. Even the cut, did you see the like, yeah. behind-the-scenes cut or the unset or whatever director's cut of them in the chair with John Anik? When yes, they were, yes. They could not have been you know, talking about each other's actual mixed martial arts games with more respect right. the entirety of their their feud was over you know the training thing and the coffee thing it was all it was all outside um stuff in terms of mixed martial artists they had the utmost respect for each other and that was clear even in the lead up even in the the midst of the heat it was clear that each each man respected the other man's game um and i think that was what we saw at the end of the fight i would have liked maybe if he waited a little more time i mean as soon as the fight was over, he lifted him up and couldn't wait to give him a pat on the butt. Right. Um, you know, after it, it just kind of feels like we got cheated a little bit after all that heat, and then you know they they can't wait to hug it out. But um, you know, what a great fight and what a performance by Rockhold. This might surprise some, but I have no problem with that stuff. I know a lot of people get all up in arms about that. I love those. But moments. then, how? I mean, it's, it's at a certain point. When are we going to have some real heat? When there's, are we gonna have there's, some, there's real heat. Yeah, and but then every time afterwards, they're hugging it out. Yeah, every but you know time. what? We don't understand what these people have been through. They were just in a cage, locked up, punching each other, and you build up. You have this, you know, look, Bisping, it's one thing if he lost and then jumps up and pats him on the butt and hugs him out. But when the winner, who, you know, is, is younger and has more of a career now ahead of him and whatnot, pulls him up from the ground and says, you know what? Hold your head high. You're a warrior. All that stuff. It was an honor. I have no problem with that. You, you, I don't you, have a, you gain a, a whole different uh, level of respect for someone after being in there with him. And when it's the winner reaching out and picking, like like Diaz Shamrock, that was a beautiful moment. I, I have no problem with that. When it's the loser going out there and hugging it out and being like, oh, it was all for show. It was all business. It was like, oh, come on, man. You just lost. Chill out. But the winner doing it and especially like that picking him up. I think that that just exemplifies the beauty of MMA. That these guys are really professional and they they embody that martial arts spirit and whatnot. Nah, I 
I'm on the same page, um, but then don't sell this as, you know, the feud of all feuds. These guys hate each other, blah, blah, blah. The word hate gets thrown around every single time we have one of these matchups, and then they're hugging it out in the cage. You don't do that to somebody you hate. Regard I don't care, you know, if they were just in fighting with each other and stuff. It's hard. It's not a big deal. I'm not, I'm not saying it's a big deal. I have no problem with and what by the, way, the word hate is overused in society. You know what I mean? Like, that, that's fair enough. But, you know... I'm so sick of these feuds being being sold as these guys, you know, this one's for real. This one's for real. These guys really, really can't stand each other, can't be in the same room, blah, blah, blah. And then it's the same story every time. I guess I prepared myself for that moment because I was starting to pick up on the fact that they did really not hate each other. I mean, it was very clear if you watched that pre-fight press conference. When you get, who, who's, who's one that comes to mind where it was like, even before the fight, like when they, they faced him off, they even... They even touch gloves, and that doesn't happen. You know, like Hughes and Sarah, you got the impression these two guys really dislike each other, and then they hugged it out, and that annoyed people. I get that. But this one, I had already come to terms with the fact that they really don't hate each other. You know, at the end of the day, what was this feud based on? I mean, these guys trained together. Rockhold was annoyed that Bisping said that he was the champion, all that stuff, and, and talked about training when he shouldn't have. That's what it based and it was... It, after you know two and a half years later it's hard to hold on to that it's hard to hold on to that hatred because clearly they were friends to a certain degree because they trained with each other not best buds but they were acquaintances it's hard to hold on to that one moment so i had no problem with it and i i give i give luke a lot of credit for doing what he did so um you like rockhold and jacare obviously i do as well and romero romero versus the winner of uh dalloway versus machida i like that as well yeah i, I think that's the right way to go Next question. What should be next for Shogun? Retire or fight at middleweight? So this is a weird one because I know I, everyone has a take on this and it does feel different than the Dan Henderson situation that we talked about not that long ago. Henderson a lot older than Shogun. It's amazing that Shogun is just 32. Shogun is my age. He's my age. Imagine if someone told me right now, you must retire from being an MMA reporter. What the hell am I going to do? You know what I mean? It, 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 it's very daunting. I, I, I sympathize with him. He put out this Facebook post. It sounds like he's leaning towards, but you know you can't really, you can't really put much stock into what they're saying now. He does have tough Brazil coming up. He is a name. He's a legend. He can open gyms. He could do a lot. But I, I, I always feel weird about telling a guy to retire. Now, here's what I'll say. You can't say he needs to retire or go to 185. That makes no sense to me. A fight's a fight. You're getting punched, 205, 185. Yeah, the guys are bigger. But really, you really think that it's retire or 185? You really think that's going to change all that much? If you feel so strongly that he must retire today, why will a weight class really change? I mean, you want this is a guy who didn't want to cut weight. You want him to put his body through all that at this age with all his wards. That's a tough thing in itself. And there are still killers at 185. There are guys who used to fight at 205 fighting at 185. So I don't understand that point of view. I just feel like he needs to take some time off. Here's the question. Do I want to see him fight again? No, I don't. Am I going to go out there and start picketing and, 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 and you know, puffing on my chest saying that he must retire and this is a very tough topic? You know, like, let the guy do whatever the hell he wants. At the end of the day, it's his career. It's his life. He's going to have to pay the consequences if he does want to keep fighting and if there's anything that's going to come as a result of that. But if you're asking me, do I care to watch uh, Mauricio Shogun Hua fight again after everything he's been through, after everything he's done? No. He's done enough. He's conquered it all. UFC champion, pride, all that stuff. 
what more is there for him to accomplish? I don't want to see him in there against OSP. I don't want to see... And that's the thing. Michael Carroll nailed it. OSP is not really elevated from this. This is a fight that was just thrown together at the last minute. It was 4 a.m. in Brazil. The crowd went... I mean, I don't feel like OSP... And then he completely botched it with that call. Don't get me started on that. But I don't feel like Shogun is in that position anymore where even a loss to anyone, if he lost to the equivalent of Conor McGregor at 205, whoever that may be, they're not elevated at this point because it's kind of like the sad situation. Oh, he's a shell of his former self. We don't want to see it. So if you're, the, the question to ask is, do you want to see this guy fight again? And I don't. We've seen him do it all. I prefer he just retire and is some kind of ambassador. Will I stop him? Will I try to stop him? Will I, will, will, will I, will I keep talking about this? No, because at the end of the day, it's their call. It's their career. It's their life. To be fair to the question, I think the move to middleweight is less so people saying, oh, he should either retire or move to middleweight. It's more so that it's clear that that's what he's probably going to do. Um, yeah, but I, I see people saying this, and I don't understand that, you know, I don't understand that well, these it, are the options. It doesn't, well, it comes from Shogun, not from the fans. Because no, I know. Shogun, clearly something is going wrong, and the only justification that he can come up with is that it's, you know, time to move down a weight class get that new coat of paint and that's that's a problem in itself right but that's from that's from shogun yeah it it, because the alternative is him admitting to himself that it's time to hang him up and if he's not ready to do that then he has to come up with another solution which is okay let's move down a division and i'm in the same boat I, i i i'm okay if shogun never fights again but ultimately we have no say in this so like i feel strong if they come out with Shogun versus Anderson, right? I mean, that's probably the best fight they could put on because they're coaching and all that stuff and legends. I won't be excited. I don't want to see it. Shogun versus Bisping at 185. I don't want to see it. Here's the thing, though. We can't keep doing this this where as soon as one of these legends loses and it it looks pretty bad, OSP really put him out, Mm -hmm. that all of a sudden the outrage comes out. We had no problem with this fight booking. Sure. Nobody was complaining about this fight beforehand. So we can't all of a sudden, when he gets knocked out, which can happen in a fight, it's going to happen in a fight, we can't all of a sudden say, oh, that's it, he's done, he should, he should go out. Because he's not thinking that, and we shouldn't be thinking that. If we have a problem with Shogun fighting, it should have been all ahead of time. Sure, yeah, 100%. I don't think a lot of people, despite what the promo said, I don't think a lot of people thought the fight was yeah, going to end like this. Exactly. Nobody, if people were predicting that fight, everybody's predicting OSP to wrestle him. Nobody's predicting yeah. that uh, OSP is going to hit him with a counter you know, stepping away, uh, and Shogun's just gonna go down like that. Um, so it was, it was weird to watch. In my By opinion, the, way, the outrage needs to come before. Yeah. No, you're 100 percent right. I do want to say he looked fantastic. I mean, did you OSP? see his physique? No, his physique. Shogun. Shogun looked like he was in tremendous shape. I, I never buy into that. I mean, I'm just saying, whatever he was doing in the gym, it looked good. But that's you know, as we know, that's not even a, a quarter of the battle. Look at yeah, Mark Hunt. For me, for me, I, there's guys, you know, if they look good, oh, this BJ Penn, he made weight at sure. 145. This type of stuff never really matters to me. And especially with Shogun, he's come looking all kinds of different ways into the cage. Um, and the performances have been up and down. Um, but yeah, there's, there's nothing really to say on this. I know this is the big topic of the day, and that's why I put this question in there. But it's the same story. We can't really make these guys do anything. So, But that's what I'm saying. The question is... Do you want to see him fight again? I don't. I don't. I don't but it's like, do I think he should retire? I, I can't. I, I can't say that to any grown man who's out there trying to make a living. It's his, it's his decision. Our next question. This is about OSP. Uh, St. Peru seems to do very well against strikers and a weakness towards wrestling since Glover Teixeira has great boxing and decent wrestling. 
Do you see that potential matchup making sense? Glover is ranked number six, coming off a loss with something to prove. If not, who do you think could be next? Other potential matchups are number 11, Manoa, or number 12, Fei Zhao, uh, when they're both healed up. You know, the here's what I like. The light heavyweight division is getting a little more interesting than it was. I mean, it's not quite there. It's not quite, you know, featherweight or lightweight, but it's getting a little more interesting. And, yes, it's good. I say that he wasn't elevated. I mean, of course, he won the fight. It was impressive. It's just one of those things where it's not the the result of, you know, Shogun of three years ago losing to OSP. You know what I'm saying? His stock was already down. But he's a guy that you can put a fresh face and all this stuff. So, okay, fine. This is what I would do at light heavyweight. Now that Anthony Johnson is is free of all charges. His suspension is over. Gustafson Johnson makes all the sense in the world. That's the fight that they wanted to happen in the first place. Then I'm going to skip Rashad Evans for now because he says he'll only be ready around uh, March or so. I like Phil Davis versus Ryan Bader. I think that makes a lot of sense as far as the styles matchup and where they're at in their career. I like that very much. Um, I'm going to skip over Dan Henderson because he told me last week that he's probably moving down to 185 next. I really like OSP versus Manoa. I like this uh, this idea that this gentleman uh, threw out there. I think that makes a lot of sense. They're they're close. This was obviously Manoa's fight that OSP took over. Interesting styles matchup as well. So yeah, I I, I think that makes sense. I saw I think it was Mark Ramundi of FoxSports.com threw out OSP versus Rashad. I don't know if Ooh. OSP is ready for that. Yeah. I mean Rashad is coming back and he's kind of in a no man's land. But I think we just need to wait till he's 100 percent to uh, to put him in that mix. So if I were booking the fights now. Gustafson versus Johnson, Bader versus Phil Davis, and uh, OSP versus Manoa. Those now, are the top fights. If OSP had come out and called his shot against Rashad, then maybe I would have, you know, been a little more open to that. Oh yeah, I mean he should have come out there and, and and shot for the moon and shot for the moon. I mean, like, look, I screwed up against Bader. I'm sorry, but this is the new OSP. I'm going out there and finishing guys. I just knocked out Phil Shogun. Davis, Gustafson, John. You're all next. And instead, he was that a joke? What did you think? I did not think it was a joke because you saw his coach say something to him in his ear, right? I mean, it was clear that this was premeditated. At least his coach thought it was a good idea. If it was a joke, it was a horrible joke. If it was serious, it was uh, it was it well, was a botched move. Even if it was a joke, why take that opportunity to make a joke? I don't think it was a joke. By the way, it was amazing the the the, the atmosphere. It just got super quiet. I mean, he had and he and you could tell that they didn't want to show Shogun. Because he was obviously out of it, so he was just standing there dancing very awkwardly in a uh, you know in in a cage with these people off to the side and completely quiet, stunned arena, and people start falling out. What a, what a bizarre scene that was! And we didn't realize it at home wherever we were, but it was four a.m. in Brazil at the time. Oh, Gosh. we'll get to that later. Oh, okay, all right. We will get to that later. Um, Manoa OSP makes perfect sense. Yeah. Um, I, I heard people, I think it was Cormier and, uh, and Phil on the, on the pre-show saying that they would have liked the winner, even if it was Shogun to face Manoa. I don't know about that. I feel like if you take the fight, you don't really want to move laterally. Um, I'm always a little reluctant for, for stuff like that where... What do you mean? He had the fight booked against Manoa, then he gets a win, and then he fa- faces him again. So essentially that win didn't really do anything for him. Oh, I see what you mean. I always, I'm always a little reluctant on those fights, but I think for OSP, since he won, it, it, there's nothing to talk about. It, it makes perfect sense. Uh, I, I guess. I, I, I don't necessarily feel that way because there's only so many options, but I get what you're trying to say. It, it feels like the win was worth nothing. You know what I mean? Like, why take the fight at all? Could right. just you could just sit down, sit on the bench, and then face Manoa later. 
um, why take a fight with OSP? And it turned out, you know, he got knocked out. So if he had sat down and faced Manoa, his stock wouldn't have fallen as far. Right. Next question. Uh, in a weekend full of finishes, what was your favorite? Personally, I liked the Jake Matthews finish because it also showed his potential. Man, there were a lot of them, especially on Friday. Holy well, moly. Friday, I mean. That was just such a fun fight. You know. I got the, mine. The one that came to mind right away was was uh, the, the, the Sweet Chin Music by Luis Smolka. Interesting. But I'm, that's not my pick. That's not my pick. What's your pick? Also, I got to give a, a special shout out to Anthony Proche, who continues to defy the odds. He's great. <laughs> it's just unbelievable, this guy, that he continues to win. And uh, now, what if an he calls win. out OSP, now we got something cooking. That makes sense. It's if he different. starts, right. he says, hey, OSP called me out. I want that. That'd be great. I'm going with Marcus Brimage. The Bama Beast. I love those, especially when they're kicks. I love what those kicks were, look like they don't, they don't mean anything, like they have no impact. They're just these grazing shots. And the way the fighter, the guy who was hit with this, the way he falls, and especially in this case, uh, that was just beautiful. The, the, way, the way Brimage moved his body, the way it landed, it wasn't a, you know, a full impact. It was just this grazing shot, and those end up being you know, some of the more devastating ones. So it was the first fight of the entire weekend as far as the UFC is concerned, and it was super impressive. He didn't even get a bonus for that. So, yeah, I, I love those. It was just a thing of beauty to watch that actually unfold. So I'll go with Marcus Brimage. Yeah. That, that was, was that yours? Gonna, that was going to be mine just because of the, the actual technicality of it. Like, the, the kick itself was incredible. Um, but how about, you know, a homer pick, New York's own ally Aquinta? You got to keep uh, riding that bandwagon. No, nah, I mean, it was a great finish. Um, who else? Whitaker had a great one. That was a great fight, first of all. Great fight. Um, Hester and Whitaker, they were battling. I mean, some of those shots that Hester was landing would have put lesser men out pretty quickly. Um, so kudos to both those guys. Chris Clements had a great Clements. finish. Daniel Kelly. Uh, uh, the only fight that wasn't all that exciting was the Soa Palile fight. And how about, I mean, the main event, obviously. Oh, uh, tremendous. Rockhold and Bisping, incredible. What about the Gracies uh, bringing out our old pal CM Punk for the breakdown of that one? There you go. Did you see that? I, I didn't see the video yet, but I heard that that happened. Yeah. Um, you know, CM Punk, mercenary. He's, he's doing whatever he wants these days. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right, next question. Who's next for uh, Demetrius? Everyone seemed to agree that McCall versus Lineker would determine the next challenger in the flyweight division. Since the fight didn't play, take place, who should be next for Demetrius? Also, will Lineker's constant struggle to reliably make weight at 125 pounds make the UFC hesitant to put him in a title fight? You know, I got to say, this is what I mentioned earlier to, uh, to Dave Meltzer. The only move that really makes sense, especially with John Dotson being out for a little more time with the ACL, I would do, and, and, and it's a big gamble. Trust me, I know it's a big gamble. But at some point, how long are you going to keep John Lineker off to the side and punish him for making weight but sort of close to maybe missing it 126 and needing a second try? I would give him the title shot and say, look, if you don't make this weight, if this ends up being a non-title fight, if you can't fight for whatever reason, you're gone. I mean, because at this point, why? I mean, why do that though? Because there's a, there's no one else. A, it's a great fight. It will be part of the promotion. It'll be something they could play up and or whatever. And if you book the Uncle Creepy fight at this point, I mean, that just puts Demetrius on the sidelines for even longer. This was the number one contender fight. If you do Demetrius versus John Lineker in what February, March, who's Demetrius going to fight? I don't want to see Chris Demetri Carioso too. I don't well, want to I see mean, that. Does Demetrius honestly need credible challengers? I mean, what happens yes, after? Yes, he does. What look, happens? Look at the way we viewed his last fight. 
that's what I'm saying, though. What happens, does, does it really make that much of a difference? What happens after he beats uh, Lineker or what hap- happens But that's after? a credible challenger. I want to see that Lineker is. versus... That is, and then what? Well, then you got McCall. No, yeah, then you, you got a returning John line. Dodson. See, why put Lineker in the situation where he's on the verge of getting cut? Just let him keep, you know... Just work. let him keep fighting random people? Well, McCall's not random. That's a good fight. But and, then you eliminate, and also, you eliminate a contender. He's... he's getting close to he's making weight but he's getting close to missing weight at 126 right he's not making 125 that's why you got to put that and, stipulation but you're you're backing yourself into a corner unnecessarily you're saying i'm gonna cut you if you don't make this weight i mean for you, him he's missed enough and look at what happened with anthony johnson and when i mean you miss enough you shouldn't be in the ufc now i'm not trying to hate on him because he did make the weight but 126, I wanted to see him in a number one contender fight. We all viewed it as such. I wanted to see him come out and hit no 125 for it. all the haters. It didn't happen. He needed a little more time. So what I would say is, and you don't have to make this a public thing. Look, this is the deal. You're in the division. You're doing great. Were you 5-1? and one, Lost your first fight since then. You've looked very good. But you continue to have problems making weight. We're going to give you this opportunity. But if you can't make the weight, then you're either... Okay, maybe it's move up to 135 yeah, no that, more, that's, or that's get better. cut. Or get cut. The same thing that they said to um, uh, Henry Cejudo. That's what I would say. And then you have McCall fight someone else to get back on track, uh, maybe one of the winners of the fights coming up in December. And, uh, and now you have some action at, at 125, especially when you consider the returning John Dodson. But if you do McCall versus Lineker in February or March, that means Johnson is either going to be out for a long time, A, or B, he's going to fight another no-name guy. I mean, who else is out there that really makes sense? If you give him Lineker right now, it makes sense. He was ready to fight. It's fine, but I can wait. And he for has it. the record. I but who wait. do you give him? Who do you give him? Who cares? I don't want Let's to see that. Let's just watch DJ go to work. It's the same thing that we're going to continue yeah. to watch. I want to see him in relevant fights, and there's a relevant contender out there. Yeah, I, I, with, specifically in this division and with Demetrius, I'm okay with, you know, plugging in whoever whoever's the flavor of the month, and then he may not he may not say it, but he needs it for his own career, oh, for he, his own relevancy. He needs relevant tough the opponents the problem is he makes it look too easy and i think he's i don't think there's anybody in the division that he won't make it look too easy against which is you know his I, the I gift mean, and the curse lineker i don't think lineker wins but i mean okay wow lineker okay let's see this lineker versus I johnson would, this is a I, tough I love that test. fight but it's i don't think test. i think only john dodson uh can give him trouble and i think even in this case that dj has progressed too much to the point where he's he's a, he's just a few steps above the rest of the division. But I would love to be wrong. I would love to see a competitive fight. And they need to buy themselves some time for Dotson to come back because he's coming back from ACL. It's going to take some time. Our next question. How will fighters respond? Given the prevalence of home country decisions in Brazil, do you think we'll see more fighters declining offers to fight Brazilians in that country? Or have the Brazilian fans uh, themselves become such villains to international MMA that fighters will want to show up and silence the crowd? Uh, P.S. I met this person at Glory 16 and I was all class. Well, that was a weird way of phrasing it because it makes it seem like he was saying he was saying that you are all class. Yeah. But it made it seem like you were oh, saying I see that what he you're was saying. Also all class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, Glory 16, was that the one on Friday? No, that was 18. We, uh, 16 was Denver. Ah, yes. Um, okay, first things first. I don't really think that's fair. I mean, you saw some decisions at UFC 179, which was in Rio, two weeks ago that weren't in favor of the Brazilians. Now, I know that I- in the... Coming event on Saturday, there was a controversial decision, but I don't think it's fair to peg it on the Brazilian judges. I also think that was a close fight, and this hasn't really been an issue, to be honest. Yeah. I think there was a maybe one card initially where that was kind of an issue. Yeah. But I think the the judging spin in Brazil was fine, and I think um, 
the the judging in most of the events we've been on a decent run um, yeah there we, haven't been many it, it's r- true bad decisions recently but it just takes one and you know that they're coming i mean the one on saturday fine and i i never think that it's it's motivated by by somebody's um country Bias? of yeah. origin I, I really never think that i think the entirety of bad judging is incompetence and not a situation of uh, bias uh, rooting for the home country. That's my opinion. I'm sure. I mean, there has to be cases. There have to be cases where it's happened, and we'll never know. But I don't think that that's a, a big reason for this. Also, another thing. I mean, the UFC. But, I know that the CABMMA is independent, but you know, the UFC helped get that thing started. And you see a lot of those familiar faces. So. I hear this a lot, though. I hear I hear a lot about you know you're not going to win a decision in Brazil, but I haven't found that that's really a factor. But I, but I've heard that quite a bit. What do you mean? You know, fans say that that that's part of the equation that this guy you know he's going into enemy territory. He's probably not going to win a decision. Mm. Um, it's but more I of a boxing thing. I haven't to say. found it. It's more of a boxing thing. By the way, how was uh, how was Glory on Friday? Oh, it was incredible. What a card. Um, Zach Moikasa, that dude is. Something That's the guy else. who beat Pat Barry. He is at Glory 16, in fact. Oh yes. Uh, he was in the what tournament. What did he do on Friday? He he won his first round matchup in f- devastating, fantastic fashion, and then um, in the finals he faced Saulo uh, Cavallari, who who defeated him, knocked him out. Um, so that tournament was incredible. That was a heavyweight tournament. Uh, light heavyweight. Light heavyweight. And then David Kiria versus uh, Robin Van Roosmalen in the trilogy fight, and Robin closed it out. He's got three wins. Um, Incredible fight. It was just a really, really solid uh, night of fights. And did they announce their next one? Yeah, the next one is December 19th. Location TBD at this point, but it will be Glory 19, December 19th. All right. Headlined uh, by uh, Rico Verhoeven versus uh, Errol Zimmerman. Oh. Heavyweight matchup. It's title? Title fight? Title on the line. Wow. Um, shout out to our good pal John Gooden, who just tweeted... Good thing about this jet lag was that I was awake for the MMA hour. I believe he's still in Australia, or maybe not. I don't know if he's taking a bath or not. He didn't mention that, but uh, another great job by John and uh, Dan Hardy on Friday as well. Our next question. Celebrity fan of the show. (laughs) Uh, Justin Gaethje. If Justin Gaethje gets past uh, Melvin Guillard this weekend, should the UFC come calling? If so, who would you like to see them matching him up against? Well, you know, off the top of my head, I haven't looked into his uh, his contract, or I don't know the status of his contract, but I, I have to imagine. I mean, World Series of Fighting, while they do have a good relationship with the UFC, they aren't in the business of just letting guys go to the UFC. I know some guys have made a stink or two, and that has resulted in them going. And by the way, I, I just I can't stand that. I can't stand the public complaining. I mean, in what other walk of life do you just get to complain publicly? And I know you are a public person. I know you are you know you are a celebrity in your little bubble. But I just don't like that route, complaining. And and uh, I guess Time it works. Out. Time I guess out. yes, it works. But it's I I understand where you're coming from. It's annoying. And it's not my it's not my personal preference. I wouldn't do it. But at the same time, if we're talking about all these guys saying, you know, campaign for what you want, mm-hmm. you know, make mm-hmm. some noise. Mm-hmm. I want this fight. Make mm-hmm. some noise, blah, blah, blah. If it comes in the opposite direction with them being unhappy or, you know, ca- calling their shot in that way, I don't necessarily have a problem with it from that, from that perspective. If that's the only outlet they have, this is, this is their platform. This is their stage. And if they're unhappy with something and that's the way they're going to get business done, 
then I don't necessarily have a problem with it. Okay, fair Using enough. any means necessary to get what they need to get. Um, as I said, not my style. That's not the way I would do it. But we can't be, we can't be mad at them for, for doing what we've been begging them to do, which is use this platform, connect, and, and do, you know, campaign for what they want. All right, all right. Take it easy. You're <laughs> right. It's a good point. Also, the proof is in the pudding. I mean, things tend to, uh, to yeah, happen and happen. change exactly. when you do it. It's just, you know, I just, it's not the way I would like to do business if, if I were, you know, in that, those shoes. But you can't hate on it. Okay, fine. fine cannot fine. disagree with you there. Okay, fair the enough. The tact fair is, is yeah, completely different. Exactly. Um, that being said, if World Series of Fighting wants to have some kind of, you know, future, I would think they'll, they'll try to keep Justin Gaethje. He's, you know, one of the guys that they, A, created. B, you know, he's one of their top guys. He's, he's a legit fighter he's exciting he's he's undefeated he's had some fun fights for them he is their champion of course if he retains on saturday so i mean let's be honest let's call it like it is i'm pretty sure he wants to go to the ufc i'm pretty sure he thinks he's ready to go to the ufc but you know i, I don't foresee world series of fighting unless he is a free agent and why would you why would you let your champion go into a title fight as a free agent i don't see him leaving after this fight he's a hell of a fighter Oh, he's tremendous. I mean, he's he's like him, Marlon Marais. I mean, say what you will about World Series of Fighting. They've done a pretty good job in a short amount of time, two years essentially, in building some guys that, let's be honest, none of us knew who they were going into this fight. And these guys were on the first couple of, of uh, events. Justin and, and Marlon Marais were, were yeah. there from the start. It's not like you know these guys were brought in all of a sudden. They've been there from the start, and it's paying dividends. They're, they're really good. So, yeah, I mean, I, I foresee them trying to keep him around unless he has some kind of out. This is a big fight for him. This is his biggest test by far. It's a great fight for him. It's a great fight for Melvin. It's an even bigger fight for Justin because he gets to fight that name that he hasn't necessarily been given thus far in WSOF. And I'll say this. I don't think if it gets into a slugfest that Justin is necessarily on the losing end of it because his chin is so good. Um, he can really take a shot, and he can really throw one back. No. Getting hit by Melvin is a completely different um, thing than I'm sure he's seen before because, you know, we all know how hard Melvin hits. And, and then that first round, it's going to be dangerous. But I don't know. I think if they get into a slugfest, it's not, it's, it's not necessarily um, completely in, in Melvin's favor. I think it's going to be a really good fight. What you, would you make of Melvin's uh, demeanor in that interview? Uh, I thought he, I mean. He seemed a little, a little more. I mean, he's always interesting. Love talking to him, but he seemed a little more ornery than than usual. Well, it's getting close to fight time. Yeah, maybe. And and you know, you're talking about you've trained with this guy in the past. You know, all that yeah. kind of stuff. It bring you know brings out that that fire. Yes. Update from John Gooden. He couldn't get a room with a bath, unfortunately. <laughs> so as a result, he's giving a two out of five stars to Airbnb in their uh, the rating system, which <laughs> I think it should be one. No bath the hell on a monday or a tuesday over there bollocks our next question so is it official oh yeah they're questioning is it official i think it is official anthony johnson's back who yes. should he fight and when gustafson seems the fight to make and would that be the number one contender fight for the jones dc winner if they do that fight that should be the fight you know the original plan was anthony johnson this is the fight that they wanted they want anthony johnson versus Alexander Gustafson, they were thinking about maybe December, but I, I think that that wasn't really going to play out. So 
what we're hearing is maybe January, if they can get all the ducks in a row. It's, from what I'm told, not official just yet. But, uh, they, you know, they went to Rashad Evans when they couldn't get Anthony Johnson. He tried to give it a go, as I reported last week on UFC Tonight. But he's just not 100% to fight in, in January. His leg doesn't feel strong enough. He doesn't have that, that explosiveness that he's used to, especially in a big fight like that. So he didn't want to rush it. He's hoping to be back in March. But now that Anthony Johnson is 100%, he's not banged up, nothing like that. I think that's the fight to make, and especially around the same time. It's not going to happen for sure on the same card as DC Jones, but it has to happen in my opinion around the January time frame. A, if one of those guys gets injured, and B, again you want to have them on the same schedule. So So what are the options for that? What are the other cards around that that it could possibly land on? Well, there are four fight cards in January scheduled. There's one January 3rd Vegas that's DC Jones. I don't expect it to happen there. There's another one January 18th in Boston that's headlined by Conor McGregor versus Dennis Seaver. I don't expect it to happen there. There's January 31st in Las Vegas, Nick Diaz versus Anderson Silva. It might happen there. But there's one other one that has yet to be announced that I would expect it to happen there. Mm, There you go. Mm, Final question from the website. Person who was on the show today. Metamorris, Rogan versus Smith, Joe Rogan versus yes, Jimmy Smith. Love at it. a future Metamorris would be great to watch. Yes. <laughs> would you guys like to see it? Who gets the win? Yes. Sign me up. I um, love that. I would love to see it. I don't know who gets the win because I'm not schooled enough. I'm not yes. versed enough in the intricacies of both of their, you know, jujitsu games. But um, of course, it sounds amazing. I doubt it ever happens. But if Metamorris could uh, could get Joe Rogan to perform, I mean, that would just be. That would be dynamite, right? Yeah, I mean, that be, would be the biggest thing that they can do. One of the biggest things. It'd be a lot of fun. But yes, sign me up. Get all the gimmicks out there. <laughs> That's what Amanda Morris needs. Okay, our first question from Twitter. I told you this would come up. Yes. Why does the UFC keep making events here in Brazil so late? Uh, this person's obviously from Brazil. Is it to cater to the U.S. audience? Shogun and Aldo fought after 3 a.m. Yes, I was and there. There's, there's a follow-up. Don't you think... In the long run, the UFC will lose their audience here promoting the, the Brazilian fighters so late. You know, that's a very good question. And that's probably a question for someone like Guilherme Cruz, um, who, who is from Brazil, who is Brazilian. Uh, I was there at UFC 179. It was very late. And the fight aired live on Globo, which is their Fox. I mean, it doesn't get any bigger than that. That's national broadcast television. But what good is it to put that fight on at 3 a.m.? Now, they will replay it, but still, live is live. So you bring up a great point. What it goes to show is American TV, at least right now, rules the day. You can't but have... Fight Pass, even. No, no. Shogun, uh, is he talking about Brazil? Oh, yeah, right. It, well, that, that was, was on the Fox Sports 1. You're right. Uh, trust me on this. As someone who lives in New York, and I think a lot of people would agree, at least old fathers like myself, at least I consider I feel old, um, a, a fight happening at 12.30 a.m., I mean, it, I'm tired. I am so tired. So, yeah, I'm all for the fights happening earlier. Like, those, those shows that end at 10 p.m., tremendous. Love it. More of that, please. <laughs> I don't see it happening anytime soon because you also want to cater to the Pacific uh, Standard Time Zone and, you know, everyone on the West Coast of the United States. But uh, American TV and the money that Fox pays, they want it to be in that 10 to 1 a.m. time slot, which is the, the typical UFC time slot as far as pay-per-view is concerned here on the East Coast. So that's what's going to rule the day. Now, the time difference, like, let's see. Uh, current time in Uberlandia. 
<laughs> is uh, 7.30. So they're three hours ahead. So if you wanted to be in prime time in Uberlandia, remember, this whole thing, as far as TV programming is concerned, it's like it's a puzzle. And there was football on, college football. They got to slot it in there at a certain slot. And it has to be a somewhat consistent slot. It can't just be randomly 4 p.m. this time. Like, you know, okay, there's a Fox Sports 1 card coming up. It's probably going to be at 10 o'clock. You know by now that those are, you know, the times where, you know, okay, it's going to be prelims from 8 to 10 and the pay-per-view or the main card. So there's something to be said for consistency. And they can't keep moving around depending on the time zone that they're in. So fortunately, local market suffers that's where Fight Pass comes in for the most part, even though the Australia card was on Saturday morning in Australia. But the reason they said that happened was because the local audience is used to that sort of thing, which when they were there the last few times, the shows did happen in the morning locally. Um, yeah, it's, it's a tricky thing. It's hard to keep up with all these time zones. End of the day, I think America will always win out, especially given the amount of money that Fox pays. Well, also, I guess you have to bank on the the viability of selling tickets in brazil at this time and i guess you know the the cost benefit is that people will still show up people will show up but yeah at the end of the day it's great to have the people in there and it's great to have the tickets but you want to try to reach as many eyeballs as possible to grow the sport take it to the next level and that's especially on globo that's national tv that's in a good time so prime time all that stuff so it does hurt it is a little counterproductive to do that but UFC 179, if they would have made that at what, you know, 7 to 10 Eastern time, they would have taken a hit pay-per-view-wise. At least they think so and believe so. Yeah. Our next question, with the UFC Hard announcing... to juggle all those balls. Go ahead. Go uh, ahead. With the UFC announcing their entire 2015 schedule next week, which new markets do you think the promotion will enter next year? So if you missed it, last week they announced that the, the big announcement next week, November 17 will be a, a few things. They're going to bring out all the fighters who are fighting in the next two months, all the main and co-main events. So that's pretty cool. They're going to have this big press conference open to the public. They're also going to make a quote-unquote very special announcement. We don't know what that is right now. And for the first time ever, they're going to announce their entire 2015 schedule, they being the UFC. This excites me greatly for a few reasons. Selfishly, as a media member, I think it's fantastic. We're going to know the schedule. Now, we need to take that schedule with a grain of salt because let's not forget early this year, they, uh, they announced the Canadian dates and two of those fell through. So things are going to happen. Now I'm a little concerned in the fight game. I like to think, okay, let's say we have Conor McGregor and we have Jose Aldo. We need to wait for these guys to be healthy. We need to get the right venue, the right, you know, the, the right location, all that stuff. It's tough to announce these dates in advance and you hope that they're not trying to just fill holes most of these dates are planned beforehand. They just haven't been made public. But there is some moving around. So you, you don't want to see them try to shoehorn guys into certain dates. That's the tricky part here. So I wouldn't take this as gospel. I wouldn't set in its stone, as they say. But it's great. It makes it feel like a real sporting event. I'm very much in favor of it. I don't think, and from what I understand, this is, in fact, true. They're not going to come out and say, all right, on April 14, we're going to be in Oklahoma. On June 23, we're going to be in Rio. They're not going to actually plug every single date with a location. They'll give you the dates. They'll tell you the schedule. But I don't think every single date is going to have a location tied to it. That's where you get away from shoehorning yourself or you know, trying to uh, plug a hole when it just makes no sense to have a certain fight in a certain city. 
still feels like a real sporting event. I still think it's great, but I almost think it benefits the media more than the fans because we could plan things out. We get a good sense of the schedule, all that stuff. The fans, if they just hear that there's an event in location TBD on June 14th, it doesn't really do all that much for them. Good start. I like it. But I don't think you're going to hear, you know, I, I think you're going to hear some. They're definitely going to announce some, from what I understand. But you're not going to hear, if they go with 49 events, 48, 46, you're not going to hear every single new market out there. And again, don't forget, last year, they were talking about Poland. They were talking about this. That didn't come to fruition this year. So things can change. And I, and I, and I think we should give them that kind of flexibility. This is the fight game. You have to go to the right place at the right time in the right city with the right fighters. And you can't just, this isn't the NBA where you can say, you know, on October 30th, the Knicks are playing the Cavs. It doesn't work like that. Um, and I, I don't want to see them stick to that script like it's, you know, 100% because I think that's just counterproductive. You know what I mean? I do. Um, you don't want them to just back themselves into a corner and say this is the event this is the venue we have to get it done yeah so it's a good thing and a bad thing because if they announce okay on may 10 we're going to montreal and okay well what if no one's ready who makes sense to fight in montreal for may 10 so then you're going to go with two random guys i mean that's that's not how this whole thing was built this whole thing was built especially combat sports you have a guy who's from new york or a puerto rican who's big draw here you're going to bring him to new york you're not going to bring him to florida or you know some random place it's you have to leave yourself open for some of that. It's also just asking for the same problems that we're facing this year where, you know, guys get hurt and then what, then what do you do with that, that card or, you know, whatever you have to do. But yeah, it, it, it removes some of the flexibility that that's required. It's going to be interesting to see how much they do unveil, but I think just announcing the dates is a starting point. Oh, by the way, one other group of people that really benefits from this is the competition. Now you can get a sense for, okay, when is the UFC not holding a show? And I'm going to try to avoid that. Because as much as I love this Saturday, as much as I love the fact that there's you know, a lot of action, it's a lot of fun to talk about, it kind of sucks that they're all going on at the same time. I mean, they're literally going on at the same time, 9 to 12 for Bellator, 9 to, 9 to 11 for World Series of Fighting. You know, the UFC is right in the middle of all that. It, it's, I mean, I think it kind of sucks. So I'd rather see the big promotions avoid each other if possible. This is our final question. You may not have any response to this, but we'll see. Uh, last episode, we talked about podcasts. What do you listen to? This person listens to... Uh, Me. You. I guess separate from the MMA Hour. I don't know. That's yeah, um, weird. Uh, he's Luke's, talking about you. Luke Thomas's podcast, Chael's podcast, Joe Rogan's podcast. And the MMA Hour. And now he favorited his own tweet, so I thought about not even wow. doing this, but I saw Come it too on, late. Man. Okay, this guy's name is Minnick Motzfeld? Yeah. Click on his name. Let's see. Oh, no. Are we about to go down a wormhole that we can't Um, come back from? Okay, let's go to... Where do you... Okay, can can you get his... his, Location? No, 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 the the profile. This is the profile. This is it? Yeah, there's no... You can't go to, like, the main one? This feels like... I can, but it's not going to tell you anything additional. No, I want to go to his favorites. I want to see how often he favorites his own tweets. (laughs) Probably not often. Wait a second. Why is it? Wait a second. Wait a second. Go back to the tweets for a second. The most recent one is a tweet from Daniel Cormier on September 23rd. Yeah, because the replies are not there. Oh, let's see the replies. Okay, now it comes up. Okay, fair enough. Um, Although, wait a second. (laughs) Look, okay, he said something four hours ago, then September 23rd, right? Yeah, he hasn't tweeted in a while. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Um, Let's go back up. Go to the favorites. Oh, my God. I want to see how... Op- he only has four favorites. Okay, it's the first time he did it, so give the guy some slack, right? Yeah, he's, he slipped up. 
slipped up. You're focusing on the wrong thing here. Well, you were the one that said it. I didn't notice that he favorited his own tweet. Okay, so to answer your question, Minnick, uh, recently I discovered the SiriusXM app, right? And I got serious when I got my car, but I didn't really pay attention to it because it was free, but I had to buy it after a year. And I got to tell you, it has reacquainted me with Howard Stern because I get all his interviews. It's fantastic. You get all his old interviews. I mean, not all of them, but last like three years, old shows. I have been obsessed with catching up because it's hard to listen to the full interviews in your car. I'm not in my car all that often. So that's been my go-to now when I'm on the subway or traveling anywhere, walking anywhere. I'm going to the, uh, the SiriusXM app because, and I'm just listening to the Howard Stern stuff. It's just fantastic. What an amazing thing. Now, as far as podcasts are, are concerned, um, Okay, you know what I was listening to on the way here? What? I was listening to, uh, and I don't listen to this show often, but I was really enjoying this conversation. I was listening to Bill Simmons, and the only reason I was listening oh, to it this one? time, uh, Bob Ryan. Yes, I listened to that yesterday. What a great conversation. I mean, that book sounds fantastic, right? How about Bob Ryan? He's great. Just so many years in the game and still... But I love know. those kind of books. It's uh, Bob Ryan, old NBA writer for the Boston Globe, came out with this book about, uh, it's called Scribe, about his career. I love that kind of stuff. I think I'm going to buy the book. So I was listening to that. I love uh, live audio wrestling. Oh, yeah. Shout I out. Enjoy. I enjoy that very much. They had, I think they had Howard Finkel on the show and Gene Okerlund yesterday, so I'm going to listen to that, maybe even on the flight to Mexico. Uh, I think, uh, what else? You know, I like. You know, I don't like. I don't like when shows. I've got a ton. I don't like when shows become a podcast, like when it's a TV show and they put a podcast. But I do like listening to Keith Olbermann. Mm. That's a good one. Uh, the Nick's Fix podcast with Alan Hahn. I enjoyed that. Uh, Jericho is good. So those are a few. Oh, and the one that I really love was uh, "Here's the Thing," hosted by Alec Baldwin. Uh, his mm. interviews were great, and his voice was great. But uh, unfortunately, I don't think he does it anymore, so I can't find any new episodes. Those are some that come to mind. Let us know. What, what do you listen to, Mr. New York Rick? I've got a ton. Okay. I can run through them all. Let's see. Go, Quickly. go, go, go. Comedy, I like Doug Loves Movies. Um, Jay Moore, great interview. I love, I love when he interviews people, crossover sports a little bit. Adam Carolla, uh, Mark Marin, WTF. You Made It Weird. So we're going through the comedy, po uh, Nerdist podcast. Wait a second. One of them is called You Made It Weird? Yeah. Pete Holmes, he interviews uh, mostly comedians, but a uh, really, really interesting one. Sklarboro Country, the Sklar Brothers, uh, How Did This Get Made, Comedy Bang Bang, Improv for Humans. Jesus, how do you have time to listen to all this? 10-minute podcast. Well, I'm backed up on some of them. Okay. The Fighter and the Kid. Now we're starting to move into the okay. MMA slash sports area. Fighter and the Kid, that's a good one. Brendan mm -hmm, Schaub, mm -hmm, Brian mm -hmm. Callen, shout out. Mm -hmm. Joe Rogan, Co-Main Event Podcast, Chad yeah. and Ben. Wow. Um, What's that? <laughs> uh, MMA report with John Pollock and Law yes, and yes, live yes, audio yes, wrestling yes, yes, that's, yes. that's one in my rotation as well now we're getting to the wrestling one now I have to say I listen to a ton of wrestling podcasts without really? actually watching wrestling it's me the, too it's I, don't, I, don't, I don't watch it world. at all yeah, it's, I, I couldn't agree more it's more enjoyable to listen to them speak about it than well, actually watch it I hear about these old stories about like when I used to watch or even before and I find it much more interesting than kind of watching actual wrestling um, you like that one, uh, the Grantland one, right? I love the I love Cheap Heat on the Grantland yeah, 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 uh, yeah. network, but I I have both of Steve Austin's shows. He has one uncensored and one censored uh, show. I have both of those. Jericho talk is Jericho. Uh, good old Jr. Who was in the house at Glory? Yes, on, yes. Uh, Did you meet him on Friday? 
I didn't meet him. Come on. I'm not one of those people. I don't really like to go up to people. Sure. I don't take pictures. I don't ask for autographs. Uh, I kind of just do my own thing. Chael Sonnen, obviously, uh, which kicked off with an interview with Ariel Hawani. Oh, yes. I heard of uh, it. <laughs> Piper's Pit. That one. How is that? Don't up, they don't update so frequently, but I I'm downloaded it, it once, and I didn't think it was. Uh, it seemed it was the first episode. Seemed well, kind yeah, of all over the place. Yeah, now we're we're like thirty deep now. So okay. Josh Barnett's podcast, uh, BS Report. We talked about that. Yep. Bill Simmons. Then the Grant Lamb ones, and then my all-time favorite. All-time favorite. This is the one. Number one. People, go get it. Jesus versus Mero, the best podcast in the world. What? Put out by Complex Media. Um, Jesus. Jesus. He's he's a guy who made his bones on Twitter, um, and it's just these two guys from New York talking about the hottest topics of the day. It's the funniest thing you will ever hear. Jesus versus Mero. It's a Highly it's a recommend. daily show. Mm-mm. Every fr- uh, every Friday. Hmm. Tuesday on the podcast app for the audio. No Friday, mention of the a- MMA Hour. Well, I mean that goes without saying, right? Well, and then they beat MMA hour. Those go mm, that without no mention saying. of it. It wasn't there, so I don't know if it does go without saying. Well, it goes without saying. <laughs> <laughs> it just went without saying. All right, all right. Um, well, that's some great insight into your life. There's a lot of I listen to a ton of podcasts, so trust me when I tell you Jesus versus Mero. But well, also, you know what's a great one? Yes. The MMA Hour. Yes, it is. Oh, by the way, a- as we talk about podcasts here, let's give a a warm welcome back to. The uh, one of the OGs of mixed martial arts reporting, Josh Gross, who's back in the podcast oh, game. Yeah. He just came out with uh, Gross Point Blank. I got uh, another one to add. Yep, yep. I, I listened last week. Very enjoyable. Good to hear Josh back. So, uh, best of luck to Josh. Minnick, I hope you appreciate all that and wrote <laughs> it down. That's a lot of information. Anything else? That's it. Okay, quickly before we go, Ricardo Lamas, Dennis Bermudez. Oh, the odds, or who yeah. do I think is going to win? No, 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 the odds. Um, Dennis has got to be the favorite there. Yes. Minus 210 plus 170. Jake Ellenberger versus Kelvin Gaslam. Hmm. What, what, was, what were Jake's last two fights? Jake is uh, on a bit He's of a... He's on a streak, right? Yeah, a losing he, streak? Yeah, yeah. He lost to um, Robbie Lawler and Roy McDonald. Mm, see, those losses don't really... They're not indicative of much because those guys are the best of the best. I'm going to say Kelvin might be a favorite. I'm surprised you're having trouble with this one. Really? Yeah. I think Kelvin will be a favorite, but I'm not sure that that fight's not closer. Kelvin minus 220, mm. Jake plus 185. I think that could be a mistake. I think that Jake is, is a little better than Are those you picking last Jake? two losses. I'm not picking Jake because I think Kelvin is a blue-chip prospect. I think that the way he mixes up his game is, is very um, reminiscent of the guys who are of the new era, of the new generation where they, they grew up training MMA rather than coming from other disciplines and then packaging it all together. So I think Kelvin is one of those guys. Um, so I think I ride with Kelvin, but I'm not sure that he should be that big a favorite. I mean, this, the fight with Story showed that, you know, a guy like Story made it a tough fight for him. And, and if we see the Jake who, who is that aggressive and, you know, walking guys down and throwing bombs at their heads, um, I think that could be a, a close fight. That said, I'm not going out on the limb like I did last time and picking Jake uh, like I did with Al, but I am. I do think that it might be a little closer. Verdum Hunt. Uh, that's going to be Verdum all day. Yeah, Hunt is plus 375, Verdum minus 387. Final question to you. This time next week, of all the fights that are going down on Saturday, what's the one that's going to stick out? What's the hmm. moment? Who's going to be? So you, I know you like to 
break out those clips, pat yourself on the back like you did with <laughs> Ally Quinta, what's the moment that's going to stick out? I think it's going to be... It's going to be one of two things, and it's from the same fight. It's either going to be proven, established Bellator champion Will Brooks, or it's going to be the resurgence of Michael Chandler getting his belt back. And That's the moment that the we're going to be talking about on Monday morning. That's it. It's going to be Brooks and Chandler, and wow. it's going to be one of those two. Wow. All right. I think that's it. There you go. There you have it. That does it for us. A big weekend coming up. You can hit my music. I go to uh, I go to Mexico at midnight tomorrow. I don't know why I booked such a weird flight, but I get there early, early Wednesday morning. So I'm looking forward to it very much. My first time in Mexico City since 1999. Last time I was there, I was the captain of the Pan American Canadian boys basketball team. We made it all the way to the bronze medal game. We lost to Brazil. But what an experience it was. That was the last time I was there. So very excited to be back. Been reading about that new arena that they built. It looks fantastic. It's unfortunate. No Cain Velasquez, but the UFC is finally making its debut in Mexico City. Something that they've wanted for quite some time. So I'm very much looking forward to taking that whole atmosphere in. Of course, World Series of Fighting on Saturday night as well in Bellator returns on Spike TV, a new look Bellator, 10 pole events as they like to call them. So a lot to digest this coming week. I'm sure there's going to be a whole lot of news breaking as well. No MMA beat because I will be in Mexico, but the MMA beat is back next week in case you were wondering. All right. I want to thank everyone who joined us this week. I want to thank everyone who tuned in. I want to thank Dave Meltzer for his great insight. I want to thank Nam Fran, a.k.a. Nam Fan. Good luck to him in his Bellator debut. I want to thank Rafael Dos Santos. Good luck to him. I want to thank Melvin Goulard. Good luck to him. I want to thank Jimmy Smith. Good luck this Saturday. I want to thank Cain Velasquez. All the best. I want to thank Ally Quinta. Congratulations and all the best to Ian McCall as well. Back next week, same time and place. If you miss anything, I'm out of here.